Hello, Colonel Nigel Fabersham here, and uh, that was God Save the Queen, the British national anthem, and the reason I opened the show with that is because of a rather tragic event, which I'm sure you've heard of by now, that was the unfortunate passing of Queen Elizabeth II, which occurred on the 8th of September, 2022. She was 96 years old. She made it quite some time. She has had various titles throughout her life. She was uh, Her Royal Highness Princess Elizabeth of York. This was from uh, 1926 to 36. Then she was Her Royal Highness the Princess Elizabeth from 36 to 47. Then from 47 to 52, she was Her Royal Highness the Princess Elizabeth Duchess of Edinburgh. And um, finally, for the past 70-odd years, she has been Her Majesty the Queen, as uh, just about all of us have known her, because uh, let's face it, few of you are above 70 years old. Um, and, and if you are, then uh, you probably don't remember very much anyway, because let's face it, you're probably senile by now. So um, to all of us, she is Queen Elizabeth, and uh, she is no longer, and it's um, rather saddening to me. Now, I have seen some derogatory comments from those across the pond who don't understand the significance of this event. So I'm going to explain this to you. And I said to Dandruff, I said, I'm going to open the show this time. I'm not going to be relegated to comic relief for once. For once, I'm going to come on and I'm not just going to make prank calls to casinos or poker rooms or, or, or go on and... Uh, mess with the Nigerian scammer, whatever role you want to put me in. I'm not going to be your clown this week, Dandruff. I'm going to bring up an important issue, and that is that most Americans, and that is primarily your audience, I know we have some Brits who listen to the show, and we have some um, other Europeans, we have some who are in other parts of the country, but um, it's primarily Americans who listen to the show, and they don't understand the reason that there was such mourning in the UK regarding the passing of Queen Elizabeth. So, let me explain to you the situation. Now, you may say to me here, you may say, this is an ancient tradition. This is something which makes no sense. Why are we celebrating someone for happening to be part of a bloodline? Isn't this something that's antiquated? Why why would we celebrate just because you happen to be the child of someone else who was considered important. What, why does this make you important? And I will counter with this, if you don't understand. I will counter with this. Do you think that Michael Douglas or Rob Reiner, you think they would be famous actors if not for their famous fathers? I think not. And, and what about your former president, George W. Bush? Do you think there's any chance he would have been elected in 2000 and 2004 if he did not have a father who was president 12 years prior? No, of course, there's no chance he would have been elected. There's no chance he would have even been considered. It was, again, because he's part of a royal family in America. And... What about Tori Spelling? Now, let's discuss Tori Spelling. Now, she was cast to be the hot chick of Beverly Hills High in uh, Beverly Hills 90210. Now, now let's think about that for one moment, all right? Now, if you take a look at Tori Spelling, and you take an honest look at her, I'm talking about her back then, not, not today when she's like 50. I'm talking about back then when she is playing a high school student, all right? And uh, you compare her to high school students at the time. Now, I can tell you when I was watching that show that she was at best a Birmingham Six. At best, a Birmingham Six. Because when I was in high school in Birmingham, I would say about 40% of the girls in my high school were more attractive than Tori Spelling. But yet, she's supposed to be the hot chick of Beverly Hills High, 
And I just couldn't accept that. You know what else I could not accept? I also could not accept that when I went to join the Beverly Hills 90210 fan club, but this is a true story, you can look this up. When I went to go join the Beverly Hills 90210 fan club, I went to go join it, and it said I have to mail my membership application to P.O. Box, blah, 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 Beverly Hills, California, 90213? 90213? Have you gone mad? Do you, do you not understand that the show is named 90210, not 90213? You, you've got the zip code right there, sir. Real zip code in Beverly Hills. You couldn't rent a P.O. box. You couldn't spring for the few extra bucks to rent one in the proper zip code just a mile down the road. It was preposterous. So I said, I'm not going to join a fan club for Beverly Hills 90210 that's based out of 90213. It just feels absolutely absurd. So I refused to do it, and I did not join it. So back to Tori Spelling, though. I'm sorry about um, digressing a bit, but... Uh, do you think she would have been awarded that role if not for her famous father, who is in charge of uh, producing the show, Aaron Spelling? And I know they say, oh, she had to audition like everyone else. That's a bunch of poppycock. There's no chance she would have gotten that if she was just a nobody, if she was just an average girl that had, did not have a famous father. So my point here is you do have royalty in America. And you do celebrate royalty in America. And you do have privilege being born into such royalty in America. But the difference is, here in Britain, we admit it. We admit this royalty. We admit that we celebrate a particular bloodline. And let me tell you something else. Having the Queen there for my entire life, it was comforting to me. It was like I had a second mummy. And when I would have my trials and tribulations, whether it was in the British military, whether it was uh, dealing with shady online poker sites or casinos that uh, gave me the runaround, I would always take comfort that the Queen was, in a way, watching over me. I knew that things couldn't quite be so bad if the Queen is there in Buckingham Palace making sure it's all okay, even if only symbolic. And now I feel emptiness I feel an emptiness as I sit here in Manchester, and there is no longer a Queen Elizabeth II. Now, there will be other royalty. In fact, uh, new royalty has already been crowned. But uh, this is a sad moment for me and a sad moment for Britain. And if you don't understand that, well, then you can go rot off. Tally-ho, pip-pip, and let's get on with the bloody show. Well, thank you, Colonel Fabersham, for that rousing introduction. I learned some new things about uh, the Beverly Hills 90210 fan club. Thank you. I didn't think that would be part of a tribute to the Queen, but you never know what comes from the good Colonel. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd dandruff Wotellis. This is being brought to you live and recorded live right now at 9.26 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. I do want to inform you of something else that is sad. Not quite as sad as the Queen passing away, but we have no free roll this week because for the second week in a row, the Poker Fraud Alert No Fraud Online Poker Room, where the free roll takes place, is having connectivity issues. In fact, the issues are so bad that I'm not able to connect to the poker room. Even I can't get into it. So I'm going to have to get with Belly Buster, who, to be honest, has been meaning to transfer it over to me, and it's more been my fault for not getting, whip, get, not getting with him to get the transfer done. And maybe this is a natural time to do it when the existing poker room is not working. 
I'm not sure what's going on. There's some kind of connectivity problem that I don't understand. So I will get with him about that. We'll try to fix this, and then we'll probably get it transferred over to me so I can be in charge of the whole thing. But for the second week in a row, we're not having it. So if somehow you got through to it, don't bother playing unless you just want to play for fun because there is no free roll this week. We did have one announced for $50, but it is not happening anymore. There is not going to be a free roll. It has been canceled. So it's been officially canceled, and I canceled it before it started, so you can't even blame me here. It was canceled in the thread. I know it. Uh, if you could get through, it started at 9.15, and right now it's uh, 12 minutes after that. But in the thread, it does say it was canceled. I posted that at about 9 p.m., and doesn't make me happy to cancel it, but that is the way it goes. And just because a few people might be able to get through, that does not mean that we will have it. So if you're playing, you might as well just quit unless you just want to screw around in there. I guess this is a good time to go all in with 7-Deuce Offsuit, because... There will be no consequence. Of course, I guess there's not a consequence anyway because it's a free roll, but you're not giving up any potential winning, shall I say. If you want to call the show, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. We also have the Mount Charleston line. The Mount Charleston line is an old 70s rotary phone which sits on top of Mount Charleston, which is about 45 minutes away from Las Vegas by car, about 30 degrees cooler than Las Vegas at all times of the year. It's an old 70s rotary phone. You can call it at 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808, a separate line into the show, the Mount Charleston line. Also, please keep in mind that you can text the show at only the main number. Do not text the Mount Charleston line. I will not get it, but if you want to text the regular phone number, That number is 775-372-8355. You can text me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I will get it, and I will respond to you. If you text me during the show, make sure you state at the beginning that you don't want it on air, if you don't want it on air, because anything received during the show I may read on the air. We have a call to listen line. It is a number which changed about, I don't know, a month ago or so. So throw away all the other numbers you've had for it. Make sure you're calling the right one. It is a number you just call up and listen to the show. It is not a call-in line. You can't speak to me, but you can listen to the show on this number. And it never buffers. It never freezes. It does not ever stop. It just runs and runs and runs, except when I take it down prior to the show. That's the only time it's not running. I don't want to confuse people as to whether you're listening to a live show or recorded show. So I take the reruns down from it and leave it down for a few hours before the show. Aside from that, it runs 24 hours a day, seven days a week, playing reruns of the show. It picks them at random and just runs them. And when we're live, you hear the live show on it. 518-931-1189. 518-931-1189, located in upstate New York. 518-931-1189 is the call to listen line. Does not require a smartphone. Does not require a computer. Does not require the internet or a data plan. No, 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 no. It's just like a regular phone call. It's a regular call. It's free if you can call within the U.S. for free. Otherwise, it is one cent a minute on T-Mobile, if you have that, or whatever it normally costs to call the U.S. But it's like a regular phone number unless you have T-Mobile. And you can just listen. It never freezes. It's a great thing. About two million plus minutes have been listened to on the call to listen line in its existence. We have a chat room. You can click on chat near the top of the screen if... You are listening live. Does not require flash anymore. Any device will work. 
So you can go in there if you're listening live. Otherwise, don't bother because there will be nobody in there. I see some people in there right now. As I mentioned, we have no free roll. Hopefully, it'll be working next week. I would have liked to have had a free roll, but if the poker room doesn't work, it doesn't work. That's the way it goes, so it is canceled. Right now, the co-hosts are not available, but you know we will sometimes pick them up during the show. Last week, we had all of our usual co-hosts part as part of the show at some point. We had Brandon, we had Trey Ruski, we had Cal Watt. So hopefully we'll pick up at least one of them during the show's run. Otherwise, I can handle it on my own. I prefer to have co-hosts, but if I don't, it is no big deal. If you do want to call the show, just please do so between topics, so this way you don't interrupt anything. There's a decent chance I won't take your call if I'm in the middle of talking about something, but if I'm between topics or just about to finish topic, you can give me a call at the numbers I gave you. If you want to see all the phone numbers, including the call to listen line, just go to the radio tab on PokerFraudAlert.com, and they're all up there for you. We have a lot of different ways to listen to the show in the archives. If you don't catch it live, more than 95% of our listeners catch it in the archives, not live. So it's mainly a podcast to people who listen, though we do broadcast live Every time, I never pre-record the show. I'll occasionally pre-record segments, but it's very rare. For the most part, you're listening to the entire show live, if you are listening live. And that is important to me to do a live show. But I know most of you can't listen live. So if you want to find it in the archives, a lot of different ways. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Podcasts. iHeartMedia. Spotify. TuneIn. TuneIn can actually be used to listen to the live show and the archives. There's two entries, as you'll see there. Then we're on Stitcher. We're on Bullhorn, which has its own call-to-listen line for the archives. If you want to use the call-to-listen line for the archives, you can use that on the Bullhorn app. Pretty cool app. And also, you can download an MP3 of the show, an MP3 file of the show, where you can play it. You can directly play it by just clicking on it with no app whatsoever. And... We're also on Amazon Alexa. Just say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio Podcast. Say that very slowly. And if you want to go forward to the next episode, you would say previous. And if you want to say, if you want to go back to the previous episode, you say next. It's backwards. But it should start with the most recent episode. If it doesn't, just keep saying previous, 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 or play most recent. But we are on Amazon Alexa. And we're also on Audible, which is associated with Amazon in some way. A lot of different ways to listen. If you want to have a new way to listen that I don't offer you, let me know. But we do offer the show on the most platforms of any poker or gambling show out there. I challenge you to find one which has more listening options than Poker Fraud Alert Radio. You won't find it. And I'm willing to add more as long as it does not cost me too much money. Here is the agenda, and then we will get going. The top story this week, Ebony Kenny, who we haven't discussed that much on this show. We discussed her a little bit in the spring, but we have not discussed Ebony Kenny very much. She's not related to Bryn, but Ebony Kenny won almost $2 million on a stake that she got from ACR owner and CEO Phil Nagy at the Triton tournament at Cyprus, and she got into a controversy, not at the tournament, but after the tournament on Joey Ingram's show. So we're going to have one big similarity to last week. Last week, we played Chicago Joey talking to someone whose last name was Kenny. 
And this week, we're going to play Chicago Joey talking to someone named Kenny, but a totally different Kenny. Last week, it was Bryn Kenny. This week, it is the unrelated Ebony Kenny. So I'm going to play that. We're going to talk about the controversy. And you may have seen my takes already on social media or on Poker Fraud Alert. But if you haven't, no big deal. I will give you the full story. Next, we have a scam sale that took place in Las Vegas of Tony Shee's building, one of his buildings. Remember the Zappos founder who died because... uh, He was doing some kind of drugs in a shed in the East Coast, and uh, a fire started. He died of smoke inhalation. Sad story of someone who kind of self-destructed despite having gobs and gobs of money. But anyway, apparently someone pretending to represent his estate sold one of his buildings. And of course, couldn't really sell the building because they didn't really represent his estate. So I'll tell you about this weird scam sale of a Las Vegas building that is owned by Tony She's estate. Then we have yet another edition of Poker Dude Looks Like a Lady. This week was brought to us by none other than Vanessa Cade. But I'm not going to criticize Vanessa Cade this week. I actually agree with her. But she brought up on Twitter that she noticed a lot of people who made it deep in the GG Poker ladies event probably weren't ladies. Hmm... She deleted the tweet, by the way, but I saved it. I made sure to save it. So I'll tell you what Vanessa Cade tweeted. I don't know why she deleted it. And we will discuss the situation. I think she raised a good point. Despite my other issues with her, I think she raised a good point. Then we have Mojave Desert in Las Vegas history. It's back. This week, we're going to talk about California City. California City was a scam. It was a city that was actually a scam. The scam began in the 50s, and the scam continued all the way through the late 2010s. It was a very long-running scam, and for some reason, even as it would get shut down time and time again, it kept persisting. Maybe it's over, maybe it's not, but we're going to talk about the California City scam, and then I'll tell you about some other scams that were similar to it in California. A blackjack dealer in Buffalo was doing a great favor for players at her table, she was showing her whole cards so you knew exactly how to play. So let's say you're Delta 19. You're always going to stand on that, right? Well, not if you know for sure that the dealer has a 20, right? I mean, that's a big, big edge to always know what to do. But, of course, that has consequences if it gets caught, and it did, so I'll tell you what happened. Then we had a pretty brazen thief at... The El Cortez in Las Vegas. This guy belly flopped onto a craps table to steal chips. There's a pretty crazy picture of this that Vital Vegas posted. So we'll discuss that weird theft of chips at the El Cortez. Another Vegas theft in a casino. A thief grabbed a $1,600 cash out ticket when the player stepped away from the machine for a second and was caught and was arrested. But he was not charged and, in fact, wasn't even named by the police. I'll tell you why. You might remember we just recently talked about a mafia-run group of casinos were busted in New York. Well, guess what? Another bust has happened. This time it's against a sports betting operation, again, run by the mafia in New York. So the second mafia 
gambling-related bust in the last few weeks. I'll tell you about this one. Finally, there is a lawsuit where a 71-year-old black woman alleges discrimination after the bank accused her of depositing a fraudulent casino check and even tried to confiscate the check when the check was actually real. She had hit some sort of jackpot and brought the check to her bank and they didn't believe it and they tried to even take the check from her. They admitted they made a mistake, but was it racial discrimination? Was it maybe age discrimination? Was it maybe both? Or was it just incompetence? We will discuss which one I think it is. That is our agenda for this evening. But you never know what else we will discuss. It is a dynamic show. But we're going to start with Ebony Kenny. Ebony Kenny is not related to Bryn Kenny, even though they both have the exact same spelling of their last name, K-E-N-N-E-Y. At first, I thought that she had to be related in some way. When I first heard of her, I thought maybe she was his sister, maybe she was his ex-wife. I didn't know what, but it turns out they're not related at all. And if you look at them, you'll see they're not uh, likely to be brother and sister because Bryn Kenny is white and Ebony Kenny is mixed race. So uh, it's possible they could be brother-sister with that being the situation, but it's not. Uh, They are not related. It's just a coincidence that they have the same last name, which is a name I don't see very often. So it's kind of funny that we have two prominent Kennys, K-E-N-N-E-Y, in poker. Anyway, I've seen her name around for various years. I haven't seen all that much about her. I just kind of see that she's there, that she likes attention, that she is probably like late 30s. I don't know her exact age. She has a very, very short haircut, sometimes verging on bald. And she seemed kind of like a high-maintenance girl. I I didn't know her backstory. I didn't really care that much. I hadn't really heard of her really winning anything. Like, I'm not saying she won nothing, but I hadn't heard of her, like, having giant scores or winning bracelets or anything like that. She was just kind of a, a girl who seemed to be prominent in poker for reasons I didn't quite know and didn't really care about. That was my impression of her up until now. So if someone I had heard of, I knew what she'd look like. I've never met her. I've never played with her. And my opinion of her really didn't exist because I just didn't know enough about her. Well, I will say that changed a little bit in the spring of 2022. And that's probably the only time you've heard me discuss Ebony Kenny on this show. Because... She made an allegation against Daniel Negreanu that was a little bit alarming. I mean, it wasn't a horrible allegation, but it was something that was uh, a little bit alarming, if true. And I wasn't sure what to believe when I first saw the allegation, especially because it was an allegation of something that had happened 14 years prior. So you always have to wonder when someone accuses someone of something from that long ago, do they remember everything properly? Uh, Why are they coming up with it now? And, yeah, that adds some more doubt to the whole story. I'm not saying it's not true if you talk about something from 14 years ago. I'm just saying that it makes it uh, tougher to believe all the details than if you're hearing of something recent. So this is what she tweeted on May 8th, 2022. 2008-09. It's my first 10K, referring to her first 10K event ever. I sit down at Foxwoods, and who is directly on my left? None other than Daniel Negreanu. 
An orbit or two goes around before I realize he's blatantly staring at me nonstop when he's not in a hand. I turn to say something to him because I was uncomfortable. He just says, yeah, I'm staring, and never stopped. My stint in this tourney was short-lived, as I didn't know how to fold aces. The sting of busting the tournament was overshadowed by the relief I felt of not having someone directly next to me openly gape at me the entire time. So, he didn't touch her, and he didn't say anything really inappropriate other than supposedly acknowledging that he was staring and continuing to do so, according to her. And it's implied that this was kind of like sexual staring. It wasn't like staring at her to observe her poker play or just because he happens to be facing that direction where she's sitting. She was saying that he was really staring at her. And the implication was that, yeah, he was staring at her because she was an attractive woman and he wouldn't stop and she felt really uncomfortable. And she said, hey, why are you staring at me? He's like, yeah, I'm staring and just keeps doing it. That's her story. This occurred in either 08 or 09, according to her, and she tweeted this on May 8th, 2022. This was the first time she ever publicly told the story. So Daniel read this at the time and was pissed because he did not remember this happening at all. And in fact, he had remembered only positive interactions with her over time. They were not friends. They were never close. They never knew each other that well. But he had been interacting with her over time and everything was fine. And then he's like, wait a minute. I, like, where did this come from? I never knew that she thought I did this. But he didn't bring it up until, I'd say, like, late June. He was doing a, a, a vlog series. And a number of things were happening to Daniel, if you remember, during the World Series. Aside from him just not doing well in the World Series, he had a series of things occur. And uh, one of them was a woman who he had kind of an argument with in the hallway, and then she told a different version of the story than what really happened. Another one was really bizarre. This guy in Arizona was claiming that Daniel once had a family in Lake Havasu, and that Daniel ditched that family and won't acknowledge they exist, and that this guy actually had to rescue that family and have them come live with him, and that he's pissed at Daniel, but that he'll take payment so he won't go public, and Phil Helmuth knows about this, blah, blah, blah. The, the whole thing was BS. The whole thing was complete BS, and there's no chance that was true. The guy's timeline didn't make sense with Daniel's actual timeline with when he lived in Vegas. The guy was just crazy. I, I don't know if the guy really believed what he was saying or what. I think he actually did. I think the guy was just crazy. Anyway, Daniel had all this stuff going on, so he started revealing this stuff on his vlog, and I played this to you at the time in June. But with Daniel having all this occur... He then decided he's also going to talk about the Ebony Kenny allegation, which he had ignored for about a month, but he decided he's going to speak up about that too, given that everything else is happening there. He said, this here's another example of someone crazy accusing me of something I didn't do. And then he presented some counter evidence to what Ebony Kenny was claiming about him. And I will say the counter evidence was pretty strong. So I'm going to play you again what Daniel had to say about this. This was in the day seven of the Daniel Does Vegas vlog from the WSOP 2022. The title of this video is Fired Up for the 50K High Roller. You'll find this on Daniel Negrano's channel. And uh, you need to go to the one minute, 45 second okay, mark. This is clear bullshit. And I can... Let me go back a little bit here. Go back to the one minute, 45 second mark. And... You will hear 
Daniel's take on this whole thing. So for so 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 we live in a society, unfortunately, because this is the second time this happened to me in a month. Right, the first one I let go, didn't want to give it fuel. I'm like, okay, this is clear bullshit, and I can prove it, but let it go. I don't want to like make it a story when it isn't, because it's partly what exactly what the person wants, right? Because we live in a society today where, unfortunately, if you wanted like positive attention on social media, it is as simple as this: make up a victim story or two where you were victimized in one way or another. It doesn't even matter right male female whatever tell the story come forward with it the bear the bear, the truth has no in, there's no has no very it's not even a variable in this it doesn't matter all right just tell the story and while all, instantly you will get retweets and people's talking about how brave you are for telling it and da, da 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 and it does an injustice to actual victims and people wonder why the fuck i was so invested in the johnny depp thing well this happened to me twice this this person okay i'm gonna i'm gonna just because i i can't i can't keep it in everyone says just leave it let it go no this is some fucking bullshit all right in 2008 well i guess if i was accused of something this is as mild as it gets in 2008 i was accused of staring at someone at a poker table that was sitting next to me this was the accusation and it made this person so uncomfortable that they confronted on me now, he's talking about Ebony Kenny. He never names her in this video, but he shows on the screen the exact tweet that I just read to you. It's definitely that story. It's definitely Ebony Kenny. No question about it. He just doesn't name her for whatever reason. Confronted me on it. And then in the height of the poker boom in 2008, in front of a table full of people, I said, yeah, I'm staring. Like, it doesn't even fucking add up, right? That on its own. Okay? So then this person claims that they were happy to go busted with pocket aces because... Uh, you know, it was so uncomfortable that I was staring at them, right? And I guess they're, they're you know, implying that it was in like of a, of a of a checking out manner of some kind, okay? Same person, same person, 2008. Same person asked in 2014, who's your poker hero? Daniel Negreanu. His aura is spectacular and the things he's done and continues to do for poker are to be recognized and celebrated. He always has a smile for anyone and everyone, especially the amateurs. A lot more players should take a cue from him and be more welcoming and inviting for the players that do this for fun. Yeah, that's pretty strong. That was an interview with Ebony Kenny. I'm not sure who was doing the interview, but he dug this up. This was from six years after the supposed staring incident where she was so traumatized by his staring that even though it was her first 10k event ever she was happy to bust out with pocket aces to get away from him because she was that uncomfortable and then six years later she's asked who's your poker hero who could be anyone male female whatever out of the thousands of poker pros her answer was daniel DeGranu and said his aura is spectacular his aura is spectacular she said Six years after being so traumatized, supposedly, by his staring that she confronted him about doing, and that he just said, yeah, I'm doing it, I'm staring. And that made her actually want to bust out of the 10K event, and made her happy to bust out of the 10K event. Six years later, he's her favorite poker player. And keep in mind, in those six years, it's not like they became best friends, it's not like they had a bad start, and then later on they talked, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry about that, and then they got to know each other and became really close then that would make sense. No, they never were friends. They were never close. They were just acquaintances who would communicate occasionally over the years. She said right there in 2014, six years after this, that he is her favorite. Notice she didn't name a woman. 
Notice she didn't name another guy. Now, if someone traumatized you so badly in 2008 that you were happy to bust out of a 10K event to get away from them, is there any chance you would ever name that person your favorite poker player and say their aura is spectacular? Would you ever name that person as your favorite six years later? There's no chance, right? There's no chance. So she probably forgot that she said that. And you may say, well, maybe at the time in 2008 or 9, she was traumatized, but she got over it by 2014 and thought better of Negranu. But wait a minute. She wrote that tweet in 2022, which was 14 years after the alleged incident. So suddenly now she's traumatized again. So she was very traumatized in 08 by the thing that happened. Then in 14, she was so not traumatized that she thought his aura was spectacular. And then in 2022, all of a sudden she's traumatized again by what happened 14 years ago. It makes no sense. So either this didn't happen or a much, much, much milder version of this happened. Like maybe she saw him looking at her and she thought he was staring. And that's all that happened. Then she morphed it into that in her mind over time. I don't know, but there's no chance it went down that way because she wouldn't have said that he was her favorite poker pro and his aura is spectacular just six years later when really nothing had happened to change that. This is the same person who in 2008 was so disgusted by my presence at a poker table and was new to the game, their first 10K, that, oh, I am so happy to get bust out. Fucking bullshit. In 2020, I have cordial DMs with this person. I've always been friendly with this person. But this person decided that she needed to add a little oomph to the story. So she used my fucking name when it's complete bullshit. So, yeah. Now I think you understand a little bit. Yeah, so the reason I think that she wrote this in 2022 was because a bunch of women were jumping on Negranu. Well, not just women. Women and social justice warriors were jumping on Negranu for some of his thoughts about women in poker, which is like an endless debate. Like, how bad is the situation for women in poker? Are they harassed all the time? Are they rarely harassed? Are they harassed sometimes? And are the benefits of being female so good that maybe they are actually overriding any negatives that come with being female in poker? So there's a lot of ways to look at it and a lot of ways to discuss this. And Daniel was presenting his opinion, which Ebony Kenny and other feminists didn't like. And they jumped on him and they were trying to write bad things about him. So this was Ebony Kenny's entry of, oh, let me show you what happened here. So it was right around that same time. I don't think it was in that same thread. I think this was just like a general thread that Ebony started about her early experiences in poker. But it was right around that same time when people were jumping on Daniel for his opinion of how easy or not easy women have it in poker, from what I remember. But whatever, she just brought this up out of nowhere. It's not like Daniel said, hey, Ebony, remember when he played with me back in 08? Like, he has no memory of this at all. He has no memory at all, and I believe him. 100% I believe him here. Now, do I think it's 100% he didn't stare at her? No, he may have stared at her at some point. Like, maybe she sat down, and she has kind of an unusual look. I don't know if she looked the same in 08, but she does have an unusual look. She is either bald or looks close to bald. Depends how her hair is at the time. She has, like, an unusual hairstyle, and she's, like, a mixed-race woman, I guess, back then in her 20s, now in her probably late 30s. And... You know, she doesn't look like a typical woman you're going to see sitting down at the poker table. She has kind of an unusual look. So maybe he was just looking at her that way. Like, oh, I wonder who this is. She has kind of an unusual look. 
That may have been all it was. I don't think he was just staring, 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 staring like he's sexually checking her out and just couldn't get his eyes off of her. I think that was in her head. And I doubt that she asked, why are you staring at me? It's making me uncomfortable. I doubt he said back, yeah, I'm staring. Because something I want to tell you about Negranu, especially back in 08, is that he was great with the fans. He was great with the other people at the table. In more recent times, he's let his temper get to him. I know we had that controversy when he threw his tripod against the wall when he took a bad beat. But especially back then, he was constantly jovial, constantly very nice to everybody at the table, signed autographs, took pictures with people, would even kind of put on a show for the rail. This was someone who would never stare at women at the table and make them uncomfortable and then actually acknowledge that he was doing that if confronted on it. So the way I would have pictured it happening in 08, if she felt he was staring and confronted him, he would have said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not staring at you. I'm, I'm sorry you got that idea. And I was just wondering who you were, and I was just looking in your direction. Something like that. He wouldn't have said, yeah, I'm staring. Yeah. Yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah, like, he, he didn't, there's no chance he did that. I wasn't there, I can't say for sure. But from what I know of Daniel, and I played with him at the time, I played with him in 08 at the World Series. I saw the way he was. I cannot picture it happening this way. I just can't. So the story's either completely made up or it is morphed in her mind, whether intentionally or unintentionally. So obviously, given what she said in 2014, with Daniel being her favorite pro and his aura is spectacular, obviously she wasn't anywhere nearly as traumatized as she likes to say today. So that was the previous discussion of Ebony Kenny on this show. I talked about it when Daniel did this video back in June and had the other things going on. We didn't cover it that much because the more interesting parts of the story with Daniel involved that uh, Sarah Palmer woman who saw him in the hallway and had some words with him, and then also that weirdo in Arizona who was claiming that he had a secret family in Lake Havasu. So those were the more interesting stories than Ebony at the time. He kind of threw that in there because it had happened a month prior. But that is Ebony Kenny's recent history, and that was really the only time I discussed her before now. But let's get to the present here, because in the present, we now have something a lot bigger that has happened that does not really involve Negranu other than her discussing him again. Ebony Kenny is an ACR America's Card Room Pro. So she's a sponsored player on America's Card Room. And obviously she got this position because of her gender, being female, and her unusual look. And when I say unusual, I don't mean bad. Like, a lot of people find her look attractive. It's not really a look I find attractive, but she has an attractive face. I don't like the bald look. A lot of guys don't like the bald look, but she has an unusual look. And she is a kind of prominent figure in poker social media. So ACR grabbed her. If she were just a dude, there's no chance that she would be an ACR pro because her tournament numbers don't reflect anything special. She's been playing since 2007, from what I can see on her Hendon Mob results. She had about 400K in caches through the end of August 2022. So in 15 years, she had about 400K in caches. And, you know, it's okay. I don't know if she's a winning player at tournaments or not. 
I don't know how many things she bought into and for what level, but she didn't have anywhere near spectacular tournament results. There's no chance they would have selected her as a pro if she were not a female who is, you know, reasonably attractive with kind of a unique look. So that is why she was selected. Here's her description on the official ACR page about her being a pro. Ebony Kenny joined the America's Card Room team in late 2020. The well-known poker pro has racked up close to 300,000 in live earnings. It was now about 400,000 at this time, including 34k for finishing first in a $235 Rio Deep Stack event back in 2017. Now you know if her big accomplishment is 34k for winning a Rio Deep Stack event, which basically is what you play if you cannot afford to enter the World Series of Poker bracelet events, which is not a knock on people. I mean, I'm not saying that everyone should be able to afford it or that you're a bad person for not being able to afford the events. But if you're playing the deep stacks at the Rio instead of the World Series events that are going on at the exact same time, then you are not a star of poker. <laughs> I mean, that's the fact here. Anyway, she that was her big accomplishment, was uh, winning a $235 Rio deep stack event in 2017. It goes on to say, while Ebony's winning track record at live poker rooms dates back to 2007, these days she's renowned for her online presence. You can find her at our tables under the screen name Cinnamon Party, P-A-R-D-Y, not Party, but Pardy, or tune into her Twitch channel. Although she's only been streaming since late 2019, she's amassed a huge following. If you watch her in action for even a few minutes, it'll be obvious why. So yes, she became a Twitch streamer, and she became somewhat better known through that, but not super well-known still. Like, some people knew who she was, but she still wasn't a really big name in poker. Then it says, Ebony is more than just a professional poker player and coach. In fact, her talents and professional accomplishments are as varied as they are impressive. The modern-day Renaissance woman is an author, dating and confidence coach, social media personality, model, self-described pleasure engineer. I'll get to that in a second. You may wonder, what is a pleasure engineer? Is that a uh, woman who drives a locomotive and gives everyone pleasure with the way they move the locomotive? No. No, I'll tell you what a pleasure engineer is uh, shortly. Mother and the CEO and founder of UncagedCollective.com. Is there anything she can't do? Ebony is charitable, too. Several months before inking a deal to become an ACR pro, Ebony ponied up $10,000 to play in the All in America Celebrity Poker Tournament, which raised $2 million to feed the nation's hungry during the pandemic. Okay, but she didn't organize this. She entered this event. I don't even know if it was with her own money. I don't you know. Maybe someone put her in. I Who knows? But she entered a charity event. <laughs> like... Is that something you brag about? If you put on a charity event and it's a legitimate charity, then great. But she entered a charity event. It says, Ebony ultimately topped the field of 65 entrants, which included the likes of Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Tom Brady, John Hamm, and Brian Cranston. I remember that. I remember when she won the charity event. Want to know what Ebony is up to today? Subscribe to her Instagram, follow her on Facebook, blah, 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 blah. And then they have a bunch of pictures of her. Okay, so I think you get an idea from reading this whole thing. That this is a woman who is into social media, into promoting herself, has a high-maintenance, unique look, which involves being bald for some reason, and 
some moderate poker results. But could you see a dude whose biggest poker accomplishment is winning a 34K score at a Rio deep stack being made in ACR Pro? There's no chance. There's no chance. So she got that position because she's female, she has a unique look, and she's made herself known on social media. Now, I'm not against that. That's fine. That's great. I think whatever attributes you have that will allow you to promote yourself and get work and get sponsorships, if you want to use that and put yourself ahead of the crowd, then by all means do it. And I say that in all seriousness. I do not at all resent that someone like Ebony Kenny has an easier time getting sponsorships than I do. That doesn't bother me. I knowingly entered the poker space and I was very aware from day one that it was mostly dudes. So I knew I was entering a space with mostly dudes that I am not going to stand out by virtue of being a dude. And I don't. So okay, I'm not bothered by that. If I were in her position, I would do the exact same thing. If I were a female under 40 who had a look that was either good enough or unique enough to attract attention, and I had attention on social media, I would definitely try to get poker sponsorships even if my results weren't anything special. There's nothing wrong with that, and I say that in all seriousness. So I'm not going to criticize that, but at the same time, we must acknowledge it being the case. We can't say that she got this sponsorship because of her great poker play or because of uh, her dating and confidence coaching or her pleasure engineering or her authoring. None, none of that stuff matters. None of that matters. That's not why she got the job. The male equivalent of her would not have any sponsored pro position anywhere. I can say that for certain. So when talking about your situation in poker, that must be figured into the whole matter before you complain about anything. Before you say, oh no, everyone's so unfair to me. Life in poker is so unfair as a woman. You must look and say, okay, well, am I getting any benefit out of being a woman? And if the answer is yes, then that must be added into the equation as well. You can't just focus upon the negatives of being a woman in poker. It's very important, especially for this whole story. So that's Ebony Kenny's backstory. And, and I don't know everything about her before now. Like, I, I didn't really pay attention to her. I knew her, like I knew of her, but I did not ever really look into her. I've learned more about her this week than I knew before by a wide margin. Most of what I know about her I learned in the last few days. Anyway, remember she's an ACR pro. Remember the owner and CEO of ACR is a guy named Phil Nagy. Phil Nagy, I think, is around my age. And he's done very well with ACR. It's one of two major U.S.-facing online poker rooms right now. It's not legally operating, but it's still operating. And it makes a lot of money. So Phil Nagy is a rich man. And Phil Nagy has money to burn. So they have this Triton series, which is in Cyprus, and they have some very high-roller events in this series. Phil Nagy offered to stake Ebony Kenny in some of these Triton events. I don't know exactly how many she played, but she ended up doing very well in two of them. 
and cashing for a lot of money. Now, she is not keeping all that money. I know that for sure. But she will not reveal how much she is keeping of what she cashed. But between two events that she played at that Triton series in the beginning of September, just from two events she cashed, she now has added to her lifetime cash roll one million dollars times two she cashed about two million dollars total between two events she entered a 25k event there and cashed for 250k and then she entered a 200k by an event (laughs) and she finished fifth she was chip leader for a long time ended up finishing fifth for 1.7 million so that's just short of $2 million worth of caches added on to her existing about four hundred k worth of caches that she had coming into that. Phil Nagy is the one who put up the money. He probably got a healthy portion of that back because he was staking her, and we don't know what she kept, but that's what she cashed. That's what's officially on her handed mob now, and it attracted a lot of attention that a player who had never played events like this before, because it was out of her bankroll range, got to play them for the first time and did extremely well. And people were very impressed. She just shows up and wins like that. Now, I didn't watch any of the hands she was involved in. I don't know how well she played. I don't know how lucky she got. Obviously, she got lucky. Obviously, she didn't get those finishes because she was heads above the rest of the field. But, you know, maybe she played well. Maybe she played well and ran well. I don't know. I'm not going to comment on that because I haven't seen the hands and I haven't really seen discussion of how she played. But she did well. There's no doubt that she did well. There's no doubt that this was an impressive showing on her first high roller event series that she ended up cashing for almost $2 million. So, I mean, from that standpoint, good for her. Great. And I don't begrudge that she got the opportunity. Again, she would not have gotten this opportunity if she were male. She got this opportunity because of her gender and her looks. That's why she got the opportunity. But I don't begrudge that because if you can get the opportunity, then take it. As long as you're not scamming the money or scamming the opportunity, as long as you're using attributes that you have to get it that give you an advantage, then great. Use every advantage you have, every natural advantage you have, to get these type of opportunities, I'm totally fine with it. I would do it myself. So there was not really any controversy about this because it was pretty obvious that she was staked. And in fact, it was even in print some places that Nagy put her in. And people were impressed with how she did. And there really wasn't that much talk about it other than, wow, this is kind of a person who hadn't been seen in this space before who just comes in and beats it. Wow, that's pretty impressive. That was the narrative for the first few days following her victory. Then she went on Joey Ingram's show. Now, when Joey Ingram had on Bryn Kenny, who, remember, is of no relation to Ebony Kenny, when he had on Bryn Kenny, Joey Ingram did not like Bryn Kenny. Joey Ingram had hostile feelings toward Bryn Kenny and who he was and what he stood for. He didn't outright say that, but you could tell during the interview that Joey Ingram didn't care for him very much. That was not the case here with Ebony Kenny. They were somewhat friends going into this, which is why Ebony was excited to come on Joey's show, because she had always been friendly with him, 
and they always got along, and she thought this was going to be pretty much a show discussing her victory and her entrance into that high-stakes space and all that. And for the first hour, 45 minutes or so of the long interview, that's pretty much what it was. In fact, I'm going to play you part of that interview, but I'm not going to play you any part of it from the first hour, 47 minutes. And that is because it's just kind of boring, standard stuff. If you want to learn about her, if you want to learn about the tournament, the way it went and all that, by all means, go there and watch it. I'm not telling you not to watch it, but it's not controversial. It's not interesting enough to talk about on this show. I would not even be talking about it at all if we didn't have that final 38 minutes, which was controversial and which is spawning a big conversation in poker right now. So I'm going to start playing from the hour 47 minute 52 second mark and go forward from there because that's when everything started to go off the rails. A little of this was Chicago Joey's fault because Chicago Joey, who, by the way, you can tell is kind of uh, really pessimistic about the poker community now. He kind of sees the poker community as a a bunch of scumbags and that a lot of people don't uh, get called out for what they did because they're more popular than others and that uh, a lot of people just don't care about people's pasts and they just move past it and uh, keep their popularity and uh, admiration anyway. And you, you can see Joey is just really, really feeling down. In fact, he even did an interview with someone recently where he basically said that. So Joey is not a happy, jovial guy anymore. He took a long time off. He disappeared for a while. He came back. And you can kind of see why he disappeared, because he's kind of just depressed with the way poker looks. And I think he's actually more depressed about it than it really warrants, but I I do understand his points, and I can't argue with a lot of them. One thing that really pisses him off, and that he did already complain about in the past, was ACR. Joey hates ACR. He hates Phil Nagy. He really, really is obsessed with making them look bad and look shady. And, you know, a lot of his points are valid, like the big bot problem on there. That, that is a big problem on ACR. It has been for a long time. They've never adequately addressed it. So I agree with him there. I do think that he vilifies ACR more than they deserve. I think he's a little too obsessed with that subject for whatever reason. The basic premise of what he says is correct, but they're not nearly as shady or terrible as he likes to say. I think he just really has gotten the idea that Phil Nagy is like Satan incarnate. So unfortunately, this seeped into the interview a bit and colored Joey Ingram's view of uh, Ebony Kenny because she's an ACR pro, which I will say right now, despite various missteps on Ebony's side during the interview, as as I'll play to you. I will say that Joey kind of overdid the anti-ACR stuff and blaming Ebony for it and for being a sponsored pro there. Like, he was a little too harsh with that, and I think he shouldn't have let that hatred of ACR seep into this interview. It really didn't have much of a place here. So I will give Ebony that, that this wasn't really fair to her. But at the same time, she said a number of things that were off-putting, And most of what Joey said back to her, aside from the ACR stuff, I agree with. So there's kind of fault on both sides here in this interview, but I think more on Ebony's side for the last 38 minutes that went into the weeds, and that's what I'm going to play you. 
but you can decide for yourself because this is something that on Twitter people are not of a single mind. And actually on Twitter I'm seeing that more people are on Ebony's side than on Joey's side, which kind of surprises me because that's not the way I saw it at all. I, I definitely saw where Joey had some faults with the ACR obsession, but it, people were not seeing Ebony's fault in this and how she was off-putting in a lot of ways. So I'm going to play you various clips from this and comment just like I did last week in the Bryn Kenny interview. And we're going to start at the one hour, 47 minute, 52 second mark and go from there. If you want to see what happened before that, then you can find it on Chicago Joey's channel, which is called Joe Ingram One. They actually had a seven-hour after show, would you believe? A seven-hour after show, because the way this whole thing ended was so traumatizing to Joey that he actually had a seven-hour Twitch show that was discussing what occurred. <laughs> I kid you not. That's, I mean, I kind of feel bad for Joey and how poker's been affecting him. How can you talk about this for seven hours? And this comes from a guy who has a show that's like seven hours every week. I, I couldn't talk about this one subject for seven hours plus two and a half that had already been on there. I mean, it's crazy. But they, they had a seven-hour after show, too, which I'm not going to play you. So here is Joey and Ebony at the one hour 47.52 mark. You know, I think a lot of people out there, I mean, I don't know, but people, are, the women opportunity thing, I've heard some people say about that, you know, how important was like, being a woman to getting the opportunity. As you said, five people got offered. They didn't go to the event. They didn't. They turned it down. It sounded like the guy, the coach is a guy. So it's not necessarily like you were chosen just for that reason, but you no, know. No, I was, I literally like, there were so many no's and Phil, the way he tells the story is like, he was just like, okay, let me, let me stop thinking about this from like a, what's the GTO move for, for poker, right? Like what's the GTO move just from a poker perspective. Let me stop this for a second and explain what she's talking about. Joey was saying that some people were claiming that she only got invited to this Triton event because she's a woman, that that was a huge factor and that was the main reason she was chosen. So this is her response to it. For my $200, like he just looked at it from like, a, all right, this is forcing me to think outside the box and maybe I give this opportunity to someone who otherwise wouldn't have it. And he's in an interracial marriage and he says himself that he, you know, he has a daughter and he wants, he wants his daughter, you know, in 10, 15 years to look back at him and like, be like, Hey, my dad helped, you know, helped a black woman fulfill this dream. And like, okay, see, this is uh, ridiculous. Maybe that's what he did. I don't know what his thinking was in offering this seat to Ebony. And if that was the reason, if it's because he's in an interracial marriage, I don't know if it's with a black woman, but whatever. He's in an interracial marriage, according to her, which I believe. And he has a mixed race daughter and Ebony Kenny is mixed race. So maybe he kind of saw Ebony Kenny as like a, an older version of his daughter in a way and that made him like her, and he gave her this opportunity. That's fine. That's Phil Nagy's money. He can put anyone in for any reason. For whatever reason, he likes you, and he decides to put you in, and you accept it. That's completely fine on all ends. So I don't criticize that. But at the same time, she's not admitting the obvious here, that if she were not a woman, she would not have gotten it. 
I guess in a way she's kind of saying it, but she's also not saying it. She's more saying that this is GTO for poker, meaning uh, game theory optimal for poker. Almost like that this needs to be done for the poker community so we can see the representation in the poker community of a black female in the high limit events. That's BS. We don't need a GTO representation racially or gender-wise at high limit events. I mean, sure, it's nice if you see different races in the event that's that's distributed more along the lines of what the population is. That would be ideal, but that's not the way it is. And okay, that's the way it goes. That's the way it is with a lot of things. So it's not GTO for poker. It doesn't help poker that she's there. He didn't do this to help poker. He did this because she is one of his pros, and he probably felt that this would help ACR and ACR's image if he put in a woman like her and she was successful and then people would say, oh, look, you know, Phil Nagy's a great guy. He's giving a chance to a black woman to enter these events and she succeeded. Wow, what a great guy to do that. Like that. He's hoping this translates into dollar signs. He's hoping this translates into people liking ACR better, better if he puts her in and she does well. That's what I'm guessing is likely the reason he put her in. Maybe it was because she reminded him of his daughter or whatever, or his daughter wanted him to put in a woman of color in the event. I don't know. But the bottom line is, she got in because she's female. That's a big deal for me that somebody would want... You know, that's a standard. This is standard stuff in most that. businesses, Ebony, right? Like most, there's most communities, there's like funds, there's foundations, there's people that fund startups, there's people it's, that fund lives. It's not standard though. It's, in, it's not in maybe, poker. Uh, I'm sorry? Not in poker, right? But in other, in other areas, there are, yeah, not, in, not in every in neighborhood, industry. but there's a lot of people who do, who do try to do that. Yeah, they try. But the fact of the matter is that like, it's different when like someone wants to hire someone as like a talking head and be like, look, we're doing inclusivity and we're whatever. And it's it's very different when you hire minorities, you work with minorities, you work with women, you work with marginalized communities and you really work to, you put your money where your mouth is and like, not only do you hire them, but you listen to them, you take feedback and, you're, and you ask, how can we improve? And I think that's the thing that like, there has been a lot of controversy about Phil and his behavior and, and ACR and whatever, you know, but the, the fact of the matter is that he is taking feedback. He is open to criticism. Do you think maybe putting you in these events is in response to the controversy? Because if you remember, the controversy about Phil Nagy was that he was kind of crude and lewd with women that had some sort of association with ACR. And there were a number of allegations. Some were more credible than others. But I believe overall that he probably acted inappropriately towards women at times. Even he admitted that. So he's probably kind of a pervert who doesn't know when to keep his mouth shut and says lewd things that he shouldn't to women. And definitely he shouldn't do that. I'm not one defending that at all. But he's got this kind of dogging him. His critics are always bringing this up. So do you think that maybe putting in a black woman in an event like this might be something that would help his image? Do you think so? Now, again, there's nothing wrong with that. He can put you in there for whatever reason he wants, and you can accept it, and that's fine. But let's not make it look like that Phil Nagy cares so much about 
listening to the points of view from a black woman or helping the representation of poker tournaments. That's not why he's doing it. It's highly unlikely. And trying to sell it that way is just not genuine. You can just answer honestly. You can just say, look, yes, I probably got staked in the event because of my gender and my looks. And you know what? Uh, The opportunity came up and I took it and I think anyone in my position would and I made the most of it and I did well and I proved that I belong there and it was a great experience and I want to thank Phil for putting me in and choosing me. That's all you got to say. You can acknowledge that you got in there because you're a woman. There's nothing wrong with that. Why are you ashamed to admit that? I wouldn't be ashamed. If someone chose me for a stake ahead of somebody else who's more deserving of that stake, let's say someone just likes this show. Let's say someone's a fan of this show and says, Todd, I'm going to stake you in the Triton. And I say, are you sure about that? Because, you know, I'm not a regular tournament player. I'm probably not as good as these guys who play the 200K events, and I'm going to feel bad if I lose. But if they insisted, insisted, insisted and put me in, let's say it was a really rich guy, okay, and he puts me in, and he puts me in ahead of other people who would be more positive EV in that field than me, I wouldn't feel bad about it. If he said, look, I'm, I'm doing it because I like the entertainment you've brought me every week, on your show that you've done. I've listened for years. I just want to do this as a thank you. Like, I'd make sure the guy understands what he's getting into and that I'm probably not a positive expectation player in that field. But if he's okay with that and wants me in there anyway and can afford it, yeah, I'd take it. And I wouldn't feel guilty. I wouldn't say, oh, man, you know, there's some better tournament players out there who should have this seat, but just because I do a show every week, I get it instead of him. I wouldn't feel bad. Just like she shouldn't feel bad that she's a woman. And that whatever else Phil likes about her, that he put her in there. But don't BS about the reason. Don't talk about how this is some sort of social justice statement. It's not. And I put him in his place. I have full autonomy to put him in his place whenever I see. Like, I am. He doesn't ever make me feel like I. If I see something that he does wrong, I'm like, what the fuck? Stop. Yeah, see, you say it to him. Now, I haven't been monitoring her, her Twitter carefully. But I don't recall her being one of the loud voices against him when he was being criticized for his behavior. I think this was in like 2020 or 21. I think it was in 21. But when he was recently accused of being lewd and crude to various women, I didn't see Ebony Kenny railing against him on Twitter because he was the one who hired her to be the pro. So if behind the scenes she comes to him and says, hey, Phil, you know, you're not behaving right. You got to stop doing this. That's not the same thing as calling him out publicly. So I don't know why she's taking so much credit for what she supposedly says to him behind the scenes. And, he, and I explained to him how he can do better. And I because I want the same from the people in my life. Whenever I fuck up, I want people to call me out and I want to be awake enough to see it and to take the feedback so I can grow and improve. And to be honest, like there are, there's, yeah, in theory, there are a lot of companies, like everyone jumps on the bandwagon for Pride Month, you know, everyone jumps on the bandwagon for Black History Month. And then after that, they just forget about it and they stop doing the work. And are you doing the work year round? You know, are you putting your money where your mouth is year round? And this is, this was a statement. And he didn't choose me because I'm a black woman. He chose me. Yeah, yes, he did. So why are you saying that? He did because he's like, yeah, fuck it. Like, you're super cool. And Phil and I had never met. Uh Uh-huh. You're super cool, right? 
You got chosen because you're so cool. You think if you were a dude, you think if you were Edward Kenny, you would have gotten chosen? There's no chance. See, that's where the delusion is. That's where it's insulting to the viewer's intelligence to see you say that. Because it's not true. We all know it's not true. And it's fine. That's the problem. It's not something you should be ashamed to say. It's not fine to pretend that this isn't the case. It's like we're all sitting here in this mass delusion that any female who's been given anything extra because she's female and attractive and unique or whatever, that we can't acknowledge this. We can't acknowledge that there's any upside to being female where you have some advantages over males. We can only look at the downside. We can only look at the bad things about being female. We can't ever look at the positives that you get out of being female, especially if you're female and under 40 and attractive or semi-attractive. See, we, we're not allowed to talk about that. And if we do, well, we're then, then we're sexists and misogynists and everything else. And that's the problem. I want to talk about reality. And I'm quite willing to recognize the reality that there are men who mistreat women in poker. And I don't like that that happens. And it disgusts me when that happens. And you know what? When Devilfish died, remember Devilfish? When he died and people were celebrating his life and talking about what a great entertaining guy he was, you know what I was saying? I was saying, this guy treated women like shit. I witnessed it several times. I saw it happen. I thought this guy's an asshole. I thought this guy mistreats women and we should not be celebrating him. I said that. You can go back and listen to the shows when he died and I said that. You can look at my Twitter posts. You can look at my Facebook posts. You can look at my posts on my forum where I repeatedly said the devil fish does not deserve any kind of celebration because of how he mistreated women in poker. So I've made it clear my feelings about men who mistreat women in poker. But at the same time, I'm not going to pretend that favorable treatment for certain women in poker does not exist. I'm just not going to pretend that. Till this right in. We've literally never met. Mm. So. I think I've exhausted my Phil Nagy ACR uh, <laughs> allotment for the year talking about this. I Okay, now he's going to get into his criticism of ACR here. And this is the point of the interview where I feel that Ebony is actually being unfairly attacked. You're going to hear me criticize her a lot in this segment, meaning this whole segment on this show, not what I'm about to play you. But this particular portion of Joey's show, I felt he was being unfair to her. But let's hear what he says. As in my number one Good, topic, I, I never, I never want to talk about again. But I got they, 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 they want the question. I just asked them the questions, right? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, listen, I could go in so fucking hard on what you just said, but I'm, I'm going to choose not to because I am very passionate about ACR. And as they choose to service our great American poker players, they're one of the only service provided to American poker players. You got to hold these guys to the fucking standard, and that includes the ambassadors too. I feel like these ambassadors just get a free pass, man. You know, people come out, they shill, the, they shill all these products and they have no accountability or responsibility for whatever happens and uh that's why i talking about are we talking about your 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 great god uh doug polk and i'm talking about i'm talking about every everybody okay now she is already feeling attacked here and i don't blame her so he jumps to let's talk about acr but not just acr also the people who are shills of acr she he says referring to those who promote it really any acr pro that is promoting the site and that they deserve scorn as well for promoting what Joey sees as a very shady site. And she's an ACR pro. So obviously she feels like he is talking about her and she's already getting 
angry and defensive. But that's justified here because she really doesn't deserve this hate for being an ACR pro, especially given that from what I've seen, Joey has not gone after any other ACR pro. I haven't seen him bashing Moneymaker, for example, who's a much more prominent pro on there. Moneymaker is basically the face of the site right now. I haven't seen him bashing Moneymaker. I haven't seen him bashing any of the other pros on ACR. And here he's not bashing her directly, but uh, she's on the show. She's an ACR pro. You get the implication. So she immediately shot back with a Doug Polk reference because Doug Polk and Chicago Joey are good friends. And Doug Polk was recently in that controversy where he was promoting that cryptocurrency coin flex and then the whole thing went bad and people lost a bunch of money and Doug looked kind of bad. And we discussed that already in this show. And, you know, I, I didn't really feel like Doug did anything wrong other than being kind of ignorant to the risks that were, that were coming there. I, I don't think that Doug was trying to cheat anyone or trying to lead anyone to something that he thought was a scam. Like I, I already explained all that, but there's a lot of people who are critical of Doug because of his promotion of that crypto and it going bad. So she threw that jab in there, even though Doug had nothing to do with any of this discussion. Joey is saying, hey, let's call out the ACR pros for shilling something shady. And she's like, oh, you mean like your friend Doug shilling a crypto? <laughs> so, so then... Joey basically just talked over her and shut that down. But now this is already getting contentious, as you can see. They were friendly up until this point. This, this is when it all started going downhill, is when he's starting to imply that she is some of the problem shilling ACR, which is not really a fair line to take with her. Now, if he had been going after every single ACR pro, and she's the next one in line for him to give a hard time, okay, that's a little different. But She's the first one he's going after. And truthfully, if you think of ACR and who are prominent pros of the site, you're not going to really think of her. She's kind of like a more minor pro. So I don't really like this whole line he's taking, but it's part of Joey's anti-ACR obsession. But let's uh, hear what she has to say back. General, I'm talking about influencers, response, content creators, media creators. It feels like a lot of these people are they take these risky deals and they take deals to promote products and services and then you know it's like oh whatever like i don't I, nothing like if something comes from it they're like ah oh, it wasn't my fucking fault right and whether that's a, a a piece of food whether that's an nft whether that's investing whether that's financial advice i mean it's way crazier in other worlds right poker world you know it it, it poker world right we don't really have many products and services outside of a poker site and for the most part right like you sort of know what you're going to get in a lot of these poker sites but it's crazy that you have so there's no like common set of guidelines or things to follow for a lot of content creators so they don't really know mm -hmm. how or what or, or where they should promote or why it's dangerous to promote it and in the poker world especially you know you yeah. can lose a lot of money you it's really i think it's really important i mean people like they they make a big deal because no one has incentive to talk about it but oh, no, by the way i do agree basically with what he had to say and i've brought this up before remember when lock poker was ripping everyone off i was going hard against the poker pros that were still shilling them they were still tweeting hey play on the lock uh, sunday tournament when lock hadn't been paying anyone for six months and i'm like what are you doing here you're, you're asking your followers, your fans, to deposit money on a site that is not paying anyone. That is wrong. You know they're a scam. It's not even a question of maybe this is a scam or maybe this will turn out to be a scam later, but right now it's okay. You know it is a scam currently. Why are you promoting it? So I gave pros a hard time back then who were promoting lock poker. So I totally get where Joey's coming from. And he's right that 
we do have to have more scorn towards those that promote sites that are shady. Now, I wouldn't quite put ACR in that category at this point. So I don't think those who promote ACR deserve scorn. I think ACR has some problems. Like, let's say ACR came to me and said, Todd, we like your show. We like what you're about. We would like you to be either an ACR pro or have some, some other position here. And let's say they're going to pay me pretty well. Would I take it? And my answer is maybe. And the maybe would be conditional. I would say, okay, well, yes, but I have some concerns. I have some concerns about the botting on there that you guys aren't addressing. I have some concerns about the security, about how you handled that cash out scandal where money was just being stolen out of accounts earlier in the year and you guys didn't take action until I made a big deal about it on Twitter. Like, I want these type of things addressed. In fact, I'd like to be part of the solution in addressing them. And if they said, yeah, sure, we'd love to address these things and have your input and have you direct it, then I'd say, oh, yeah, I'll take that job. And as long as I was convinced that they were taking this stuff seriously and really trying to handle these matters, yeah, I would advertise ACR and I would promote ACR. So it's not like they're another lock poker or another UB that I hate and would never promote. This would be a site that's flawed, and as long as they agreed to address the problems and really did it, then yeah, I would promote it. So I don't think these ACR pros even really deserve scorn, but I agree with Joey's general premise that there is kind of a thing in poker that you can just promote what you want, and if it goes bad, whatever, you just move on. And, you know, look at Phil Helmuth with UB. He promoted it for so many years, he bailed out at the very last minute before they went down anyway because of uh, Black Friday. But for two and a half years after UB's super user scandal, he kept promoting them. And I know he probably had some ownership there or whatever, but still, how many people give him a hard time about that to this day? Not many. So he's totally right that we need to be harder on those in the community that promote scam sites. But I don't think ACR is quite there yet. But let's continue. You know, it is what it no, is. No, I mean, I, I I do agree with you that I do feel like there is a sense of responsibility. I felt this way outside of poker for a long time with content creators and like their, their skinny tees and like the shit they like promote that's like dangerously unhealthy and like body image stuff. Um, I, I am, I do think that, you know, with power comes great responsibility. And if you have an audience, you do have a responsibility to them. And for me, as uh, an ambassador and as a content creator, I am always as transparent as possible. And I I say like, okay, look, for me, this is what I'm comfortable playing. Like I don't play X, Y, Z. I only play this. I only keep what I'm comfortable with. And this, this isn't about ACR. This is like, hello, Black Friday. Like these are reputable sites and then your money was just gone, right? So like anything could happen. Right. And so that's where that's where I stand, you know, whenever I tell people, I'm like, don't keep anything on there. You're not comfortable losing because you don't know what can happen on any of the sites, point blank period. Yeah. And I think that's, that's an important thing to remember. And this idea that like, people are like, oh, I had my whole net worth on there. Well, I mean, whose fault was that? Okay, see, that's not the issue that's being raised about ACR. Of course, it could happen at any time that ACR just up and disappears or stops paying people and a lot of people get screwed. We, we don't have a guarantee that won't happen. We, we don't have visibility into what money they are holding as far as player deposits. 
and that's always a concern with any unregulated site. But that is not the main concern now. They've been operating for a while. It's been okay from that standpoint. They're very fast at processing cash outs. There's no sign at all that they're broke or near broke. So that is not what everybody's worrying about. She's right that you shouldn't keep more on there than you are comfortable losing in the case they go down. You should not have your entire net worth on ACR. That would be a big mistake. She's right about that. But she's not addressing the more troubling allegations about ACR, more specifically the botting and the collusion that goes on there, especially from Eastern European players that have been caught doing this. So I don't know if she's not aware of it or what, but it's funny that she's talking about the warnings she gives to people that aren't really the main things to be concerned about what's going on on ACR that's controversial. I guess that that's the main controversy and secondarily, and I don't really care about this too much, but secondarily, Phil Nagy's behavior personally, which again, I don't think is good, but I, it's not something that would keep me off the site from the stories I'm hearing. Now, like if Phil Nagy was a rapist or something, then yeah, that's a different story. But if he's just making lewd comments, I agree he shouldn't be doing that, and I agree he should be called out, and I agree he should be shamed for it. But like, as far as the list of bad things that could be happening that a poker site CEO is doing, uh, that's way down on the list. So the main concern to me is the uh, botting and other security issues on ACR. That's my main problem with them. And most people who have a problem with ACR, that is their main problem. In fact, that's Joey's main problem. And she doesn't address that stuff. You know, this is this is a very different. These are two Maybe different things. One way to look at it, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you know. I mean, if I if so, I tell yeah, you, you, you do have to take personal responsibility. So I agree. Yeah, it's like it's you're you as a as a person who has we have. It's never been easier to get information. Now you have everyone. Majority of people have smart computers at their fingertips. That our phone are better than the first supercomputer. Right, mm-hmm. are faster and can and more powerful than the first supercomputer that was created. So it has never been easier to have access to information and to do your due diligence. And I think that that is it's your responsibility as a content creator and it's your responsibility as a consumer. So it, it- oh, hold on, wait, 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 what, what, what? Hold on a second. If that's true, if you're saying that anybody who's going to sign up to ACR should Google ACR and Google anything negative about ACR and read up and then decide if you want to play, which, by the way, is a good idea. How come before becoming an ambassador there, she did not look into the problems they've been having with the botting? And why hasn't she ever addressed this? Now, I'm not saying that this is absolutely her responsibility to address, but it is funny that she's talking about how you have to do your due diligence and know what you're getting into, but it seems like she's totally clueless about the main criticism of the site. It, it goes both ways. And I am someone who is both a content creator and a consumer. And I know that like, I have a little bit of uh, skepticism in me. Like I'm very half class full, but I do do my reach before I decide to just blindly, you know, do something because someone I love via social media says that I should do this thing. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, obviously it's risky out there in NFT and crypto world. So a lot of people out there, I mean, a lot of people I saw, basically they don't think about it like this. They are using their audience to make money off of through shilling them these products and and uh, they get paid why, a lot why of money. Do we use, why do we use word shilling? Well, that's a fair word to use, but I understand her point. Again, Joey is kind of making a uh, backhanded criticism of her without directly saying it. He's still saying... 
hey, you're shilling ACR. They're a piece of shit site. They're no good. They're assholes. They're scammy, whatever. And anyone who promotes them, anyone who shells them, they need to take responsibility, including you, Ebony, because guess what you are? You're an ACR pro. That's what he's implying here. So I see why she's on edge about it, because th- this really is not a fair approach. Now, if he had Chris Moneymaker on, who is the current face of the site, the main site pro, then I could more understand this, because Joey could say, hey, Chris, you know, you're the one directly associated with ACR. It's pretty much you and Phil Nagy. Phil Nagy is the owner and CEO, but you're kind of the main celebrity face of it. So you really should get very involved in putting a stop to these negative things about it that still haven't really been addressed. And that would be fair. But Ebony Kenny is like a minor pro on there. Like, why is he hassling her? Why is this even part of the interview here? This is where Joey is letting his hatred of ACR take over. And it really doesn't belong in an interview with Ebony Kenny, who just is a minor ACR pro. So I'm on her side on this one for the most part. I hate this word. What do you want to call it? Promoting? Yeah, like... I mean, if you, like, if, you, okay. if, you, if you pay me, like I, uh, I get a lot of uh, offers from companies. I get a lot of offers from companies to pay me to literally say whatever the fuck that they want to write to send me, right? I am yeah, shilling like that you, product if, if I did that. If, if you don't have any, like if it's not a product that you use, it's not a product that you care about, if not whatever, that's shilling, right? But if it's something that you use and you believe in and whatever, then I don't, I don't think it's the same. And shilling just, there's so much negative connotation attached to it. And it sounds like it's just like, Dude, like the amount of people, every, all these businesses and every dream that's turned into like multi-million dollar businesses started because somebody was passionate about it and they shared with somebody next to them. Mm -hmm. So like for me. Okay. Then let me stop it right here. Let me stop it right here because now we're about to get into something crazy. You would not believe what's coming next. Okay. If you haven't seen this or heard it discussed or read about it, you're going to have no idea what's going to come next. If I could give you like a million guesses, if you didn't know enough about Ebony Kenny's backstory, you wouldn't guess this. What she is going to do next is lift up a necklace she is wearing, and she's going to show you a vibrator that she wears around her neck as a necklace. <laughs> really, that, that's her next move here is to show the vibrator she is wearing around her neck and always wears around her neck, apparently, as a necklace, a vibrator, exactly what you think it is, a vibrator. And she's going to explain that she believes in that product. (laughs) What? (laughs) What? But here it comes. Like, I wear this vibrator around my neck every single day. And I talk about it and I'm just like, bro, like I talk about the things that I'm passionate about. I'm not shilling it. I'm like, bitch, this is important to me. It matters to me, period. Come again. Actually, I guess come again is the point. Oh my goodness. She really just pulled out a vibrator that she wears around her neck in response to Joey here. He's like, you know, there's people who shill things and I don't like that. They don't take responsibility. And she's like, no, 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 no. People, they're not shilling. They are promoting a product they believe in like look here's this vibrator i believe in this vibrator i'm excited about this vibrator i wear this because i think this vibrator is something that i'm proud of and i can stand behind so i am promoting this vibrator i am not a shill and you have to know that look at this vibrator around my neck that proves i'm not a shill what (laughs) i didn't see that coming 
So like for me, like I wear this vibrator around my neck every single day and I talk about it and I'm just like, bro, like I talk about the things that I'm passionate about. I'm not shilling it. I'm like, bitch, this is important to me. It matters to me, period. (laughs) Bitch, this is important. This matters to me, period. Huh. Well, apparently, and I didn't know this until I saw this video, but apparently from what I'm hearing, she is honestly very proud of that vibrator and she is proud of the fact that she masturbates and apparently openly discusses masturbation at the poker table if you ask her about what this is around her neck. Because it's not obviously a vibrator. It kind of looks more like a railroad spike, like a small, skinny railroad spike. It doesn't look obviously like a vibrator, but that's what it is. It really is a vibrator. And if you ask what this is, she will tell you it's a vibrator and she will tell you right there at the poker table that she likes to masturbate and that she's very pro-masturbation as she thinks everyone should masturbate more. Yeah. Like, is that weird or what? Now, in case you don't think it's weird, let's look at this in another context. Let's say a dude showed up to poker tournaments wearing a fleshlight, you know, those little devices that males can use, a fleshlight. I'm sure you can imagine what that might be, even if you haven't seen it. Picture a male showing up to a poker table wearing a fleshlight and then sitting there at the table talking about how he wears that fleshlight because he loves to masturbate. Can you imagine how that would be received? Can you imagine how people would treat that guy? Do you think anyone would show him any respect? Or do you think people would go on Twitter and talk about what a perverted weirdo he is? And do you think maybe women at the table would talk about how uncomfortable they were to sit with this pervert who's got a fleshlight around his neck and who's bragging about how much he masturbates? And you know what? These women would be right. They'd be correct to be uncomfortable. And people would be correct to call him a weird pervert. But somehow, if it's a female and she's wearing a vibrator around her neck, (laughs) I, I guess we can't treat it the same way, which is weird. Like, I think anybody who wears a sex toy around their neck and talks about masturbation at the poker table is weird. That's not appropriate conversation. And it's not even like a joke. It's not like making a masturbatory joke. This is actually having a serious discussion about wearing a vibrator around your neck and how you use it to masturbate. It's just very weird. It's a very weird thing to do. It's a weird counter to what Joey's saying there. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Imagine wearing that as a necklace. That's just bizarre. That is just bizarre. And again, it's not a joke. It's not like a a funny gimmick or something. She's like serious about this. That is so weird. Let me go to the 159.29 mark where the Negranu thing is brought up, which is a good topic to bring up because we need to hear about this. We need to hear about the inconsistency in her story and the fact that she said that he had this great aura and was her favorite poker pro six years after he supposedly traumatized her so let's hear the negranu segment negranu tweets you make you make tweets about negranu or something like that what, sure. what's the deal with what's the deal with you and this guy dan negranu what's what's happening with you and him sure uh so he i made a thread and uh we saw the thread and i, I talked about because Daniel Grani, my friend was inspired by him asking why more don't, more women don't play poker. And I've had some phenomenal experiences in poker. And I made the thread 
not discounting the really good experiences I've had in poker, but more to show, right? Like, cause I think a lot of people see me as someone who's like pretty confident, I don't take any shit, and those are true. And I've also been greatly affected by some experiences I have had at the poker table, in a poker room, not even sitting at the table, maybe just standing in the poker room. You know, I have had a lot of uncomfortable experiences. And I think people will look at someone like Daniel Granu, the old version of him, not this new, I don't know, whatever the fuck this is, um, the old version of him as somebody who is untouchable and that he's not, he's incapable of bad behavior. And the fact of the matter is that we've all made mistakes. We've all done things that we're not proud of, right? I used to, and I, I've talked about this so many times. I've been very, very honest about this on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, in my podcast, on stream, in my newsletters talked about how I used to treat women very badly and how I used to be a pick me, right? So, and I've like, I have rectified the mistakes that I've made in my past. The fact of the matter is that when I tweeted that, 100% that happened. And in fact, with him saying like, oh, that didn't happen. And he made this absurd video of like, see what happens when, and he compared me to the woman who said that, whatever her name was, the woman who's like, said that she he approached her while she was recording or whatever. And he did this like very like obtuse, reactive, where he makes fun of people. Like, I don't know what's happening where he thinks it's cool to like bully people and have this like mocking mentality as if he is like somebody who remembers every interaction he's ever had. Wait, 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 wait. He's not bullying you. You brought this up about him. You attacked him and made him look like some sort of weird sexual predator at the table who made you feel so uncomfortable that you were happy to bust out of a 10K event. So don't say he's a bully because he's responding to it and giving his side of the story. But if you look on 2 Plus 2, there is a forum where I was a much worse version of the person that I am now, where I started a thread uh, it was uh, introducing a girl who plays 1025 No Limit, and there was a thread, and someone asked me about my experiences in poker. And in that thread, it was in 2008 or 2009, I talked about this exact story about Daniel Granio. And unless I planned on still being in poker in 2022 and deciding that I was going to throw Daniel Granio under the bus and make up this crazy story, this fucking happened. Okay, well, all that says, I haven't seen this thread, and she doesn't say which one it is, but all this says is that she's been telling this story for a long time. But that doesn't mean that it's true. It just means that this is a story she has liked to tell about Negranu for many years now. Maybe to get attention or to look like a victim. I, I don't know why she's been telling it. But, you know, if it wasn't for the 2014 article where she said that he's her favorite pro and he has a, a spectacular aura, if it wasn't for that, then I'd say, okay, you know, it's kind of unlike him from what I saw at the time, but, you know, maybe it happened or maybe something close to this happened, but it just doesn't make any sense. I think something happened. I think she may have imagined that it was much more than it was, but when you go out and say something like this, you've got to be sure before you assault someone's character in this way and make them look like a, a pervert sexual harasser at the table, you better be pretty sure that what you thought they were doing, they were really doing. And given that it was just, quote, staring, then 
you got to be sure that what you think you're seeing is what you're seeing. And I still don't believe that he just said back, yeah, I'm staring. It just doesn't make sense. It just wasn't the way I ever saw Negreanu acting. And it just doesn't make sense why six years later, why she would have said such wonderful things about him. But don't worry, she addresses that too, because she knows that Negreanu addressed it. So she's going to try to address this as well. And in the story, there's also a couple of things. You can see how outrageous and how delusional my mind was then, because I'm saying that these stories are funny. And it's also the second story that I thought was funny was when Double Fish was saying that he doesn't do fat girls, black girls, or ugly girls. And he laughed and said, oh, you're all in the clear. And like, I thought that was funny. Not like, I'm just like, oh my God, the the pick me inside that just was accepting bad behavior. And- I actually believe that part. Devil Fish would say something like that. And he got a pass for this for the entire time. Like he really was not called out like he should have been. And I, I witnessed it myself. I witnessed him being very disrespectful sometimes beyond disrespectful sometimes touching in ways he shouldn't i mean i i saw a lot of bad things out of him so i actually believe the devil fish said that at the table and i believe she probably thought negrano was staring at her but i think the story when negrano was probably exaggerated and she's even saying in that thread she was telling quote funny stories from her early poker career at the time and I think that uh, this really didn't bother her much at all maybe she thought negrano was staring at her and she was kind of amused by it that a big-time poker pro like Negreanu was staring at her, and she was kind of wondering why he was. Like, that's probably the way it was presented there. And then over the years, it morphed into him being so uh, traumatizing. And she's even saying there that when she was uh, describing it in 08 and 09, that these were, quote, amusing stories. So it doesn't even jibe with her whole thing about being so traumatized by his staring that she was happy to bust out. See, this is where we've got our inconsistency. If she was so traumatized, she wouldn't have said, oh, you know, you want to hear a funny story from a few months ago? Yeah, Daniel Negreanu was staring at me and I, I couldn't wait to get out of there. Ha 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 ha, that's so funny that a guy made me feel so traumatized by his staring that I couldn't wait to torch 10K off. Ha ha ha, isn't that funny? No, there's no way she would write that back then or now. The whole thing doesn't add up in order to just be accepted is outrageous. And there's a lot of shit in that thread that I am not proud of. I said some I said some shit to men in that thread. I own every part of it. That's who I was back then. I made mistakes and I think people can make mistakes. So yes, when I said that Daniel Grani was my poker hero in 2014, it was because I had had interactions with him after the interaction I had with him at Foxwoods. So people can grow and change. What, 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 what? Okay, so what were these interactions that changed it so much from traumatizing to your favorite guy? That's a big leap. It's not like Daniel Negreanu is a traumatizing pervert who stares at me to, all right, I guess he's okay. I guess it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that. It was to, he's the best guy. He has a spectacular aura. (laughs) That's a gigantic leap. To think that someone is the best person in poker not best player but the best person your favorite poker pro who's got a spectacular aura to think that you must think wonderful things about them you must think that they're a great person and if you've still got in your head the memory of them traumatizing you that just does not make any sense i'm sorry i have been so adamant about that but he has turned into this different version of himself that is so negative he shits on women now and he's his behavior is absolutely disgusting it's not inclusive and he he avoids confrontation and the way that he deals with it is by like bullying people and not engaging and not having interesting intellectual conversations what 
if there's something that can't be said about modern Daniel Negreanu, it's that he doesn't want to discuss things. It's the fact that he does discuss things that has been pissing people off. He's offered his opinions about a lot of topics, and some of those have gotten people angry. That's why he has a lot of haters now, whereas several years ago he had just about none. Several years ago, just about everybody liked him because he kept his mouth shut and he didn't say anything controversial. On Twitter now, the version of him she claims he no longer likes, now he is more willing to speak up and more willing to debate with people and argue with people, and some people don't like that. And I haven't agreed with everything he said. Sometimes I'll agree, sometimes I'll partially agree, sometimes I'll disagree. And I've said out here when I don't agree, you guys know I'm not a Daniel Negreanu fanboy. In fact, I don't think he cares for me that much. I don't mind him, but you know, I will criticize him when I feel it is warranted. I will defend him when I feel it's warranted, like right now. I think I'm very fair about Daniel Negreanu. But something you definitely can't say is that he hides from controversy or he won't discuss anything with you that you have a problem with. He definitely will. You just may not like what he has to say. So in, in my opinion, he needs to grow the fuck up and be willing to have tough conversations and don't ask questions you don't want the answer to. Hmm. So you're saying that he should be having these conversations with on his podcast or in public or no, not on privately his or not what, what, his, what? If, well, when he asks questions like why don't women play more poker on Twitter and right. people give the answer and he doesn't like the answer. He's allowed to not like answer. I mean, listen, I don't. Exactly, Joey. Totally agree with Joey here. She's mad that he asks, why are there not more women in poker? And then he kind of gives the opinion that there's just not a lot of interest. A lot of women just kind of don't want to play. Even if the conditions were ideal, they just wouldn't want to play. It's just not really their thing for most women. There's some who love the game, but uh, it's something that appeals in general more to men. And I believe that to be the case as well. And then... Some women were mad about that and were responding very angrily to him. And that's what inspired Ebony to post that story. But, you know, you can disagree with him and you can even think he's a jerk for saying that. You are welcome to your own opinion. And if you want to think Negreanu is an asshole for thinking that women just don't want to play and that it's not really the conditions of the game that are keeping them out, but that just they don't have an interest in playing. Which, by the way, is the reason that my girlfriend doesn't play poker. She has no interest in playing. She's not afraid to sit down because men are mean. She just doesn't want to play. She doesn't have an interest in the game. And that's fine. I know she's just one woman. But you ask the typical woman who doesn't play poker, even one who's the spouse or girlfriend of someone who plays a lot of poker, and you say, well, why don't you play? The top answer you're going to get by a very wide margin is, I just don't really have an interest in it. So I think what Negreanu said is mostly true. Now, you can disagree with him, and you can think he's a jerk for saying it, but he doesn't have to agree with you. It seems like Ebony is angry that he didn't agree with the answers he got, that you couldn't teach him to think like you, which is not the way Twitter works. Fine. That's you fine. Can, I get a you lot of answers. I don't have to like, to like every answer. answer. You have to like the answer. But if you... if. If the truth involves your, some of the way that you treated people, like, right, I'm responsible also for maybe there's not more women in poker because of the way that I treated women in the past. Mm-hmm. I haven't always been the person I am now, which is why I work so hard to uplift women because I know the damage I cause mm-hmm. in, this, in this industry for the people I love the most. 
Women are my favorite fucking creatures on the planet. And I want to uplift them and love them and make them feel nothing but good things for me forever. And I didn't always do that. I fucked up a lot. I hurt a lot of people. And I'm owning that. And this idea that like you can't own your shit, like grow the fuck up. You did this, you made mistakes, you made people uncomfortable. You've made several people uncomfortable, several. This is, hello, maybe maybe you're part of the problem. This seems like a lot of virtue signaling to me. It really does. Also, what has she done for women in poker? In fact, when asked who her favorite pro was in 2014, she named a man. She named Negreanu the harasser. But even recently, what has she done for women in poker other than put up angry tweets against men she doesn't like? I haven't really seen her do anything for women in poker, which she doesn't have to. You're not required to advocate for women in poker or do anything for women in poker if you are a woman in poker. I haven't really seen her do very much. And and just tweeting about something doesn't mean you're doing anything. Maybe she has. I don't know. I haven't followed her that closely, but I don't remember anything she's doing that's uh, making much of an impact for women in poker. So this is kind of a weird line to take. It's also weird to say, well, I didn't treat women very well either, but I do now. So why can't Negranu change like I changed? But he doesn't mistreat women in poker. There aren't stories like this. It's not like there's stories all over like there were about Devilfish, about Negranu sexually harassing women or being nasty to them at the table. There's no stories like this. I, I just don't hear any stories about Negranu being a jerk to women in poker. Now, there are some people in poker who don't like him who happen to be women, but it's not because they're women. There's just some people who don't like him. But he's not known as a degrader of women or a sexual harasser, and I don't believe he is. I don't believe he's ever been. And this idea that you're not, that's such bullshit. Such bullshit. So, Daniel, you're saying that Daniel says he's not part of the problem why more women aren't in poker. Correct. Right. And you're saying that he is a huge problem and he is one of the leading reasons. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying he is a huge problem. I'm saying that he has contributed to why there's not more women in poker. His behavior is part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, there are a lot of people whose behavior or whose complicit behavior is part of the problem. That's not true at all. About Negreanu, at least. I've seen at the World Series of Poker, he is very nice to the female fans and the male fans. He's just very accessible to the fans and, and very nice and very cordial at the table and very cordial to people on the rail and will sign autographs and take pictures. So I believe that Negreanu has brought more women into poker than once he's scared away by a wide margin. There's no way for me to prove that, but that is my belief from my observation of him over the years. And again, I'm not a Negreanu fanboy. I'm not his friend. We will never be friends. I'm just stating it how it is from what I've seen. Okay. I'm saying that for me, me personally, there he did say some things that were outrageous. And I know several stories from several people of things that he's done that are that make them very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, and you're saying he hasn't apologized. Me, he hasn't come out and said, I did that. I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that again. He basically yeah, saying like this is and it's and then he doesn't have to he doesn't have to like say like I'm sorry for every like oh I'm sorry for this I'm sorry for that I'm sorry for that it's like hey yeah maybe I did do some shit that I don't remember doing or maybe I did grow like I was a different person or I was immature or I didn't know that these things 
were taken this way or I didn't mean to, but I realize now how my actions might have made people uncomfortable, right? It's about just looking back and being like self-aware and reflecting on your past behaviors and owning your shit instead of being delusional and thinking that you're just this perfect person who's never done anything wrong. That's outrageous. And when you are an ambassador, like he's totally ditched this kid poker mentality and has turned into, I, I don't know what this version is. It's outrageous. It's really outrageous. Well, he ditched the kid poker mentality. Now, kid poker was his original nickname in poker. I'll tell you why he ditched the kid poker mentality. It's because Daniel Negreanu is currently 47 years old. <laughs> you think he should still be kid poker? How is he kid poker compared to someone who's 90? When you're 47 years old, you shouldn't be kid poker anymore. He was kid poker in the mid-90s when he came up with it. But we've had a lot of years since then. So now he's like middle-aged poker guy. He ditched the kid poker mentality. What do you expect? He's 47. What the hell? So, yeah. Hmm. I used to agree with you before I took a long break. Now I see I see Daniel Negreanu way differently. And obviously what you're talking about, your story is, you know, it makes a lot of sense, right? I'm sure he seems to make a lot of people feel that way. So you're not the first person I've heard say he made them feel uncomfortable. On the other side, he would say, you know, the guy should be able to act how he wants to act. He's a 45-year-old man. If he wants to take pictures of himself at the pool or saying or doing things, then he should be able to act and do however he wants yeah, to act. I don't act. care about any of that. It's about, it's about attacking other people. And honestly, I'm not gonna take comments from anyone that slept shames in the chat. So that I'm just the, the person who's doing that. So I'm not, I'm not engaging in that. What do so, you mean? And what? It, it's just, it is what it is. <laughs> about what, what do you mean? Uh, I'm just, I'm just gonna leave it at that. You fire, you fire, you're, you're passionate, I love it. I mean, I guess Ber yeah. Berkey in the chat talked about Phil Nagy, I mean, a lot of these, women say the same things about Phil Nagy as well, where Phil Nagy was involved in these incidents with women, or he may have been saying some uncomfortable things, or he may have been sliding in DMs and stuff like that too. So, you know, it sounds like he may have that same sort of impact on women as well in the community too. So I guess- 100%. And, and the fact of the matter is that I don't have, there's not people around Nagy saying it's okay. Like mm -hmm. the thing is, is like, I've had multiple conversations with Nagy about things that, ha that he said or, or whatever. And I am, I go hard in the paint period. Everybody that knows me has seen me in any kind of interaction with Nagy, with anyone. Like I don't hold back. I'm that part, like anyone is gonna get the same amount. Like I'm like, that's not okay. You don't do, right? And just because I still work for a company, it's like, do we want progress? The at, at the end of the day, right, for me, like in order for more women to be in poker, it's not about telling the men to shut up and sit down. It's about working with the men. Like, and men, people are allowed to make mistakes. Okay, you know, there is kind of a point to be raised here that if you're going to attach your identity to the major feminist poker movement that you're going to really go hard against any guy in poker who is believed to mistreat women. If you go represent a site that is run by a guy who faces those allegations from multiple women, that does kind of make you a hypocrite. And I'm not saying no women should ever be ACR pros. I'm saying that no women who make their identity around this should be ACR pros. If you're going to go around social media 
and constantly make an issue of how women in poker are treated, and then you go work for Phil Nagy, yeah, it looks kind of hypocritical. It makes it look like the almighty dollar at the end is the more important thing. And it's a cop-out to say, well, you know, we're here to work with Phil. We're here to make him better. We're here to reform him. That's BS. <laughs> you know, I, that's not how it works. If there's a guy who's behaving in a way you find reprehensible, you don't go work for him to change him. You just don't work for him. Now, if this is not a huge issue to you, and you feel, well, he shouldn't have made these comments to the women that he did, but overall, I don't think he's a bad guy, so while I don't approve of it, I'll work for him, and uh, hopefully his behavior changes. That's a reasonable approach, but not, okay, I'm the super advocate for all women, and I'm going to come really hard at anybody who ever makes women feel uncomfortable. Oh, except for the guy who I'm working for, I- I'm going to go actually work for him and represent his site and make him more money. And I'm doing it under the auspices of changing him. That's BS. That's excuse making. So when you take a hard stance like that, you do give up potential money. But it seems like some of these activists in poker want to have their cake and eat it too. They want to wave the feminist, I'm the defender of all women flag while still having lucrative sponsorships. They don't want to turn those down because someone associated with the company or the owner of the company has those allegations against him. So what do they do? Oh, we're here to work with him. We're here to change him. Yeah, I don't believe that for a second. Are allowed to get better. And like, this isn't, I don't believe in cancel culture. I never have, because if so, I would have been canceled years ago period, right? Like I'm allowed to grow and make mistakes and people shouldn't be afraid to make mistakes. And I'm not saying that like sexual harassment is a mistake. I'm just saying that like people are allowed to grow and do better. Okay. Let's pause right there. So that's what she claims she believes right now at the 209 mark, approximately two hours, nine minutes into the show. She is saying she doesn't believe in cancel culture. She doesn't believe in going after someone hard just because they make a mistake, that she's made mistakes before, that you try to work with them. So remember that attitude and then listen to what happens nine minutes from now in the show. When they're called out, how they react to that being called out is very kind of representative of how they move forward. Okay, remember that too. How they react to being called out. So she doesn't want to cancel people over something they say that's a mistake. She wants to work with them and then see how they react when they're called out. And if they react properly, then you need to forgive them. That's the message she's putting out, which isn't a bad message. I agree with that. But let's see how she actually puts it into practice, which will happen in nine minutes. Right. And, and that's the difference. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of people are just saying that you're advocating. I mean, you're advocating for Phil Nagy. And if Phil Nagy has been treating... First of all, I'm not advocating for Phil Nagy. I'm advocating for owning your shit and and growing. That's what I'm advocating. I mean, you're doing both. It sounds. I mean, you are basically advocating for Phil Nagy, right? You're advocating for for. I don't know. I mean, I don't see how a different how you can say a different way. You, could, you you're literally doing both. just asked me, and I said that I am. I'm a big no, believer I, I, in progress. No, I agree. So, I agree. Okay, so so basically, the difference between Negranu and Phil Nagy is Phil Nagy is. I mean, that's just what the, the people in the chat want to wonder, right? They're wondering the difference between yeah. the two. It sounds like the kind of guys, it sounds like both of the guys are doing the same kind of thing to me. They're making people uncomfortable. They're putting people in situations. They're being bullies. They're treating people a certain kind of with, way. What I'm saying with Daniel Granu is he has a platform 
And he's literally, like, when he gets called out, he just, instead of saying, like, oh, maybe I could have done X, Y, Z, he just attacks and, and is a bully. Right. Whereas I'm pretty sure Nagi did not do that via social media. So she's trying to find a way to worm out of this. So she's saying, oh, well, look at Nagi. When women accused him of sexual harassment... He just quietly said, oh, sorry about that. I didn't realize I was offending anyone. I'll try to do better. Whereas uh, Negranu comes back hard and says, no, I didn't do it. I'm denying this. I'm fine. And that's why she's okay with Nagy and not Negranu. This is a cop-out. This is a cop-out. It's a different situation because Nagy actually owns a site. And Negranu is just an ambassador of a site. And... Also, the allegations against Negranu are mostly bullshit of these of this variety. It's not like Negranu is known as a serial sexual harasser. He's not. Nagy is the one who had a lot of allegations against him. Nothing super serious, but a lot of inappropriate comments by different women they've alleged. Okay? Negranu hasn't had that. So Nagy, instead of telling these women, oh, you're lying, which is going to create even more controversy, especially if he knows he actually said this stuff. He just says, oh, I didn't realize I was uh, making you feel uncomfortable. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said some of these things. I'm going to learn from it. I'll be better. And that diffuses it. That's the smart thing to do. Whether he believes it or not, that's the smart thing to do. Negranu is like, wait a minute. I didn't do these things. Wait a minute. These are false allegations. Wait a minute. I don't deserve this criticism here. It's apples and oranges. So I don't like that answer. Yeah. Regardless of what people think of how he responded or they're not happy with X, Y, Z. And I'm not, I don't know all the ins and outs, so I'm not speaking on it and I'm not defending anything. I'm just saying that I have never held back and giving him a full piece of my mind about this situation, about any of the situations that have come up. And I will never stop doing that. I will give every single person when I see them doing something wrong, I'm going to call them the fuck out, period. That's it. Mm-hmm. And so it's like whether I love you, whether I respect you, whether I, I whether I don't want anything to do with you. When I see something wrong from me, it's up to me to say something. Mm-hmm. I'm not just going to be like oh, I'm just going to let this die down and pretend it didn't happen. Yeah, I mean it's I mean it's really important that you know the people in the community who have the influence on these certain people who maybe are doing these kind of activities in the community they speak up and say something. So when you're close to Phil Nagy working with ACR now from this tournament. And uh, I think a lot of people said maybe, you know, hopefully he does get better. Hopefully he does own his stuff. Hopefully you're able to make that impact on him. And I guess going back when you're talking about Daniel Negreanu with this guy, I mean, it doesn't seem like this guy has any interest in really shifting the kind of personality or the person he's going to become. So no, I, what, what are you advising for him? Is, I guess. Yeah. The thing, the thing is, is like what he, what he's doing when I, like he's discrediting women whenever he's like, that didn't happen. She's, She's crazy. She's X, Y, Z, you know? And it's just like, what are you doing? Yeah. Okay, I'm only seeing that twice. I've seen it with you, Ebony, where it looks like his story adds up and yours doesn't. And I've seen it with that woman, Sarah Palmer, who tweeted about something that occurred with him at this year's World Series, which he happened to have video of the incident, and it turned out the way she described it wasn't true. So it looks like both of his rebuttals about how he treated women were correct. So there's nothing wrong with clarifying what really occurred. You can't just apologize for something where you didn't have wrongdoing. 
what are you actually doing you know and like he's obsessed he really thinks he's like some like he thinks he's the johnny depp of poker like he's obsessed with johnny depp right now and he's just is like everybody is like making up these stories like it's just it's ridiculous it's uh-huh. ridiculous i love it you're passionate people in the chat say me and abby this, this is me having a normal conversation we always get fired up about things <laughs> i think people always say oh they got to agree on things i'm like my favorite my favorite conversations like everyone got different viewpoints right so just because somebody got a different viewpoint than me i think people like think if you got a different viewpoint they don't like each other but everybody has different different opinions on things so yeah if i if i only had people in my life that agreed with everything that i said i would literally just be in like a tunnel like an echo chamber of like my only way of thinking and that's not how you grow and that's not how you get challenged and and get better and learn Okay, but that's not the way she treats it today. She's complaining that if you bring up to Negranu why he's wrong about why women don't play poker and he doesn't agree with you, that makes him a bad guy. So she's saying, oh, I don't want an echo chamber. Basically, what she's saying is she wants to talk to people who disagree with her, but only to educate them to think like her and have the same transformation that she supposedly had. But she's not going to transform at this point to be more like you because she's already grown. She's already an enlightened person who knows the way things really are and should be. And because she grew that way, you need to grow that same way. So she doesn't want an echo chamber. She wants to have people like you who don't agree with her that she can convince to agree with her, but not the other way around. Okay, we're going to jump over to the last part where we get the real fireworks, the real controversy that nobody saw coming because it had to do with a chatter. Not just a chatter, but a person who is a moderator in the chat because Joey has moderators there that I guess uh, are there to remove anything that shouldn't be there. You know, for example, people start spamming advertisements for their site or whatever. But Joey takes a hands-off approach now to chat where he doesn't censor content. Like the mods, what they're supposed to do there is just remove spam and junk, but they're not supposed to censor people for stating something unflattering or insulting about Joey, about the guests, about anyone. So he kind of takes a free speech approach to his YouTube chat room. And a controversy came up about that during the show because she's reading the chat as she's talking to him. But she gets mad at a moderator for something the moderator says. Listen to this. And, And felt safe and supported. And it's going to take working with the people that have these, like it's going to take for me, like, it's not about like, okay, I have to cancel Daniel Grano. I would love to sit down and have a conversation with him. I'm not opposed to that at all. I, I want him, because for me, the way through, like, the way for more women to be involved in poker on, in a successful way is to involve everyone, not just, like, only the women, not just only the people who believe everything that I believe. It's going to take everyone doing their part and seeing a, a better vision and seeing, you know, like, creating a better path for people. That's what it's about. It's not about, like, oh, you're canceled, fuck you, don't like you. This isn't, this is not the way to grow the game of poker and create a better environment for women. It's just not. Hmm. Okay, so your thesis is more women should be playing poker, and and because other people aren't treating them well, then 
that needs to stop. People need to treat them better at the poker tables. And you're going to be the one of the people who leads that change and becomes one of those voices who not only educates the men, but also women in why that's important and how to go upon doing that as a solution versus how it's, it's been not- in the past where it's been pretty uh you know misogynistic in terms of the way women are treated in terms of the general attitude at the poker table you know poker's pretty out of line game live poker games are pretty out of line people so what who is this per- how, how, is he a mod who dark angel Okay, so this is where it all falls apart. I played the part before that because you got to hear her speech about, again, she doesn't want to cancel anyone, that women need to work together to make the poker world better, blah, blah, blah. And then she notices what Dark Angel said, who is a mod in the chat. Dark Angel 0715. Uh, I don't know. Can we, can we, do you have a mod in the chat? Yeah, I got them on the chat. They're, they're working. I don't know. This chat. This chat's crazy, bro. I don't know what these what the chat's like, talking about. Like, people are wild. Yeah. Everybody got their own opinion. Ebony, listen, everyone's got an opinion. You know, what makes your opinion more more valuable? That's what I always say. Like, who gives a fuck what I got to say what? about these okay. things, right? Okay, like, why? Joey, why? Joey, Joey, we, uh-huh. can't, we can't, like, have comments like, women need to stop being bitches and fighting each other. And then you say, like, everyone's got their own opinion. Okay. That's exactly why the poker environment is as toxic as it is right now, because we allow comments like this to live. And we just which, downplay which, which it as comment? an opinion. Which comment? The women need he, to stop? He said women need to, women need to stop being bitches and in fighting and support each, each and every one of the women playing. Like, uh-huh. why, why does he need to use this kind of language? That's a woman. Okay, so... Why does he need to use this kind of language, she says there. And then you heard just before I stopped it, he said, that's a woman. So Dark Angel 0715 is not a sexist who's calling women bitches. Dark Angel is another woman. Oops. Well, that kind of kills the sexism argument, doesn't it? (laughs) She was sure that there was some misogynistic dude in chat who also was a chat moderator who was calling women in poker bitches. And she did not like that one bit. And I didn't expect her to know it's a woman. I didn't know it was a woman either until Joey pointed it out. Dark Angel 0715 could be either gender. It turns out it's a woman. But that should kill it right there. She may not like the comment, but definitely this was not a sexist comment or misogynistic comment because it was made by a woman and Joey knows who that is. He doesn't say her name, but he knows it's a woman, and I believe him. So that kills the sexism angle for the reasoning of uh, being so mad at it. But maybe she still doesn't like the comment. But let's listen to the comment again. Women need to stop being bitches and infighting with each other and support each other. Something along those lines. Well, okay, so basically this dark angel who is female was saying that there are too many women who are being bitchy to one another and are fighting with each other. And there needs to be more solidarity in poker between women in the game. That's what Dark Angel's trying to say. Maybe you agree. Maybe you don't agree. I think that Dark Angel's kind of right. Maybe it's not as bad as Dark Angel is trying to say, but I think she's at least somewhat correct. There, there is some infighting with women. There is uh, some toxic behavior between certain women in poker that maybe uh, shouldn't be as bad as it currently is. So I think that's a fair point that maybe women should look at how they treat each other and have more solidarity and that will encourage men to treat the women better as well. So I think that's a fair comment. And just saying that women shouldn't be bitches to each other, I, I think 
you know, if a woman's going to say that to another woman, and she's making the point that just in general women should not really have as much infighting as they do in poker, that's not insulting to Ebony, nor does it seem to be aimed at her. This is just a general statement about a way that women can have better treatment in poker, where they don't mistreat each other and set a good example to where the men don't see it normalized to have people mistreating women. Because maybe if the men see women mistreating women, they're more likely to mistreat women as well. Now, I'm not blaming women for the men that mistreat them. Each person is their own individual, and any man that chooses to mistreat a woman at the table, whether or not he sees another woman doing it, it doesn't matter. If he chooses to mistreat a woman at the table, that's wrong, and the guy should be called out for it. But I'm saying that this isn't that bad of a point, and it definitely isn't insulting to Ebony. She may not like the comment, she may think it's rude, she may be uh, angry at this dark angel, but you know, this is just a chat mod. It's not like Joey said it. This is a chat mod who's just kind of raising a point. So let's listen to how this plays out from here. There's only six minutes left in this interview. That's, a, that's, another, that's another woman. Why does she need to use this kind of language? And it doesn't matter. Why does she need to use this kind of language? It should. This kind of comment shouldn't live from a woman, especially. Whoa, hold on. This kind of comment shouldn't live from a woman, especially. She just said you don't cancel people. What, what is this? She said that you, you can't be in an echo chamber, that you don't silence someone because you disagree with them, that you need to talk to people who you don't agree with in order to grow but she says this comment shouldn't live here it's, so it's, people shouldn't be allowed to say certain things if if people disagree no, with that what what i'm saying is that it, calling people names shouldn't just be dismissed as having an opinion that's still attacking that's still bullying that's still outrageous behavior but she's not she's not calling anyone names she's not saying ebony you are a bitch she's saying women shouldn't be bitches to each other you may not agree with the comment, but it's not calling people names. It's a general comment about the women in poker and how they should behave towards one another, and it doesn't even seem to be aimed at you. Mm-hmm. What's outrageous? So certain words are outrageous. Joey, no, I'm just trying to. I'm trying to. I'm trying to really understand what you're saying, right? I mean, a lot, I hear a lot of people say this on Twitter all the time, and you, I, I, I let anybody people, say whatever they want to say. People, yeah, but when you allow people in your community to just call women bitches, mm-hmm. it creates. A mindset that is toxic and and facilitates this exact kind of behavior which is exactly why like in my like my twitch community this mm-hmm. kind of language is is like we call each other like we're the bad bitch army i use all the curse words every- what 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 hold on, what hold on a second so the language that was used by dark angel which again wasn't insulting ebony or wasn't insulting anybody she used the word bitch so that is inappropriate however Ebony calls her fans the bad bitch army. (laughs) And Ebony says she uses every curse word invented. So, Joey, I don't like the language being used here. Oh, and uh, I call my followers bitches and I use all kinds of other curse words. What? I mean, can you be more of a hypocrite? Everyone's allowed to curse as much as they want. But what I don't allow is people to call other people names and like call people like bitches and whatever in the way like with their intention behind it and so like you really do kind of like dictate how you're like what level of toxicity you allow in your community Mm -hmm. and and that's all i'm saying is like people like this is like part of the like you also have a responsibility you're a content creator and when you allow this kind of language to happen it's like at what at what uh like what's the cutoff right now if you go into the 
YouTube video, you can see the chat scrolling. Not if you watch it on your phone, but on a desktop device, you can see the chat scrolling on the side. And what you're not going to see is the actual comment from Dark Angel 0715. So why can't you see the comment? Why do you, you can see everything else, and you can see other things that Dark Angel's saying. You can't see that comment. Why? Because Dark Angel felt bad and deleted it. Dark Angel apologized. Dark Angel said they didn't mean to cause all of this controversy and that they've removed the comment. So shouldn't that be exactly what Ebony was saying before? That the way someone reacts to a mistake is how you judge them? But she's ranting on and on and on about this person, how they shouldn't be a moderator, their comment shouldn't be allowed, blah, 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 blah. And she's reading the chat, so why doesn't she say, oh, good, Dark Angel feels bad about the comment and took it away and deleted it. So, okay, problem solved. Okay, good. I'm glad uh, Dark Angel realizes she shouldn't have said this. Okay, let's move on. Which, by the way, I don't think anything was wrong with that comment, but Dark Angel apparently felt bad about it and didn't want to cause trouble. So, isn't that good? Another woman said, I'm sorry, and deleted it? Isn't that exactly what you want? But but for some reason, that didn't pacify her. Like, if someone drops the N-word, like, you're probably going to, you know, probably going to delete that. But it's mm-hmm. okay to call women bitches. Like, I don't know. Where, where do we draw the line? Yeah, I guess that's a good point, right? Everybody got their own opinion on things. So I'm not that about that censoring that hard. I used to be maybe more about censoring everybody and... and and if people disagree with me, cut them off. But at the same time, like... Not- I, I- but hold on. I have a question here. What if somebody was in Ebony's Twitch chat, which I've never been, but let's say someone's in there, and someone made the comment, you know, I wish that guys at the poker table would stop being dicks to everybody who's around them. They're making the whole place unpleasant. I'm so tired of these dicks at the poker table. Would she delete that? Isn't that the same as calling a woman a bitch? calling a guy a dick? I don't think she would. I think she'd agree. I think she'd say, yeah, we need to have fewer dicks at the poker table. I agree. And that's true. We do. This is a crazy hill to die on. Like, like, why is this such a big deal? This wasn't even something directed at her or anyone or anything really offensive. I'm, I'm way different now about that. I don't, I don't, I don't, actually, I don't agree with it's that about, level of censorship about anymore. censoring people. For me, it's not about censoring people. For me, it's like, hey, like my Twitch community, right? Like when I'm streaming, Twitch is my home, right? So if you come in my home and you're going to be disrespectful to people that I care about, I'm, you are, you can either play by the rules or you can leave, mm-hmm. right? That's just the way. And it's just like, hey, I'm not going to allow this type of language because. Well, okay, hold on. But this isn't your Twitch room. This is Joey's chat room. Joey makes the rules, not you. So if this is okay according to Joey's rules, then that person is not being disrespectful and everything's fine. So you're actually coming into Joey's house and saying, Joey, I don't care about your rules. They're going to follow my rules. So this comment better be deleted because I don't like it. Even though it's your chat room, I'm deciding as your guest that I want this deleted. So that's pretty much destroying your own point. You can moderate your own Twitch room the way you want, but you're demanding that Joey moderate the way you want. And it's his room. He can make the decision himself. I don't speak about people that way in this house. And when you allow people to do that, you're saying, hey, it's okay that you can talk about people this way in this house. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. So, yeah, you allow you allow some bad behavior in your house. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess who considers it bad, right? I mean, everyone, all right? I mean, 
that's how I think about these things. So I, I guess I, I wouldn't like it if people were trying to tell me what I can and can't say or can and can't do in that kind of situation. So when I look at that and say, okay, do I want to start telling people what they can and can't say? In the past, I may have thought more that that was a good idea, but I don't, I don't necessarily agree that way anymore. But obviously, these are our channels, so we're allowed to operate that I mean, however way, please. Yeah, for sure. But when you like when we ask like why more women don't play poker, I mean, this is also part of the problem, Joey. What? But this is from another woman. This is from another woman who's actually making the point that women should treat each other better. That's what this woman was saying, and she used the words bitch to deride those women who don't treat other women well. What's wrong with that? Nothing wrong with the word bitch because you use it for your own fans. I don't even get what she's trying to say here. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, that uh, you have you have the you have one of the loudest voices in poker. No, I'm, re- I'm retired. I'm retired. I don't have I don't have one of the loudest. You voices still in poker have anymore. you still have one of the loudest voices in poker, and you allow this this type of this type of you know. Oh, it, another it does, woman to say the word another. Violence. So another woman to say the word bitches in the chat while I'm talking with you and me. Okay. Allowing that you said I I allowed that lady to do this. That's what you're implying. Okay. Right, because that's not. Only, that's, I don't think that'd be true. So yeah. we got the mods working hard. This chat's out of line, bro. Listen, I mean, the, the chat on YouTube, people are crazy on YouTube, right? So I don't know where these guys come from, <laughs> but I understand what you're saying, right? You, as the leader of the community, you I'm not do. The leader of the community. No, I'm saying, but no, I'm that. saying, but my community, right? I'm leading my community, so I need to be able to dictate what people say. And you're saying that, that if I allow them to say to certain dictate. things, then that's it's not a... needing to dictate. Okay, so for example, like Ninja allows people to like say the N word in his chat. Mm-hmm. Like he's okay with this kind of shit, and he's just like, oh, I can't help what people say, but you can't help what stays on your in your chat. Sure. Yeah. You can't. You're not. You're not controlling what people say, but you're allowing to like. You're just like, hey, I'm not cool with this lingering on my in my channel. Okay. Well, you can judge somebody for what they allow in their chat on their channel. But you also can't just demand everybody moderates the exact same way you do. And she's not getting that part. She thinks that she is the arbiter of what is right and wrong as far as how you moderate chat, of what is okay, what's not okay. You can't compare this to the N-word. We're talking about a woman who made a comment about the way other women treat women in poker and use the term bitch to talk about the women who don't treat women well. Okay? So it's not obvious how you moderate that. In fact, I would think it's more obvious the other way, that you should not delete such a comment. I would not delete such a comment. It doesn't make any sense to delete such a comment. So she's basically coming to Joey's channel and saying, Joey, if you don't moderate the exact way I want you to, you're a jerk and you're the reason people aren't playing poker who are female, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I like it. Okay. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Shouts my mod, my own mod, my own mod. Another woman got 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 it in trouble. They got it in trouble. We'll see. I don't know. I mean, if you, if someone this, if some, someone disagrees idea, with that thought, right? Idea, if somebody disagrees with that, Joey, what what do you this think? Idea, listen, this idea okay. that it's okay to call women bitches, like that, like it doesn't matter who says it. Right. Well, I know I like, agree with that, right? If someone says bitches, if someone's calling people bitches in the chat, you're probably gonna get rid of that comment. I would agree with that. But I don't know that lady. The lady's fire up. See, Dan, what? she got me in trouble like that. <laughs> More censorship's better. I understand. That's my takeaway. Everything, everything matters. Every word people say matters. Yeah. See, he's being sarcastic here. 
more censorship's better kind of a play on the more rake better joke that Doug Polk kept making about Negranu. And now he's saying more censorship's better is what he's taking away and saying that you need to tell people what they can and can't say. And he's pretending like he took the lesson here in a sarcastic fashion. So you can see he's getting pissed. He doesn't like being told what to do. And I understand that. She really should not do this. This isn't her place. And if people are spreading a certain message and you allow, I mean, it's kind of like that with shilling, right? Promoting, you're associated with these words. You're associated with these phrases. You're associated with the sayings that people are saying and the message that are putting out there as well. Wait, so, we're comparing shilling to just like allowing Well, I'm saying me, right? For me, for about, me, exactly. I, that's, that's what I would say. I would say if I'm promoting this kind of behavior, then that's the kind of behavior I'm promoting in my chat if I'm letting people in the chat use it. Okay. Would you, I guess that's that makes wild. sense. This is a wild reach. What do you mean? No, I mean, that kind of come back to that, but I'm basically promoting that kind of language in the chat is what you're saying by allowing it to take place. So I'm just trying to understand it better. It makes a lot of sense, but I'm just trying to to get to that point. So, but yeah, guys, Berkey started with the yeah, yeah, I don't know what he said, so not sure what it was, but we'll have to talk more about it later. But yeah, can they say bad bitches? I don't think you guys can say that either. Do we gotta, should we block those guys too? All right, I'm going to go, Joey. Yeah, okay. Guys in the chat, we're going to take off. I'll see you later. We're going to take this offline, talk more about it. Peace out, guys. Yeah, so... That was it. It's over. She just quit. She quit when he sarcastically said, you know what, I think we have to block anyone saying bad bitches too, referring to how she refers to her own fans. And at that point, she got pissed and said, I think we're done here. And she quit. That was some ending, huh? So this got a lot of people talking, as you might guess. Joey then had a seven-hour Twitch stream where they discussed that last 38 minutes, especially the very end, of that show, which is ridiculous. This comes from the longest-winded person in poker, me. And I still say seven hours on that topic is ridiculous. Though we've taken two hours so far, so I guess it's not that ridiculous. But I'm not going to talk about this topic seven hours. We're near the end of this. At 6 p.m. on September 14th, she tweeted a long thread regarding how she felt about that whole appearance. She wrote, To say that I'm disappointed would be an understatement. After a wonderfully exhausting week, this is not how I thought I would be celebrating. Alas, here we are, and I have some thoughts for you, Joey Ingram. Number one, the idea that women have to answer for men at all times is a ridiculous double standard demanding women do the emotional labor for the behavior of men. Huh? I I don't even know what she's trying to say here. Number two, Me asking your community to stop calling women bitches isn't censorship. Intention matters. Well, yeah, it does. And you should look that another woman was trying to say that women should treat each other well in poker and those that don't are bitches. Intention matters, right? Also, that mod self-censored. That mod deleted it and apologized when you objected. So isn't that exactly what you were saying you want? Number three, when men get loud, they're fired up. When black women do it, they're, quote, so angry and, quote, have a temper. See, why are you bringing race into this? This has nothing to do with race. This exact same conversation would have happened if you were white. Exact same conversation. In fact, this exact same conversation would have happened if you were male. 
And the male didn't like something that someone in chat said and told Joey he had to censor it. And Joey said, no, I'm not doing that. It would have been the same conversation. So I, I don't know what she's talking about here. Number four, when you allow your community to attack your guests and supposed friend, you're co-creating toxic behavior. Well, first of all, he's not allowing anything. You know, this is just happening in chat. But second, he chooses to allow people in the chat to express themselves. And that is the policy of the chat room. And people need to understand if they are going to appear on a largely viewed show with an open chat room, there are going to be trolls. And there's also going to be non-trolls who say things you don't like. And you can't blame the person running the channel for having these people there. Number five, when I see bad behavior, I call it out all the time, not just when it's convenient. I go hard in the paint for anyone being mistreated, both publicly and privately, and there are multiple people who can vouch for that. Okay? Not only am I active on the front lines, I am working diligently behind the scenes to create a positive and long-standing impact. Okay, but how? Like, what, what are you doing? You can say that, but where's, where's the evidence? Where's the proof? Number six, although it felt less severe when I found out the mod who used the word bitch was a woman, again, I say intention matters. Yes, and her intentions were good, so I don't understand your point here. Using the word bitch for women in a negative way in a male-dominated space only harms women. It perpetuates the negativity attached to the use of the word amongst an already extremely toxic chat environment. Come on. Come on. Come on, man. You said intention matters. If a woman used it to not be toxic, but to put out what that woman thought was a helpful suggestion, that should be it. That should be the end of the discussion. That's it. You can't say this word should never be used. If it shouldn't be used, then why are you calling your followers bad bitches? Well, she answers that in the next tweet. Number seven, you bad bitch. Yes. These bitches better stop complaining. No. See the difference? Again, intention matters. But, you know, the intention was good here. I keep saying that. So you're, you're dancing around when a certain word is offensive and when it's not. And you can't have that. I mean, who's going to judge this? You can't have, well, the word's okay in these circumstances, but on these circumstances, it's stupid. Either the word's okay or it's not. Especially you can't complain about it when it's another woman using it trying to be helpful. Number eight, going in on someone so hard asking to explain the actions of another person while glazing over a guest accused of cheating and a friend, quote, shilling a crypto site that fucked people over is not only bad optics, it's shit behavior. I don't know exactly what she's saying. I think the guest accused of cheating is probably Bryn Kenny, but Joey didn't glaze over it. Joey came pretty hard at him. He came a lot harder at Bryn than he did at Ebony. And deservedly so. I mean, Ebony is not a cheater. Ebony is not suspected of cheating at any point, and Bryn is. So, rightfully so, Joey came a lot harder at him. But I, you, you can't say that Joey softballed that interview. He definitely didn't. And regarding the friend shilling a crypto site, I mean, she's so stuck on this thing with Doug because he happens to be friends with Joey that has nothing to do with this. Joey wasn't even involved. Joey wasn't even around when the CoinFlex thing was going on. So, I don't know why she keeps bringing that up. It's stupid. Number nine, rejecting progress, growth, and new ideas is exhausting. I don't know how some of you do it. See, I, I hate statements like that. I hate statements like, I preach progress. I preach growth. 
I preach understanding and tolerance. And if you don't agree with me, if you don't agree with everything I say in my worldview, then you are a bigot, you're an awful person, you're someone who is stuck in an antiquated way of thinking, you're terrible. Why don't you agree with me more? How dare you not agree with me? You're rejecting progress. No. People are rejecting your way of thinking, which is their right to do. You don't have all the answers. You're not always right. Your worldview is not necessarily correct. So you can't look down on others who just don't agree with you. That's what she's saying here. Rejecting progress, growth, and new ideas is exhausting. So she's saying that everybody who disagrees with her is rejecting progress, growth, and new ideas. Well, you're rejecting new ideas from people who don't agree with you. Ever think of that? Number 10, if treating people well and wanting to be treated well in return is considered being woke, then I'm woke as fuck. Lead with love and your own shit. What? Your own shit? (laughs) Wait a minute. She's saying that you should lead with love and also lead with your own shit? (laughs) Uh, That's not good advice. I don't know who would lead with their own shit. I don't think they'd be very popular if they did that. I have no idea what that even means. I'm not just taking it literally for comedy purposes. I I have no idea what she means. (laughs) Oh, lead with love and own your shit. Okay, this is my fault. I misread it. Lead with love and own your shit. Okay, still. It's dumb. Dumb of me to misread it. I think I read it the way I wanted to read it. (laughs) But lead with love and own your shit. You know, she's still patting herself on the back, saying that she treats people well, and she wants to be treated well. And if you want to call her woke for that, well, then she's woke. That's what she's saying. I always hate when people say, well, I'm a great person. I do everything right. I'm very compassionate. I'm very empathetic. I treat people great. And if that makes me such and such, then call me such and such. Because you're not being introspective. You're not considering that maybe people who disagree with you might have a point. You're not considering that there may be multiple ways to look at something. Believe me, I have a lot of people in my life that disagree with me on certain things. And I try to understand where they're coming from, but usually they don't convince me I'm wrong. Usually I just try to understand why they think the way they do. And I'll sometimes come to the conclusion of, oh, okay, well, I understand their point. I don't really agree with it, but I understand their point. I see where they're coming from. And yeah, I see how someone could think this way. And I guess that's a valid way to think too. They just see this differently than I do. So I don't hate them for it. I don't even think they're stupid or bad or wrong. I just think that uh, I see it differently than they do. And that's important. That's important when you want to get along with people who have different political or social views than you do that you don't have to agree with everything and that you are better off looking for where they're coming from, not just casting evil upon them or making yourself the better person for having certain views that other people don't have. You should just say, you know what? We're different human beings. We see the world differently. We have different opinions of what's right and wrong in certain cases. And sometimes it's not black and white. Sometimes it's not absolute and there's different ways to see it. And You know, I'm going to look at this person and their behavior, not just their beliefs. And if their behavior is good, if they've always treated me well, if they've always been respectful to me, if they've been respectful to people I've seen that they've interacted with, then I'm still going to like them anyway, even if we have totally different political views and totally different social views. And there are a number of people who listen to this show that are very left-wing, which I am not, as you guys know. I'm right-wing. I'm not 
alt-right. I'm not super far-right. There's a number of things that the right believes that I don't believe. For example, I took the vaccine. For example, I don't think that Biden stole the election. A lot of people on the right believe otherwise. But I do have a lot of right-wing views. And I am happy that there's people who listen to this show who are very left-wing and who listen to what I have to say and don't just say, okay, screw this guy, I'm never listening again. But they keep listening and they just agree to disagree. And in fact, I've had some of them say to me that even though they don't agree with a lot of what I say, that they at least appreciate that I present it in a logical fashion and they understand better where conservatives are coming from and that they thank me for that, even though they did not have their minds changed at all. And that's great. I like getting messages like that. That's the way I wish everybody was on both sides, that they could just be very, very ideologically tolerant and not look down upon those who think another way. But you see what she's writing there. Rejecting progress, growth, and new ideas is exhausting. So she's the progress and the growth. But what's missing from this tirade? That's the end of it. But what's missing from this tirade here? She does not address that there was no sexism involved. She mentioned the person was a woman, but she says, you know, that shouldn't be allowed either. But she doesn't bother to say, hey, look, there was no sexism, period. I'm sorry for uh, even trying to say that. And she doesn't address whether Joey should have the right to choose to moderate his own chat the way he pleases. For some reason, she just thinks that she is, should be the arbiter of his chat. And number three, she never addresses the fact that the comment wasn't derogatory toward her nor women in general. And she doesn't note that the mod was sorry, apologized, and deleted the post. None of that is mentioned. Very off-putting series of tweets, in my opinion. I also don't know why she's still taking stabs at Joey about Doug. What, is Doug his son? Is he responsible for Doug? Is he Doug's guardian? I, I don't believe there's any legal document stating that Joey Ingram is the official guardian of Doug Polk. Joey Ingram was gone when the CoinFlex thing happened. If there's anyone you can't blame for the CoinFlex thing, it's Joey Ingram. He wasn't here. He was missing. Remember? Why are you blaming him for this? Why are you bringing this up multiple times? It's weird. Anyway, you can see whose side I'm on here mostly. I don't love Joey's obsession with the anti-ACR stuff. I think he came at her way too hard over being a sponsored pro there and calling her a shill and everything else. I see why she got pissed about that. She had a right to be pissed about that. That was wrong. He shouldn't have done it. And I think he's letting his hatred for ACR blind him. I think anyone with any association with ACR, it just like makes the hair on the back of his neck stand up and he wants to say something about it. And I don't know why he chose her. I haven't seen him really go after other pros of the site. That's why it especially wasn't right for him to do this. I don't think it's because she's a woman. I just think he kind of chose that moment to do it. It just got him angry enough. (laughs) And maybe he's afraid that this is going to promote ACR even more now that one of their pros did so well at the Triton and it's getting all this publicity because she's a female. And maybe that's what was getting him angry, that this might be a positive for ACR. But he let his ACR hatred seep into the interview and he shouldn't have allowed that. And that was his fault. He shouldn't have done it. And I understand why Ebony didn't like that. And if she kept her anger to that only. If her only anger was, Joey, stop attacking me over ACR. I'm just a minor pro there. 
you're blaming me for things that I shouldn't be blamed for, and you're coming at me for things that I don't deserve, I would agree with her. I'd say you're totally right, Ebony, and Joey needs to back off with this ACR stuff. If he wants to do more shows bashing ACR, go right ahead, Joey. Give, give your full opinion about ACR and why it's horrible. I, I support that fully. Speak out about ACR all you want. I spoke out about ACR this spring when, they, when the money was disappearing in people's accounts and they weren't doing anything about it. And I kind of forced it to happen by pressuring them. Okay, so I spoke out about ACR. So you want to speak out about ACR? Go ahead. But you shouldn't be attacking Ebony over that. But other than that, I didn't like her answers to everything else in these clips I played. Also, is she really a good spokeswoman for oppressed people in poker? She just got bought into a very high-stakes tournament. She has enjoyed tremendous privilege from that alone. Not just based upon how she ended up doing, but even if she didn't cash, that's tremendous privilege to be able to be bought into that when just about everybody else in poker would not have that opportunity with her results thus far. And she got it. And that's a lot of privilege. Now, I'm not saying that I haven't had privilege in life. I have. But I'm not walking around saying that I'm part of some oppressed class. But she is. Now, women in poker do have some legitimate complaints. But if they're going to complain, then they also have to acknowledge the good. And I was saying that earlier, and I'm I'm still going to stand by this. Especially women like Ebony Kenny, who actually have gotten very large benefits out of their gender and looks and age. Now, if we have a 60-year-old woman saying, hey, look, I'm getting all the bad from being a woman in poker and none of the good... I'd say, you know what? You're probably right. You have a reason to gripe. But someone like her, someone like Vanessa Cade, they can't complain about being women in poker. It's been great for them being women in poker. It's been very lucrative for them being women in poker. But you know what? At least Vanessa Cade won the big tournament she did on her own dime. At least Vanessa Cade, you could say, it's not that she was a woman that allowed her to win that $1.5 million on Poker Stars and that other big score she got at the World Series of Poker. At least with Vanessa Cade, she was self-made. Ebony was getting staked because she's a woman. So she's not oppressed. She's the opposite of oppressed. She has privilege in poker. She has more privilege in poker than most people, including me. I'm sure she's had some challenges from being mixed race and being female. You know, everybody has challenges based upon the demographic they are. And I'm not going to say none of that has ever happened and none of it's ever happened to her. But also, she has been playing tournaments since 2007. In 2008, at a fairly young age, she was entering a 10K event. And she's been playing regularly enough to rack up 400K worth of caches prior to these most recent caches without anything being above 34K. So you see how much she's been playing. This is not someone who has been struggling. This is not someone who was plucked out of the ghettos of the inner city who's had a super tough life. This is someone who's been playing poker for 15 years and racking up 400k worth of caches. I know it's not 400k profit. In fact, it's possible it was a negative result when you add up her buy-ins, but she at least had the money to keep entering. And she had the money to keep a high-maintenance looking appearance, which cost money to maintain. This is not someone who looks like they've had a bad life. This is not someone who looks like that they've been struggling 
and looking at people who've been living the life of privilege and thinking, wow, this is kind of unfair. This looks like someone who is privileged and has been for quite some time. I don't know her whole backstory. I just know that she's been able to play poker for 15 years and rack up a ton of caches and get a lot of attention on social media and get invited to play super high-stakes events on someone else's dime. So she is not a good example of someone who is oppressed in poker. She's the opposite. So she's not even a good spokeswoman for this. I don't think anybody who has gotten privilege out of their gender or their appearance should really be a spokeswoman for being oppressed in poker. I think if anyone's going to speak out about that, it should be someone who really has suffered for the fact that they are female in poker, where overall, when you add it all together, it's been a net negative for them. For example, a a much older woman who's not going to get the same type of attention as an attractive younger woman, who's not going to get the same opportunities. I can accept that. I can believe that. I've thought about it before. Like, what if I were female? What if I were not just female, but a younger female? Let's say I was a younger, attractive or semi-attractive female. What would my life in poker be like? Well, I definitely would have gotten sponsorships. Maybe a lot of them. I would have gotten a lot of attention if I wanted it. Would have gotten a lot of audience to my social media. A lot more than I have now. Have a bigger audience to this show. Have a lot of opportunities to play tournaments on companies' dimes. If I wanted to be staked, it'd be far more easy. Now, there'd be some downsides. I couldn't just go play poker and keep my head down and not have people awkwardly flirting with me and hitting on me. I mean, it is nice to be a dude in that way. Just go sit down. I don't have to worry about people bothering me in that way. And I have thought about that, that if I were female, I'd constantly have uh, guys hassling me about uh, you know, trying to make small talk, trying to flirt, whatever. I mean, it'd be, it would get annoying. You know, I, I, I can understand that if I were female and attractive. So it's nice not having to deal with that. But there'd be a lot of pluses from it, too. And you can't overlook that. There's good parts and bad parts. And if the good is better than the bad, then you're privileged. So after you've come home, I don't think she's come home yet. I think she's still there. But after you've completed this week, this great week that people dream of in poker, of cashing $2 million, even if she doesn't keep all of it, which she's not, but even if she keeps uh, you know, some percentage of it, that's great. And you get all the accolades from this too, people's respect. After you've had that type of week and everyone's praising you and you got this week, you got the opportunity for this week because you're female and because you're attractive and have a unique look, then say, okay, great. I'm, I'm glad I'm in this position. I'm glad I got this shot when most people in poker don't. You don't say, oh my God, woe is me. It's so terrible being a woman. That doesn't make any sense to me. So I don't really like that whole tone anyway. But if you are going to take that tone of, okay, I'm going to be the defender of all women in poker, then you cannot work for anyone who has any kind of scandal that is even semi-credible that they didn't treat women well. But it looks like they want to have it in all ways. They want the lucrative sponsorships, but they also want to be able to virtue signal. I don't like any of that stuff. If you're going to display strong opinions and make it a big part of your identity, then you have to stick to that line of behavior, which can be inconvenient. What if I took ads on Poker Fraud Alert from scammy online casinos? 
which by the way, I get these offers all the time. I constantly get offers from scammy online casinos that want me to put a banner or a link for them somewhere on Poker Fraud Alert. And I just ignore them. I don't even answer anymore. I should delete the emails. But what if I did? I would look terrible because here is a site called Poker Fraud Alert where we talk about and expose scams in poker and gambling. And then here I would be advertising a scammy online casino that may never pay you or may cheat you. So I don't even consider for a second taking those ads. However, if I just ran like a general poker forum that didn't have this theme to it, and if I didn't always talk about scams and scandals in poker, well, it wouldn't be good to run those ads either, but people would take much less note of it. Like there's a lot of gambling-related sites out there that have those links, and you don't even think twice. You just think, okay, I'm not going to click on this. I'm not going to deposit there. But you probably don't think that much about how these ads shouldn't be run, unless it's like a known scam site. But I can't run them. I can't even think of running them because of what I have chosen to hitch my identity to. So same thing, if you're going to be this very strong feminist in poker, then you cannot work for guys like Phil Nagy. Because I think the allegations against him are at least semi-credible. As I said, he hasn't done anything awful. He's just been kind of inappropriate and, and crude. But that should be enough. That should be disqualifying, given how terrible that's supposed to be, according to the feminists in poker. Before I move on, there's been a lot of negativity towards Joey on Twitter. A lot of people taking Ebony's side. A lot of people really bashing him. A lot of people saying he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand the struggles of a black woman in poker, blah, 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 blah. I don't see any struggles. I see her getting staked to lucrative events is what I see. But he's really getting hammered. Not everybody's hammering him. There's some on his side, but he's getting hammered by more people than defending him. I wouldn't be surprised if he just vanishes shortly after this because he's already feeling really down in the dumps about the state of the poker world right now. And this is really getting to him. That's why he spent seven hours talking about it on an after show, which is crazy. They both walked away from that interview very unhappy. All right, let's move on. Taking a look at some text messages here. From the 559, referring to Joey's seven-hour after show. Seven hours? Who does he think he is? Todd Wittellis? (laughs) That's a good point. From the 773... Referring to the lack of free roll this week and my inability to get this fixed, he said, yes, we blame you because you had all week. God bless it. I don't know what the God bless it's about, but he's not happy that there's no free roll this week, that I didn't fix it. So taking a look at the chat room, Disposition had a lot to say regarding Ebony Kenny. He said, maybe Negranu was staring at some crazy chick with a wet, vibrating sex toy around her neck. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. Was she wearing the vibrator back then? That's a good reason to stare. He was tired of getting hit in the eye with spickle. Oh, come on. That's just gross. I will move on. We're going to talk about something totally different, and that would be a scam. Because remember, the entire segment we just did had nothing to do with a scam. But this does. This has to do with now-departed Zappos founder Tony Shi. Remember... He passed away. He was found dead in a shed of a friend's home where apparently he was doing whippets, nitrous oxide whippets. And I don't know if some candles or something fell over there and he died of smoke inhalation. 
and it's not completely understood what happened if he was too out of it to get up and leave or what occurred but somehow he died in that shed from smoke inhalation while he was doing those uh, nitrous oxide whippets and his life was really just spiraling even though he had like a billion dollars to his name this was a guy who was tremendously financially successful but had a lot of issues and he had a lot of Elvis-like yes-men who surrounded him that he actually chose. He actually wanted a group of yes-men around him that he personally chose who would party with him and, quote, be happy with him and never criticize his choices. And this led to him getting worse and worse and becoming more and more self-destructive. And then we had that tragic death in his mid-40s. So it's kind of a sad story. And it shows you how sometimes being really, really, really rich can be harmful if you don't know how to handle it. Because if you pay yes-men to hang around with you and that's all you spend time with, then you're never going to hear what you need to hear when you're not behaving in a healthy manner. Because somebody who isn't paying yes-men to be around them is eventually going to hear from friends and peers, hey... I don't like the way you're behaving. I think it's destructive. I think you're going to hurt yourself. I think you might die if you keep on this trajectory. That's what a normal person will hear if they start engaging in that type of behavior. But people were paid to surround him and not say that. And they were paid a lot of money. So they kept quiet. Well, we've talked about all that before. But what happened to his assets? Well, that is a whole different matter. See, he didn't have a will. He wasn't expecting to die in his mid-40s. Now, it's always a good idea to have estate planning because you never know when you're going to die. It's not necessarily true that you're going to live to a ripe old age. There's a lot of ways you could die early. You could die from an accident, an act of violence, a health problem that you don't expect, and especially if you abuse drugs or alcohol, something related to that. Your chance of dying young if you abuse drugs and or alcohol is much higher than if you don't, because that is a big cause of death of younger and middle-aged people. So that's what got Tony Shi eventually, but he had no will. So what happens in that case is it goes to the closest living relative. So the person who's in charge of his state is his father, who's still alive. And there have been some challenges to this, but it looks like it's going to his father, And so that who is in control of everything now. Tony was a big believer in downtown Las Vegas for whatever reason. He was obsessed with downtown. And his dream was to take his wealth and use a lot of it to revitalize downtown Las Vegas. Now, he temporarily left Vegas during the pandemic. It was depressing him, all the lockdowns and everything. So he left Vegas and went to Utah and had like a a private area there that he had people come there, be with him and, uh, quote, be happy. And he died before the pandemic started easing up. He died before the vaccine was even available. He died in November of 2020 in Connecticut. Prior to all that, he was very instrumental in the revitalization in downtown Vegas. And he put a lot of money into uh, downtown Vegas 
And that was basically his dream, to make downtown Vegas better and better. Anyway, this scam which we're going to talk about was something that uh, took place involving downtown Vegas. And it's, it's an interesting story. Apparently, someone sold an apartment building of Tony Shee's for more than a million dollars. And the person claimed to represent an LLC that owns the building that was part of his estate. The only problem is that the person who made the sale, the person who claimed they were authorized to sell it, had nothing to do with Tony Shee's estate and was just a scammer. But they seem to have gotten away with it for the moment. So county records show that Tony Shee purchased this particular building on the corner of South 9th Street and Bridger Avenue 10 years ago in 2012. And he never sold it. So when he died, he still owned that building. And the building is now part of his estate, which, as I said, is currently being managed by his dad. Well, in March of 2022, someone that claimed that they were representing the LLC that owns the building sold it for $1.2 million. And of course, it's not a real sale because you have to be authorized to sell something. Like You, you couldn't come over and sell my house to somebody. That, that wouldn't be a valid sale. Someone couldn't take residence in my house and kick me out saying, well, you sold it. I said, no, I didn't. And you're not authorized to sell it. So the sale is not valid. But documents were submitted to indicate a sale had taken place. And it took until recently for this to be discovered. On May 19th, 2022, about two months later, it was learned that the property was supposedly sold, but the current owners of the property, basically his dad, said, "Uh uh-uh, this was never sold, and I don't know where they're getting this information because no sale ever took place. There was an individual named Santiago Espinosa, which may or may not be a real name, who claimed to be the seller, and he claimed to represent the LLC that owned the building. And he claimed that he had the authority to act on the company's behalf. However, they don't know who Santiago Espinosa is. Not only has he never been the manager of the LLC, but they don't even know him. He's never even worked for the company. It's also possible that Santiago Espinosa is a fake name, and that person doesn't exist at all, or at least the person claiming to be Santiago Espinosa is not really him. Maybe there is a Santiago Espinosa somewhere, but it's not that guy. The person who requested the deed of the uh, building is a title company based in Bakersfield, California. And uh, the address listed on that deed is uh, 4900 California Avenue Tower B2. But in reality, that company is located a little bit down the street. And it's actually on the fourth floor. So it looks like that was fake as well. Also, the title officer of the title company was forged. And it's not clear if the other documents involved in this sham sale were also forged. So you can't even blame this title company here. It looks like they just chose a title company in Bakersfield. And I don't know why they put phony info down. Maybe they didn't want any mail sent to them. 
but they put info that was loosely based on that company, but uh, a little down the street, they moved the address and then forged the title officer's signature. It is uh, wondered why these details weren't correct. It is assumed here that nobody who was involved in any of these companies, like, you know, like it wasn't someone within the company that uh, she once owned, nor does it uh, look like it's someone, anyone at the title company. It looks like this really is just an outsider who looked this stuff up and falsified it. And attorneys for Tony Shee's estate said Santiago Espinosa is not a managing member of the owner, has no authority to act on the owner's behalf, and is unknown to the owner. And in that letter it said, We have just learned that you are a participant, knowing or unaware, in a fraud against which an offense has been committed. The deed was executed by Santiago Espinosa, allegedly a managing member of the owner. Please note that Santiago Espinosa is not a managing member of the owner, has no authority to act on the owner's behalf, and is unknown to the owner accordingly that deed is fraudulent. State attorneys are asking a judge to completely quash the sale from property records, basically back it all out because the county recorded that the sale occurred. So right now, that property is shown sold to the new owners who it's not clear if they are in on this or not, but the new owners who I'm guessing probably are not in on it because the whole point of this was to scam money out of somebody. So I think the new owners are victims as well. And unfortunately for them, they're not new owners. So the issue is actually going to be heard in court in January, 2023. The buyer would not respond to press requests This is going to be heard in court in a few months. We'll see what happens, but it looks highly likely that it is going to be invalidated because why wouldn't it be? This clearly was not a real sale. And they're still searching for this Santiago Espinosa. They they don't know who he is. They don't know if that was a real name. And they don't exactly know where the money went. (laughs) That's, That's a big part of this. So how was it paid? And was there an escrow company involved? And who did this go to? And it's possible this will be figured out at some point. And maybe it's already known and it's not made public. It's it's hard to believe that they couldn't figure this out. But right now, it is not known publicly who the Santiago Espinosa is, what happened to the money that was paid in the sale, and whether there's any chance of getting it back. Very, very weird. But I guess... The person got away with it for right now, especially since this wasn't discovered till May. So this person had two months to take the money and run. It's interesting that it's this easy to get away with a $1.2 million fraud like this. I would love to know where that money was sent and what happened to it. Like, who did the escrow company release it to? And in what manner did they release it? And then what happened? Did the person withdraw it all or transfer it into crypto like what happened i'm just guessing are there any clues regarding who this santiago espinosa is or any of his accomplices well yes there are some clues the person who notarized the documents remember these were notarized documents is also being located or they're attempting to locate him So far, this person has not been located, but there's some clues as to what he looks like. So they had an address that 
the notary is registered to. But uh, this person was not reachable when they attempted to subpoena him. And in the three attempts to serve court notices, two times there was no answer at the address listed. And the third time, the process server talked to a neighbor who said they had the wrong address. However, a resident there said that a person was kicked out of that apartment at the end of July, and they described the person as a white man with blonde hair and a tattoo on his neck. Now, that may or may not be related. It's possible this notary, which I'm not sure if is a real notary or a fake notary, that also is not mentioned here in the article, and that you'd think would be an important thing, because these notaries are registered with states. I don't know why that's not mentioned, whether this is a real or fake notary. Or I, I guess it's possible it could be a, a guy who is a supposed notary that's stealing somebody else's info that is a real notary, and they're just impersonating him. I don't, I don't know what happened, because it's not described here in anything I'm reading. Maybe this isn't known to the public yet. But as far as this blonde guy with a tattoo on his neck, it is possible that this happens to be a deadbeat who lived in that apartment that had nothing to do with this whole thing. This may just be a random address that they put down for the notary, who was probably in on this. And who knows, it could have been this uh, Santiago Espinosa himself. But how would that even work? Like, he's supposed to be the one who is authorizing this whole thing. I, I don't even know why the notary would have to be on it. Like, why, why wouldn't you have a real notary just do this? Because there's a good chance they wouldn't catch it. But maybe there's something funny with Santiago Espinosa's ID and he didn't want to get caught. So he may have had an accomplice who pretended to be a notary. But the notary can't be located. So there just seems like something's very suspicious about this notary. But it's possible that address is fake and they just happen to have been knocking on the door of someone who got evicted anyway just because the guy couldn't pay and was a deadbeat. So it doesn't mean this blonde guy was the notary or that he was this Santiago Espinosa. But it's also possible he was. So they're, they're looking into this as well. According to 8 News Now, which is Channel 8, it's their news department in Las Vegas, they have been investigating a large scheme that has been taking place in the greater Las Vegas area where real estate buyers are being defrauded. So this may have just been one of many that have been done, and it just so happened to victimize Tony Shee's estate. And maybe they got the idea because they thought this may be easy to pull off, but this may not be a one-off here. This may have been aimed at a lot of different people, of which Tony Shee's estate happened to be one of them. But it's not clear if they're related right now, but there have been similar crimes occurring recently, and 8 News Now is beginning to believe that these are related, and that there may be one ringleader to this whole scheme throughout Las Vegas. So who knows? If you're listening from Las Vegas and you own a house, Santiago Espinosa may be coming for your house. He may be selling your house without your knowledge. So if someone knocks on your door in Vegas and says, hey, I own your house now because Santiago Espinosa sold it to me, you're going to know what that is. That's not going to be good news. But apparently this has become a problem in Las Vegas. There's going to be a hearing regarding this matter in October and then another one in January. So I will update you if I get further information on this bizarre story. But at the moment, they can't find anybody involved. 
if they do find Santiago Espinosa, I'm sure he'll be arrested. But they may have taken care to not be locatable. In fact, if this is a serial thing they're doing, I'm sure that they have a routine down that so far has been successful. And this may actually be a smart crime because there are so many different properties that one can victimize in this way. And if it takes a while to figure it out, these people can get the money and disappear. And it's very hard to figure out who's doing it. So they basically have to follow the trail of money if they can. Otherwise, it's very hard to catch them in the act since there's just so many ways this can be done and so many potential victims. I will let you know what happens if I get further information on this matter. 775-FRAUD-55. 775-372-8355. You can call me. You can text me. You can do any of that during the show, after the show, before the show. You can't really call me. I don't answer calls on this number when the show's not going. I do get calls sometimes. People trying to call that number like, when we're not broadcasting, I'm not going to answer it. It's not like I don't hook it up as a personal phone number. I could, but I have to specifically turn it on for that. So I turn it on for calls when I start radio, and then I turn it off for calls when the radio's over. But you can text me anytime on that number, 775-372-8355. Now it is time to have a segment we do every so often here on Poker Fraud Alert Radio, and I always love doing these segments because... They're entertaining. This is called Poker Dude Looks Like a Lady. Yes, it's Poker Fraud Alerts. Poker Dude Looks Like a Lady. Every so often, we talk about Men in women's poker tournaments. And no, I'm not talking about the recent transgender controversies of men who've transitioned to women playing poker tournaments. That may be an issue someday, too. But no, this is about men who live as men, who play as women. So what happened this time? Well, I don't have confirmation that this really happened, but Vanessa Cade is alleging that GG Poker has this issue in their ladies' tournaments. Okay, so what's happening here? Well, Vanessa Cade, who... To be fair, has had a long-standing issue with GG Poker. As much as Joey Ingram hates ACR, that's how much Vanessa Cade hates GG Poker. It all started when they hired Dan Bilzerian as an ambassador, and she criticized it, and then he called her a hoe, and then she made a big deal over that, and most of Poker took her side, and rightfully so. But then she kept going on and on and on about how awful it is that they haven't fired him and just every day seemed to be tweeting about this and got on people's nerves. And then it came out that she had been receiving affiliate checks from them. 
for 2k per month because she had once been a gg poker affiliate and had referred people years ago and they were still playing a lot so she was getting about 2k a month in rake from what they've been generating and gg poker terminated those payments because she was bashing them every single day and they said in order to receive affiliate payments you have to promote gg poker not bash gg poker which is true and she didn't deserve to receive affiliate payments if she was going to bash them so they terminated her gg poker payments and then she brought out that she had been receiving them and people are like what the fuck <laughs> like you've been receiving money from them and yet you've been bashing them so heavily like what the hell is going on here so that was not a good look anyway she's hated them ever since and has found every opportunity to bash them however that does not mean that anything she says about gg poker that's negative is untrue you have to take anything she says about gg with a grain of salt because she has a personal bias but she could be bringing up some good points and is just happy to bring them up because they're negative. So I think this one might be the latter, that she has a good point. This is what she tweeted on September 10th, which, for whatever reason, has vanished from Twitter. So I don't know what happened in those five days, but she's removed the tweet. I don't know if she got pressure from GG Poker's legal department or what it might be. I just noticed this today when I was researching the show, I posted about it on Poker Fraud Alert on the day it happened, on the day she tweeted about it, but then I didn't really pay attention since then. And I went back to the tweet today, and it's gone. She deleted it. So, I recreated the tweet. I dug into Google's cache, which wasn't easy. It wasn't as simple as looking into their cache because it wasn't coming up properly. If you try to look at this, you'll see you're not going to be able to bring up most of the tweet. So I had to do some creative work to dig up the entire tweet, but I did. So here is what she tweeted. I hope GG Poker reviews the play for each player in the ladies event thoroughly. Lots of sus, meaning suspect, advanced play on accounts with combined live and online earnings of only a few hundred to a few thousand dollars. Maybe next time, require play with webcams on only visible to GG. That's interesting. So Vanessa Cade is claiming that accounts that had very little tournament success and very little tournament history were playing this ladies' event and playing really well, making a lot of advanced plays. And she's like, how are these people so good and have such few results on the site? Why aren't these people playing more? Why aren't they cashing more? How are they so good here yet rarely playing? That doesn't make a lot of sense. So, of course, the immediate suspicion and it's a valid suspicion, is that these are men playing on women's accounts. Maybe their mom, maybe their sister, maybe their girlfriend, but someone that they previously created an account for that they decided to borrow, that they knew would give them the money they want. So, for example, you're a dude who plays on GG Poker, and you're a good player, and your girlfriend sees you playing all the time, and you say, hey, would you like to try this? I'll even give you a little bit of money to play at micro stakes. And your girlfriend says, yeah, sure, whatever. And you show her how to play, and she plays once in two cents or whatever the micro stakes are on there. And uh, maybe she plays some low stakes tournaments. Maybe she gets lucky and hits a few small scores for a few hundred bucks. But she really doesn't play very much, and she's not that great of a player. And she just doesn't have much experience and doesn't have a desire to put the effort in to become good. 
And then a ladies' tournament comes up, and the guy's like, hmm, if only I could play in that tournament, I bet I would crush this field, which has no men in it. So it'll be an easier field. And then he thinks, wait a minute, I can play in this field, which is going to be mo- mostly recreational players. <laughs> I've got my girlfriend's account here, so it won't be suspicious. We play from the same IP because my girlfriend lives with me, so I will just play on her account. And how are they going to know the difference? How can they tell if it's me or her if we both play from this same house on the same IP? It's a brilliant crime. It will never catch me. <laughs> Except Vanessa Cade looks at the event and says, there's a lot of advanced play going on here, which begs the question, how does she know this? Does she still play on there? I thought she hates them. How does, how does she even see the play on there? But okay, we'll put that aside. Maybe she was watching someone else play. I don't know. But she claims that she saw a lot of advanced play from accounts that you wouldn't think would be good. And I have to agree, it's not hard to picture that this is happening. So, what should GG Poker do about this? See, I'm not going to say this was happening or wasn't happening. But there's a good chance it was. So what should they do, especially since it can be very difficult to catch if the accounts playing live with male players. What do you do? Well, her suggestion is good in theory, but it's difficult to implement in practice. They'd have to write this into their software to be able to watch people play on cam. And it would also create a major monitoring burden for GG Poker. Either they'd have to save the entire webcam of every player and also have very strict rules about the way the camera has to point and everything like that because just because there's a webcam doesn't mean that there still can't be ghosting that the boyfriend still can't help in the background or that he can't watch in some way and then text her how she should play certain hands like there's so many different ways cheating could still happen where it would really be the guy in control So there'd have to be very strict rules about the way the webcam would have to be positioned and a lot of stuff like that. And as I said, they'd have to save the entire cam of every single player in that tournament. So that's a lot of storage. It's a lot of bandwidth. It's a lot of extra code in the software to put in this capability. And is that really worth it for just a ladies' event? So that's the problem with her suggestion is that implementing it could be very tough. Another suggestion I would give is just do away with uh, ladies' events online. In person, they're fine. In person, you can't do that. But I guess if you're Sean Deeb, you can do it. But uh, if you're not Sean Deeb, you can't do it in person. And I think in person, they should have ladies' events, and I think they're good for poker. And the ladies enjoy them. I think it's a good introduction to the game. There's women that only want to play ladies' events, at least when they get started. So definitely have those. But as far as online events, it's just too hard to police. It really just invites cheating where you are restricting who can enter because you're always going to have those who are using other people's accounts who qualify 
when they don't. And it becomes very unfair, not only to the people in the event who should be there, meaning the real women playing, but also the people who'd like to play and can't. So it's not only unfair to the women in the event, it's actually also unfair to other men on the site who wish they could play but can't, but then there's dudes willing to cheat the system who do. So it really cheats everybody. And it's just too hard to police. It's too hard to make sure that's not happening. So I see why GG Poker is trying to do this. They're trying to have outreach to women, especially with some of the bad press they got over the Bilzerian thing. So I see what they're trying here. But first there was a complaint that their original women's events, which they held not too long ago, didn't have any kind of restriction and that anyone could actually register and play these events. They were just called women events in name only, but that men were allowed to play. (laughs) So they had that criticism. But this is arguably worse. At least there, anybody could play by the rule. Here they're saying men can't play, but if men were playing anyway, and there were a lot of them, then we had a big problem. Then you might as well just let everybody play. In which case, just don't have them. There's no point in calling it a women's event and then letting men play, and there's no point in trying to keep men out, but not really having a way to do it. Because people will exploit it. Maybe people will exploit it if there's a way to exploit it, if it's easy to exploit. Now, I guess the last option would be to send out a warning, maybe, or maybe post a warning when someone attempts to register, that they are analyzing play styles of all people in the event, and anyone caught playing on a female account that is not female will be banned and their money confiscated. And that might scare some people out of it. See, they can use metrics to look at the play style of that account and then compare it to the play style in that tournament. And then they can disqualify that account and then they could deduce who it must be, like someone in the same household. The problem is you may get some false positives. So you may have some women that just don't play much or that when they originally started playing weren't very good and yet their boyfriend coached them a lot and really helped them get better, and they just aren't playing online much. And so then they decide to play the ladies' event as they're kind of like returned to online, and they're a lot better, and then they get scooped up as a man playing as a woman. But if they suspect who's doing it, like if they compare the play style to the person who is in the same household, which is easy to do by looking at IPs and addresses that are registered there, if they see a very similar play style, then they can easily deduce that it was the man on the account. But I would say just do away with it. I would say just the whole thing's not worth it. It's a nice idea. It's a nice gesture, but it's just too hard to implement. You shouldn't even have these if there's going to be this type of cheating. As nice as it is for women to have an event that they can play with each other, if there's just going to be men exploiting it, then it's just a net negative because you're luring these women to play with a false sense of security that you're not going to have male pros in there and then you have male pros in there. If it's like one or two male pros, no problem. But if there's a lot of accounts doing it, then the whole thing's just a disaster and just throw it away. Now, GG Poker is not likely to say, hey, yeah, we noticed a lot of dudes were probably playing this so we're not holding it again. They may just quietly not hold it again. This isn't something necessarily they have to admit to. But if I were GG Poker, I'd say, forget it. We're not doing it anymore. 
Why did Vanessa delete the tweet? That's a great question. I don't know. I'm wondering if there is some sort of legal liability that she was concerned with. Maybe they said, hey, look, bashing us about Bulzarian's one thing, but if you're going to make these allegations about women that are not really women in the ladies' tournament, you better have something to back it up. Otherwise, we're going to sue you for damages, and maybe she got scared. I don't know. But something spooked her into taking that down. Maybe she thought about it later and thought, okay, I was wrong. But I don't think so. Kind of seems like she was pretty sure that something suspect was going on. I don't know if something suspect was going on or not. I'm just saying that it would make sense if it was. And it would make sense that someone like Vanessa Cade, who definitely has a lot of experience in poker and knows advanced play from novice play, I would think that as long as her judgment isn't being clouded by her hatred of GG, that she would be a good person to determine this. Now, a better person to determine this would be someone who also didn't have a problem with GG. But as I said, I could easily see this happening, and I just don't think an online ladies event is ever a good idea. Moving on here, it is once again time for a segment we've been doing a lot lately on Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Mojave Desert and Las Vegas history. The crickets, they were once alive, they're no longer alive. The crickets have all perished. But we forever have this segment in their memory. We have this intro, which is thanks to their sacrifice. This is Mojave Desert and Las Vegas history. We do this every so often on Poker Fraud Alert Radio, but it's been a lot in the last two months or so. I've just kind of gotten used to doing it. I was just thinking today, eventually I'm going to run out of Mojave Desert and Las Vegas history because the area does not have a very long history. So eventually there won't be anything more to talk about. And history is history. And once you've covered all the topics worth covering, there's nothing more to say until more things happen, which are actually more current events than history. But we still have plenty left. I, re- I even thought about today other things we can cover in the future, and there's a lot that we can still do. So a lot to still draw from this well. And this week, we're going to talk about California City, which you may or may not have heard of. I have mentioned it occasionally on this show, including recently. But we're going to do a deeper dive into California City, which I bet you didn't know is the third largest city in California. And you might think that you're not hearing this right. You go, wait a minute. How could that be bigger than San Jose and San Francisco and Oakland. There's no way. California City, I haven't even heard of that, you may say. It is not as big as Los Angeles or San Diego, but it's behind just those two. It's bigger than every other city in California. So why are there no baseball teams or basketball teams or football teams there? Why don't we have the California City Giants instead of the San Francisco Giants? if it's the third largest city? Well, because it's the third largest city in area. Population, the last census, they barely fell short of 15,000 people. So why is the area so large? What's the point of having such a 
geographically large city if there's hardly anyone there. In fact, the city is actually growing. 20 years ago, they had fewer than 8,500 people in California City. Well, I will tell you the whole story. And it's a weird and unusual story. And if I could sum up the entire story of California City, it is that California City is a scam. Yes, the city itself is a scam. Now, you could live there today, and you could live there without getting scammed, but the entire city's creation was a scam, and much of the property sales in California City were scams. It was conceived as a scam. So I'm going to tell you about this weird city. And the name California City would imply that it is something that is prominent in California. After all, it's California City. And that was by design. It was supposed to sound prominent. It was supposed to sound like something major in California. That's not an accident that it was named that. But where is it? If you don't live in Southern California, or maybe even if you do, you may have no idea where California City is. You know where Los Angeles is. You know where San Diego is and San Francisco is. You may even know where Bakersfield or Sacramento is. But where's California City? Well, California City is in the middle of the desert. It is in the Mojave Desert. It is off of the 58 and the 14, and I guess the 395 to the east. It's very big geographically. It is south of Ridgecrest. It is north of Lancaster. It is west of Barstow. It is east of Tehachapi. Does that help you at all? Well, if not, I can't help you. But in general, if you don't know those cities I just mentioned, it is northeast of Los Angeles, but not as far east as where Barstow is, and not anywhere near as north as Bakersfield is. It's out in the middle of nowhere. It's not really close to anything of consequence. California City was supposed to have a population of 500,000. That's what it was designed to be. As I just told you, the current population is about 15,000. So that's a small percentage of what it was projected to be. In fact, it's less than 3% of the projected population. And when I say the projected population, I don't mean the projected 2022 population. I mean the projected population of like the 1970s. So I guess from that point, had it gone the way they claimed it would, we'd be well over a million people by now. The best thing I can compare it to is something like Riverside as to what it was intended to be. It was not thought to be a major metro area. It was not not something that was envisioned to have major sports teams or major international airports, nothing like that. So it wasn't going to be another Los Angeles or another San Diego. Even the scam was not claiming that's where it was going to go. But it was going to be some sort of semi-major city in California, something that you would have heard of if you know anything about California, something like Bakersfield, Riverside, whatever. California City, the idea was born for it in the 1950s, and it was founded by a Czechoslovakian immigrant named Nat Mendelssohn. In the mid-1950s, He bought a ton of land for very cheap in the Mojave Desert 
And at the time, he didn't think he was scamming anybody. At the time, it was a dream. And that's something you should know about scams, is that a lot of them are not premeditated. A lot of times, scams become scams out of necessity or failure. Now, that's not making excuses for scammers. A scammer is a scammer. But there are some scams which are intended from day one to be a scam, and there are other scams which are intended to deliver something that they are promising, but either fail or have a very small chance of being successful in the first place. So Nat Mendelssohn, again, who was a Czechoslovakian immigrant, bought a lot of land in the Mojave Desert, and the claim he had was that he was going to develop a city that was 200 square miles in area, and there would be a golf course, a university, a mall, a massive park, you know, kind of like in the vein of Central Park in New York, and an airport. Again, not like LAX, but at least an airport that would have flights in and out that you could go other places that uh, people would want to go. And that there would be 500,000 people when California City finished its initial development and maybe grow from there. He even had plans for what's known as traffic calming. Traffic calming is where streets are designed to make it to where traffic cannot go that fast. Traffic calming sounds like a nice term, like, oh, who doesn't want calm traffic? But what that really means is putting some sort of some sort of uh, measure in the road that will prevent people from driving very fast, such as speed bumps, or in this case, curving the roads. So he was going to intentionally make winding city streets so people couldn't drive that fast. And the selling point was, this is a safe neighborhood for your kids. You can't have people zooming down the road because we're going to have curving roads that everyone's going to have to take slowly, which is not a good, good idea for safety purposes. How often do you hear someone say, you know what's really safe? You know what I would uh, love to drive on because it's so safe? A winding road. <laughs> That's where a lot of accidents happen, but let's put that aside. That is not at all the main point of this segment. Mendelssohn envisioned California City as a way to live in Southern California away from the overcrowded, polluted, and dangerous Los Angeles area. Los Angeles did not have anywhere near the population in the 50s as it does today, but it did have a lot of pollution, and it did have crime. In fact, the pollution in L.A. was pretty infamous in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and if you look at old pictures from those days that are in color, you will see the smog, especially in summer pictures, the smog perpetually hanging overhead. And I lived some of that. I lived the 70s and 80s part of that. And I will tell you that the look of 70s and 80s LA in the sky was very gray and dingy in the summer, and now it's blue. So that's a big improvement we've had over the years, thanks to both technology and environmental regulations regarding smog. I'm not usually a big environmental regulations guy, but they did do a good job at cleaning up the smog problem in LA. But getting back to this story, Mendelssohn saw potential that they could build a fairly large outlier city to Los Angeles. Now, this is still like 100 miles from L.A., but it's not super far. And that people would go there when they got tired of the problems L.A. had. 
and that California City would be a destination for that. So what he started with was selling empty lots. And at this point, it was not a scam. At this point, it was a dream. At this point, he really wanted to do these things. He wasn't thinking, okay, well, here's a good story to sell people, and then I'll just scam them. That was not his belief in the mid-50s. The mid-50s, he really thought he's going to bring this to people, and he's going to start out, he's going to raise money by selling these empty lots that he bought at a big profit. So people would buy the empty lot, and they could either build their own house or hold on to the land and then sell it to somebody else at a profit in the future because he envisioned the area is going to be worth more and more land-wise as it becomes a place where people are moving to and becomes a prominent city. And then the city would rapidly develop, and he would rapidly develop it with the sales that he uh, makes of these lots at a big profit. And then as the city develops, then the land will all go up in value and everyone will get rich. He will get rich. The people who bought in early will get rich. And will keep generating more and more money to develop the city. So it doesn't sound like a totally unreasonable plan. But, first of all, he had to sell enough plots of land to get all this going. Now, how do you do that? He could do it on his own, but he's only one guy. So what does he need at that point? If he wants to sell a lot of plots of land, and of course... Everybody you pitch this to is not going to buy it, so you're going to have a lot of people saying no. So it was a lot of effort to even sell one plot. So what do you need here? You need manpower. He needed salesmen. So he created a program that taught people how to be a real estate agent, gave them a crash course in real estate, and then they could get their license to sell property. But the course was specifically to sell these plots of land. It wasn't just to be a general real estate agent or go back to LA and be a real estate agent. This was a course they give you to then sell the plots of land. So he put out ads for people to enter a new profession. In fact, that's what it says on the ad. I have the ad in front of me right here. It says, opportunity, enter new profession while employed part-time or full-time. We became successful, and it says in quotes, so can you. I don't know why that's in quotes opportunities for men and women. No experience necessary. We pay your tuition for real estate license training with a nominal charge for textbooks, leads furnished by company, meaning that we will give you people to try to sell this to. You don't have to go track down people to sell. We, we have our leads. We just don't have enough people to sell. And then high commissions and paid expenses and complete sales training by sales experts. Let us explain. Attend a free evening or daytime meeting Monday, January 27th. I'm not sure what year it was. At the following addresses. And this is in uh, Northern California. He was promoting this. You could attend these meetings in Oakland, San Francisco, Berkeley, and then also a second one in San Francisco. And then they profiled two people who are already salesmen in the company. And... uh, I guess you'll be learning from these guys. So this was an ad distributed in the Bay Area in the early 60s. And he got a very large sales force. Eventually, there were 3,000 salesmen working under him to sell these plots of land. And that's all they were at the time, is plots of land. These salesmen were told to promise everyone that... This was going to rapidly develop. 
that they're getting in on the ground floor and that either way, it's going to be great for them. They could move to California City and it's going to be a great place to live, great place to raise a family. Or they could hold on to the land and sell it as a profit when the value of the land goes up because it becomes a real city. Or they could build a house themselves there There's and rent it out or, or whatever. There's a lot of things you can do with that land, they said. However, it, what, do you, what do you need? Let's say you just bought a piece of land into the complete middle of nowhere. What could you do with that land and what couldn't you do with that land? Well, there's actually not much you can do with it because you need some things to have land be viable. Most notably, you need utility connections. You need water, you need electricity, you may want gas. And if there are no such connections in the area, then that land isn't worth very much, unless you're going to farm on it. But California City is not on any kind of land that is uh, conducive to farming. So if it's going to be land that you're going to be selling people to live on, you're going to need utility connections. You're You're going to need infrastructure. And this did not exist there. So you were buying this believing it was going to be built one day. But the belief was at the time that you sell the plot of land first, make money, and then that stuff will come later. In fact, it doesn't have to come that much later because if you make enough money quickly, then they can build all that stuff and everything can get going and it'll take care of itself. Basically, it'll just keep causing property values to go up and then you can build more and more infrastructure and it'll get better and better. Eventually, they had 24 sales offices around the world and those 3,000 salesmen sold land to more than 73,000 people. Mendelssohn's company made hundreds of millions of dollars here on land that they bought very cheap. Massive scam. This is, this is back in the 60s. This is not hundreds of millions today. So he made more than a billion dollars by today's money by selling these plots of land. Now, yeah, the company had to pay out the commissions to all these salesmen, and they didn't keep all of that in profit, but in sales, they made uh, more than a billion dollars worth of sales in today's money. Well, we get to the late 1960s, and there's some problems, obviously, because people bought land throughout the 60s and were waiting for California City to explode. They were waiting for California City to reach its 500,000 people and have all the utilities and have all the infrastructure and the park and the university and the airport, all these things that were promised. Well, none of this stuff was happening. And not only were these things not complete, most of this was not even started. They were just selling land, 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 and really not doing any improvement in the area. Then there's the question of water. This is in the middle of the Mojave Desert. How are they going to have enough water to support 500,000 people? Well, a lie was told that California City was sitting on top of a gigantic underground reservoir. (laughs) This was told in the sales presentations. They were told that there is that underground reservoir and you don't have to worry about the water because they have over 1 million acre feet of water that could be taken out per year from this underground lake. 
this came from a civil engineer named Olindo R. Angelillo, who surveyed the uh, land that it was on top of in uh, 1959. And presumably he was bribed to say this. I don't believe the guy who surveyed the land really believed that this lake was under there because there's no such thing. There is no such lake under California City. The whole thing was completely made up. But they cited this civil engineer that surveyed it in 1959 and people believed it. Eventually, a hydraulic engineer at the California State Water Department went to California City and looked into it and tested the area themselves and they said, there's no freaking water under here. (laughs) This whole thing's made up. So that was something that was uh, already a big strike against them. I'm not sure what year it happened that they discovered the water thing. They did manage to open up a post office in California City in 1960. They incorporated California City in December of 1965. And at the time, it had 158 square miles of land, 5,900 landowners, 817 residents, and 232 homes. So there were some homes built, There were some residents. They had some infrastructure by the mid-60s, but this was far short of the city that was supposed to spring up there, and this is already in uh, late 1965. And as I said, by the late 60s, people were getting very upset that there just was very little progress. It was just this tiny, dusty town in the desert that hadn't made any progress. It had a huge area of land, but most of it was never developed at all. And there is very little over there other than a few hundred houses and a post office and you know a few small things. So it was still this tiny town and not it was projected to be and people were paying good money for what they believed it would become. They were not paying the prices you normally would to buy into a tiny town that was going nowhere. And they continued to insist that the growth was small it was slower than expected but it's eventually going to get there ralph nader remember him ralph nader who ran for president in fact in 2000 that was a spoiler if ralph nader had not run in 2000 for the green party then al gore would have been president in 2000 instead of george w bush ralph nader prior to that presidential run was a famed consumer advocate So in the late 60s, Ralph Nader's uh, consumer protection attorneys, who were nicknamed Nader's Raiders, decided to get involved here. And they were investigating this and other California land scams. Because this wasn't the only one. There were many scams like this, but this was the worst one. The report that was released by Ralph Nader's Raiders, and by the way, this is one of his earlier Ventures. This was one of Nader's earlier projects in the late 60s. He said, This is no ordinary real estate scheme. Mendelssohn isn't trying to sell land, and the public isn't really buying the land. They're engaged in a grand illusion of creating wealth. Mendelssohn has perfected the art of turning desert dust into gold, but only for himself. So basically what he's saying by the public isn't buying the land is that Most of the people buying it were believing that they were going to resell it at a large profit. So a lot of these people at first didn't worry too much, saying, hey, no, we don't have to live there. 
It just has to go up in value. But then it wasn't going up in value, and the resale value was not good, and the, you know, the development that was supposed to happen, which was going to make it valuable, never occurred. After the Nader report in uh, 1971, this got the attention of the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, and they began to investigate. So that was the beginning of the end at the time. But remember, this story doesn't end until the late 2010s. This was the end of Mendelssohn's company, which was then known as Great Western Cities. So over the next six years, the FTC was aggressively investigating everything Great Western Cities did, found a lot of fraud, a lot of misrepresentation, and Great Western Cities settled. And they actually paid what was at the time the largest consumer refund in the history of the FTC. Not sure what that amount was, but they refunded so many people that uh, never had the FTC presided over any scam where consumers were refunded more than this one. I don't know what's happened since, but in uh, 1977, that was the case. Well, Great Western Cities didn't have really anywhere to go after this whole scam fell apart. Somehow they lasted seven more years and declared bankruptcy in 1984. And with nothing more to live for, Nat Mendelssohn died. I don't know how he died, but he died. He didn't kill himself, but sometimes when someone is under tremendous stress and when everything they're living for has fallen apart and when they're already getting old anyway, which I have to imagine he was by 84, sometimes they lose the will to live and they just die. I've seen this many times. This is also part of the reason you will see very old married couples die within a year of one another. So sometimes if someone lacks the will to live or something traumatic happens and they're already very old, that will be the end of them very soon. So Nat Mendelssohn died in 84 after Great Western Cities completely folded and declared bankruptcy. Maybe he would have died anyway. Maybe it was a coincidence, but I'm guessing not. So is that the end of the story? Does the story end in 1984 when Great Western Cities declared bankruptcy and Nat Mendelssohn died? No, 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 no. Because with everything that happened, there was something that was still legal. You were still allowed to sell land in California City. You couldn't make false promises. You couldn't make false representations. But you could still sell land there. And maybe there was still some money in that. So a man named Tom Maney, M-A-N-E-Y, who was a former Great Western Cities employee who actually helped negotiate the settlement with the FTC, he was looking at this going, you know what? I think this scam doesn't have to be over. We just have to be smarter about it. We can't make the same mistakes as before because the FTC will bust us again and we can't have that. So we're going to start over here. So Tom Maney acquired some of the assets, including a lot of the land, and he got a resort. He bought a resort there that had sprung up during that time. I'm not sure what year it started, but he bought a small resort called the Silver Saddle Ranch. 
I guess the ranch was like a, a dude ranch, a place that people can visit and see uh, a working ranch. I'm not exactly sure what was going on there, but it was some kind of attraction for tourists. So he was using the Silver Saddle Ranch to draw people to the area. So he'd have people come out to the Silver Saddle Ranch for a little vacation. And then while they were there, he would pitch land in California City. So starting all over again, using this little ranch to bring people out there and start selling plots of land again. And he figured, hey, it's not illegal. I just got to be more careful about what I say. He was interviewed by interested journalists in the whole thing going, oh, no, not this scam again. But he denied that this is anything like the whole scam run by Nat Mendelssohn. He said the only similarity is that we sell land. So they continued to sell land in California City. In the 80s, there is a big explosion of formerly small desert towns in the general LA area that people were moving to because of the bad gang crime in LA. The 80s was a pretty violent time in Los Angeles, and I know personally because I lived there. I saw it. I drove through it. I spent some time hanging out in some neighborhoods that weren't very good. And some families did not like living in LA. Now, I didn't live in a bad area, but I had a car and I had friends who lived in in or near areas that weren't very good. So I saw a lot of what was going on in LA in the 80s. And people were moving out of LA from these bad neighborhoods that were gang infested and moving out to the desert. And that is the reason why Lancaster and Palmdale exploded in population during the 1980s. So California City, which is further away from LA than uh, Lancaster and Palmdale are, but that benefited as well because it was being promoted that California City has a lot of vacant plots and that there is a lot of potential there. So a lot of people were still buying in, not at the same rate they were before, but there were still people buying into California City. And because this new operation was a lot more careful, they were not getting in trouble with the FTC, at least not yet. And the company was now called Silver Saddle, which was named after that ranch, the Silver Saddle Ranch. However, by 2011, things started to dry up. The expansion of Lancaster and Palmdale and those type of areas near L.A. slowed down. And also, California City now had existed for 50 years and basically hadn't gone anywhere. So there was less and less of a case to be made that this was an up-and-coming town you're going to want to live in. So Silver Saddle then transitioned to a new scheme. They called it land land banking. So land banking is where a group of people own a huge chunk of land jointly. So there's about a thousand acres of land right in the outskirts of California City, and they divided it into 4,000 shares. And then it was sold with the idea that this land would appreciate in value, basically the same scam that was run back in the 60s. And then everybody could get together and sell it to a major developer and make a lot of money. So rather than just getting one plot of land and saying, hey, this is going to appreciate one day, 
they were promoting that the area is going to grow and that you can have a piece of this giant plot of land that's right outside California City and that one day a developer is going to want to build something really big there and then you'll get whatever percentage of what you own of the whole thing. So it's known as land banking. So they sold shares of this land banking to more than 2,000 people for as much as $30,000 each. Silver Saddle made $56 million between 2011 and 2019. Isn't that amazing? Still going that scam as recently as three years ago. So who was dumb enough to buy this? It's one thing in the 60s to fall for it. It's one thing in the 60s to believe that there's an up-and-coming desert town that you're getting in on the ground floor. But when the same bullshit has been going on for 50-plus years, who's going to fall for it? Couldn't you just Google it and see the story? Couldn't you look at the population and the history and realize this town is going nowhere? Well, they were very aware that people had the internet, that anyone who is an informed consumer, or even semi-informed, or even someone who thinks of Googling it, is going to say no. So they decided to target a very specific market. They decided to go after people who did not speak good English. So what they did is that they would get salespeople who spoke two languages, English and a second language. And they would then have these sales meetings, sales presentations, where they would divide people by ethnicity. So all of the Latino people they contacted would be rounded up together and they'd have a Latino person in the room speaking to them in Spanish. They would have a bunch of uh, Filipinos in the same room who were targeted by marketing. And they would have another Filipino who was targeting them. And they would have Chinese people who would be spoken to in Chinese by a Chinese person. They would watch a presentation about the area's potential. And the salesperson, who appeared to be one of them, you know, it wasn't a Whitey selling it to them, speaking English. It's someone speaking to them in their primary language, who they feel they can trust, would explain why this was a good buy, why this is a smart thing to do, why you should buy into this land banking scheme, and you're going to make all kinds of money. One of the tactics they used was actually to compare California City to Las Vegas. They pointed out that Las Vegas originally was a nothing little town and that it grew to be huge and a major city, in fact, the biggest city in Nevada. So they would present, this could be the next Las Vegas. They weren't promising there would be gambling there, but they were citing that Las Vegas and other similar desert towns sprung up from very humble beginnings and then eventually enjoyed great prosperity. They called the program Land Banking Plus. Actually, it wasn't just Land Banking Plus. It was Land Banking Plus with a plus symbol after it, which would make it Land Banking Plus Plus. (laughs) (laughs) I guess if you don't speak English well, it doesn't seem funny. But uh, I'm reading from this brochure, which is actually written in English. I don't know if they translated it to the other languages, but... It says, the path of growth is dot, 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 
Then there's a quote from Tom Maney. Today's successful investors must embrace a new thinking, one that maximizes a person's ability to bring about a gratifying, enriched, and exciting financial future. Land banking plus plus does just that. It is a new investment strategy that enables the smart investor to pool small amounts of money with other like-minded investors to own and control a truly extraordinary and large piece of prime real property directly in the path of the area's unprecedented and historic growth. And for some reason, unprecedented and historic growth is capitalized, but only the first letter of each word, and in quotes. Number two, according to the History Channel, the Northern Antelope Valley's explosion of new technologies will make the California gold rush look like a child's game. And again, there's this pointless quotes for look like a child's game. Land banking plus plus means you are in the path of the gold rush. New industries, technology, and billions of of new investment means jobs, technologies, big companies, and best of all, one-of-a-kind and incredible investor opportunities. So basically, they're saying that there's a big tech sector developing in Lancaster and Palmdale, which is to the south, and that this is going to extend in that direction, and eventually this land's going to be worth big money. Kind of like what happened in Silicon Valley, where all the land there is worth so much because of the tech explosion there. Number three, Land Banking Plus Plus puts you in the path of prosperity. In April of 2011, California Governor Jerry Brown signed into law, quote, 33% of California's energy must come from alternate sources by 2020. Shortly after, Land Investment News declared, Land Investment News, is that even a real publication? The Antelope Valley is home to 95% of all California's wind generating capacity. Alternate energy and, and the Antelope Valley are now one and the same, and the small, informed investor is poised to take advantage of it. So here they're saying that with most of the windmills of California in Lancaster and Palmdale, that with 33% of California's energy having to be from alternative sources, that it's going to have to come from there. And therefore, there's going to be even more expansion. And again, the area is going to be something huge and it's going to blow up. Number four, the area's people of influence featured on Fox News and the New York Times. Billionaires Paul Allen, co-founder of Microsoft, is expanding his interest into the area with his new Stratolaunch spaceflight company. Also, Sir Richard Branson from Virgin declares Mojave is the Silicon Valley of the space industry. These are only two of the mega entrepreneurs and business leaders now doing business in this dynamic area. See, what they're doing is they are misleading people. They're taking people like uh, Sir Richard Branson talking about Mojave, which is not the Mojave Desert, but actually uh, Mojave itself and and Rosamond nearby. And then they're extending it to California City, which, which is a big leap. Nobody was saying the California City has great potential. Paul Allen wasn't saying that. Richard Branson wasn't saying that. But they're trying to make people think that they are. So there's a few more of these bullet points. I won't bother to read it. Actually, I'll read the last one. It's kind of funny. Land Banking++ is the best way to take advantage of today's media headlines. And again, there's weird capitalization all over the place. Don't just sit around and watch what everyone else is doing when you too can participate by making Land Banking++ part of your investment portfolio. (laughs) This is the everyone else is doing it, you should too strategy, you know, used by kids in high school trying to get you to take drugs with them. Safety, ownership, participation, and control coupled with an almost unlimited access to a network of worldwide resorts 
can bring about both a happier today and a more prosperous tomorrow. Come on. What is this network of worldwide resorts? So what does that have to do with this? Take to heart these seven reasons to include Land Banking Plus Plus in your financial plans and you'll be on the road to, quote, gratifying, enriched, and exciting financial future. (laughs) This brochure, I skipped five and six, but this brochure was part of a lawsuit against Silver Saddle. The salespeople who were trying to sell these useless plots of land also held raffles for free airline tickets to Hong Kong and Manila, as well as shopping sprees, watches, cameras, and other perks to, hold, to encourage people to invest. And then they had kind of a pyramid scheme going on for the referral program, where anyone who bought a share of the land banking project and then referred to their friends would receive uh, $2,000. I don't know if you would get anything if those people referred people, but you at the very least would get $2,000 for referring anyone. And apparently, the sales agents used high-pressure tactics to really, really pressure people into saying yes. And there was no cancellation period. Once you signed on the dotted line, you were an an owner of the land banking scheme. And not only that, you had to pay them $41 in memberships fees every month for the rest of time. (laughs) So... You're not even just scammed on what you're buying. You're, you're actually scammed on having to pay an ongoing membership fee, or otherwise, presumably, you would uh, lose your investment. That they would probably take away the land you bought because of back payments you owe. And forty-one a month adds up to about five hundred a year. So that's not trivial. Well, it's one thing to pull this scam in the '60s, but in 2019, that's a little harder to get away with, especially because these land scams were well-known by then. So the California Department of Business Oversight said, "Uh uh-uh, no more, and they filed a lawsuit against Silver Saddle accusing the company of securities fraud, and a judge appointed a receiver to take control of the company's assets and property while the case proceeds. And as far as they know, the case is still ongoing. So it looks like Silver Saddle is done. So I guess they're, uh, they were considered to be in violation of securities law since they were selling shares of something. Oops. I don't know why they didn't think of that. But what about the people who bought in? Are they likely to get their money back now that the government got involved and is suing them? Well, it looks like no. The court-appointed receiver said that Silver Saddle's finances were a mess, their books were super disorganized, and in fact, the fraud examiner of the state said that it was probably deliberate that they probably made the books really, really disorganized and confusing to make it difficult to trace later if they ever got in trouble. And it looked like that a lot of the money invested was gone, that a lot of it was used to pay sales agent, and uh, a lot of it also just seemed to have disappeared. And it looked like that there wasn't going to be much they could recover. Now, there was the ranch, which of course still existed, and the land around it, So the receiver is actually trying to sell the land and the ranch. I don't know if this was successful. This is about a year ago they've been trying to do that. I don't know if they've gotten a buyer. However, $56 million worth of this useless land was sold. So even if they do sell whatever land that 
the company owned and that ranch, it's not going to generate anywhere near $56 million. In fact, the land was, quote, near worthless, according to the state, and that apparently the land that was being sold was worth about 1% of the value it sold for. So only a 100-time markup. No big deal. (laughs) What a mess. So this California City scam went on, would you believe, for 60 years. 60 years. It began in 1959 and it ended in 2019. I think it really is probably done now, but who knows? Maybe someone else will take the reins and scam people in the 2020s and beyond. You never know. There could be someone else doing a podcast in the 2100s talking about the next 80 years of scams that took place. Now, if you want to go take a look at California City, you can without getting in your car or on an airplane. You can see what I'm talking about very easily without ever leaving your home. So what you should do is go to Google Maps and type in California City. Then put on the satellite view. And with the satellite view, zoom in to where you can see the area. And then take a look at all of the streets. Because you can see the streets. They will show up in the satellite view, or you can select an option that shows them. Once you zoom in, you'll definitely see them, unless the option is off. But even without them, you'll see there, there are indentations in all the dirt in the area that show where the streets would be. But you can also see the streets drawn in, and you can see they are very curvy, like was promised. You see these weird curvy streets all over the place in this very large area with very little there. There's very, very little there. So it's really weird because you see on this map, street after street after street with nothing built there. There's nothing on the satellite. It's like all dirt. But there's all these streets listed there. There are named streets listed there, but you cannot uh, see anything there. I'm looking right now at Dinar Street, Primera Drive, Namath Drive, Rowan Street, Alondra Drive, Duran Drive, Rayburn Drive, Solon Drive, and there's nothing. I mean, there's not even one house on the satellite view. There's streets, there's apparently indentations in the dirt where the street should be, but it's the dirt. It's just dirt and brush in this whole complex web of curved streets. There is a real prison in California City that's away from the actual developed part of California City. You will see on the west portion of California City, there is some development. Obviously, there has to be with 15,000 people there. There is a golf course. The golf course finally showed up. You can stay in California City if you like. There is a Best Western over there. There is a McDonald's. If you'd like to have a quarter pounder with cheese, you can get that. There's the Tierra del Sol golf course. At least that dream was realized. And there's kind of sparsely populated houses there like there there's no street that just has like a ton of houses on it you'll see like a few houses and then nothing and then a few houses again so these must have been people who bought in the area that was developing but they probably didn't sell all the plots there or they probably sold them but most of them were probably not developed so you'll see like a lot of sparsely placed houses in the area of town that is real now but if you go east 
and you go west and you go north, you'll see just tons of streets where there's nothing built. And that's why California City is so large geographically, but yet has a 15,000 population because it's all concentrated in that one little area that was actually developed. And the rest is what was supposed to be developed but never did and never will be. This is not even a city that maybe one day is going to become something. Now, maybe deep, deep, deep into the future, if California keeps growing in population, that they'll finally have a need to build over there. But they really don't because there's nothing special about it. Just because some scammer promised they were going to build there in the 60s doesn't mean, oh yeah, we might as well build there now. Because the truth is, it's not a very desirable place to be. It's totally in the middle of nowhere. And there's just nothing around there that you'd want to go to or be at. So it's not a desirable place to live. It's hot in the summer. I guess there's some elevation there, so it's not as hot as some other desert areas of California, but it's still fairly hot in the summer. It's very windy over there. A lot of wind in that area of the desert. So the weather isn't that good by California standards. But the biggest problem is just out there. It's not really close to anything. So if they're going to expand in any direction, I don't think it's going to be that one. When the population of Palmdale and Lancaster was exploding in the 80s and part of the 90s, there was talk that what they were eventually going to do was keep expanding south until they got all the way down to Santa Clarita. But that never occurred because the growth very much slowed down in those areas. So I don't know what's really going to happen to California City aside from just sitting there and being a place that was a 60-year scam. Are there any other scams like this in California? I mentioned about Nader's Raiders investigating California land scams, but I only talked about California City. Well, yes, there were other land scams. And in fact, one of these land scams was promoted on TV by a familiar face, someone who was once famous for being on a very well-known TV series, but kind of fell upon hard times because he couldn't get a lot of work after that. Let's listen to this ad. Hello, I'm Eric Estrada. I'm here today to introduce you to a new California dream, California Pines, a dream come true, located in California's pristine Modoc County. If you've ever considered moving, a second home, or planning your future in a glorious rural forest type setting, then you owe it to yourself to come and check out this place I fondly call my California Pines. Okay, what is California Pines? Is it near California City? It is not. California Pines is in Northern California, and it is a real place, but much like California City, it was promoted that it's going to become something it never did. California Pines is another place that if you look on Google Maps, you'll see a lot of streets with very little developed. There's a lot in common with California City. California Pines is in Northeastern California. Why don't you take a moment to think about what is in Northeastern California? I don't mean the Bay Area. That's actually more Central California, even though it's known as Northern California. It's kind of like North Central California. But that's all the way to the West, right? 
And it's not even something like Eureka, which is further northern California. It's not like Crescent City, which is the very northwest California. What is northeast California? You think maybe it's Mammoth? No, 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 no. Mammoth is central California. It's eastern, but it's central. What is northeast? Well, if you're having problems visualizing what is in northeastern California, it's because there's nothing. Northeastern California is desolate. There's just about no population there. And California Pines is in a very, very empty area of northeastern California. So they show him in front of uh, a little lake, and you see actual pine trees behind him. So it looks like a very scenic mountain sort of place, but it's not. It is at uh, 4,400 feet. It does have some elevation to it. But 4,400 feet in California is uh, not high enough to really live the typical mountain life that you would expect. You need to be higher, really, to get a lot of snow. It, it probably gets some snow, but it only has a population of 473 people as of the 2010 census, or the 200, 2020 census. The 2010 census actually had more people. They had uh, 520 people in 2010. They actually declined over the next 10 years. <laughs> It is in Modoc County, California. As you can imagine, never really got going. This advertisement you're listening to was during the real estate boom of the mid-2000s, where basically they're trying to pitch just buy land that's going to go up because all real estate's going up. And number one, you saw what happened in 2008. And number two, this was never worth anything because it has the same problem with California City. But let's listen to the rest of the ad. Remember, Eric Estrada, who is already uh, implying that he lives there, but not directly saying it, is pitching this quite hard here with his 800 number that you can call for a free brochure. This is a truly affordable development with prices starting at these incredible prices. Give us a call. So the, the incredible prices he's talking about $995 down, $19,900 is the full price if you just want to pay in full, or if you want to just split it up in monthly payments, $269 per month. So you could have a one-acre lot for either twenty dollars up front or $269 per month with only $1,000 down. There's absolutely no obligation, and a free brochure will be rushed to you immediately outlining our generous offer and simple financing terms. You can own up to one acre and enjoy an outdoor lifestyle among the two million acres of towering pines that surround this fantastic area. Hi okay, so they're showing all these pine trees everywhere, and they're surrounding little lakes. It looks semi-scenic. It doesn't really look beautiful. But it looks semi-scenic. It looks like it might kind of be relaxing to live there. But if you look at Google Maps, it tells a different story. The, the trees look kind of sparse. It kind of looks desolate. This isn't even like a mountain town that's filled with pine trees everywhere. This is kind of in between complete desert and a lot of pine trees. It's kind of got like a medium amount of, palm tr of pine trees. And these lakes they keep showing are also exaggerated. There does not seem to be a lot of lakes in the area probably like little ponds and that's it hike among the blooming flowers of spring or camp under the golden leaves of fall there's nothing like it this place is gorgeous 
You're gonna love it. Did you know that the U.S. Census Bureau estimates that California's population will expand by a whopping 41% by the year 2010? Oh, well, I don't remember what it did then, but what is California's population doing now? Yeah, it's actually declining. California has lost congressional seats because people have left the state because of all the problems in California. So, so much for this explosive growth. That means nearly 45 million people will be living in the great state of California. This also means even more people like yourselves will be looking for these hidden jewel land opportunities. So that's the problem is California is a very large state geographically. So getting something in a place like California Pines is not the same as getting something in Los Angeles or in San Francisco or San Diego. It's nowhere near the same thing. You're totally, totally, totally out in the middle of nowhere. And you're actually pretty close to Northwest Nevada and Central Oregon, South Central Oregon. Both of those are desolate areas as well. So just because you're technically in California, that doesn't mean very much. And again, it looks like there's, even in in their video here, they're showing just a lot of land. They're showing planes and trees and stuff, but they're not, they're not showing any development. They're not showing any kind of utilities you're going to have. Start planning your future by owning California real estate. Make that call to order a free brochure. Ah, okay. So here they're showing kids playing and uh, they're on some swings and on the seesaw. Okay. Probably the one mini park in the whole area. More about the wonderful community of California Pines and how you can fly up here on a free weekend trip for two. That's oh. right, a free weekend for two to see beautiful California Pines for yourself. It's a free call, a free brochure, and a free trip, so you have absolutely nothing to lose. Our free fly-in weekends fill up quickly, so call now. If you have ever thought of owning property in Northern California, make that call now. Don't let this opportunity pass you by. Plan your future by owning California real estate. Whoa, California real estate. You can live right by Eric Estrada, who's hit such hard times that he's actually living next door to you in California Pines. He doesn't really live there. He never lived there. But you hear him at the beginning saying, this is my California Pines. So he isn't really a scammer. He just took any work that they would give him. You've probably seen Eric Estrada doing little guest appearances on TV recently and doing voices for often his own character playing himself on shows on the Cartoon Network. Really, anyone who is going to give Eric Estrada work, he will take. Eric Estrada is one of those actors who just will take anything he can get because he's probably close to broke and he can't get any serious roles anymore. And now he's also quite old. So his career wasn't even looking good in the mid-2000s. So some people remember him promoting California Pines and kind of laughed at it. And because of the similarity in name and because of the similarity in the situation, some people have wrongly remembered that he promoted California City. He did not. He he promoted California Pines. But it's the same concept. There were a lot of these land scams that existed in the past and uh, in the recent past and um, even in the present. Because again, it's not illegal to sell land. It's just illegal to misrepresent what the land is going to become. But you can use kind of vague terms to be quasi-legal and not be considered a scam. That's how Silver Saddle got away with it for so many decades from 
84 all the way through 2019. They got away with it for 35 years. And the reason that they got away with it was because they were staying just enough within the law to where they couldn't be busted until they started doing this crap with the land banking, which was deemed a security violation. That's how they were nailed. What can we take away from this? Number one, any kind of land or real estate opportunity that you see advertised to the masses on TV is 100% a bad deal and likely a scam of some sort. You're not going to find a diamond in the rough deal mass advertised on late night TV. That's not the way it works. People like to believe that's how it works. People like to believe that they have just been given an opportunity to get in at the ground floor of something that's going to become very large. But in reality, they wouldn't be selling this land if it was worth so much. They're selling it because, as you saw, they were marking it up like 100 times what it was really worth. The land itself is very close to worthless. So any opportunity like that is not going to be mass advertised to bozos in the general public. The way you will find real estate deals, if you're interested in that, is to do your own hard work to look for diamonds in the rough that are not mass advertised. And it requires knowing the market, knowing values of things, and understanding what you're buying, what you're getting, and what you can do with it. It's not by buying into opportunities pitched to you on TV by out-of-work actors. There's no chance that's ever going to be a good deal. But they don't need everybody to buy in. They don't need the majority of people to buy in. They just need a small number of people they can trick. And that's why the Silver Saddle Company was just aiming it at people who spoke a foreign language and didn't know English very well, feeling like they would have a more difficult time researching it and that they would probably trust a person who speaks their language who looks like them, which is a pretty nasty trick. They'd hire some snake in the grass of Chinese descent, of Filipino descent, or uh, a Latino, and they'd speak to the potential victims in their own language, and they felt like they were being pitched something by one of their own that's a great deal. Pretty sad. And the people targeted with these type of scams are not rich people. Rich people are not going to buy a plot of land in the middle of nowhere hoping it's worth something one day. This this is people who don't have very much money and will invest their entire savings in taking a shot at becoming successful one day. Or maybe having a nice place to live that's well beyond what they could otherwise afford. So it's people who are really least able to absorb this type of loss. And that's the saddest to see when people who don't have very much money are scammed out of everything they have. And sometimes these people spent a long time building up these savings. Sometimes these are people who are not irresponsible. In fact, usually it's not people who are irresponsible or they'd be broke in the first place, but it's people who have saved up money for their future and they believe that they are investing in their future here. And then they're taken into something like that and they usually don't get their money back. It's, it's a very sad story. It's especially a sad story when these scammers know they are hurting people who can least afford to be hurt. But, you know, some scammers, they, they just don't care. It's just, if they can put money in their pocket and get away with it, that's all that counts. They don't care about what they do to people. Anyway, I encourage you to go Google California City 
in satellite mode, make sure the street markings are turned on, and same with California Pines. Pretty interesting. If you want to look at another city like that, but for a different reason, look up Salton City, which is near the Salton Sea. I'm not going to go into that whole story, but that was because of the Salton Sea becoming something different because of runoff from nearby farms that basically ruined the Salton Sea and the expected development in the area fell apart. But you also see the same thing with a lot of streets that have absolutely no development on them. But at least there, you had a reason the whole place failed. Here, it was just a scam. And same with California Pines. Moving on, a blackjack dealer in Buffalo was the type of dealer you'd probably like to have, but it did not have a very happy ending to the story. A blackjack dealer in Buffalo was assisting the players a bit too much, and some bad things happened. So at the Seneca Buffalo Creek Casino on August 14th, Mark Watson and Rahat Hossein had a really, really good night at the blackjack table. In fact, they won thousands of dollars. But Emily Torres, who was the dealer at the table, was showing them her whole cards. And they just kept playing and playing. And obviously both of them won. It's almost impossible to lose if you play for a while under those conditions, because you can always see when you should hit and when you should stand. I imagine they didn't do anything to cover what they were seeing. So probably, for example, they'd be dealt a 19, they'd see the dealer has a 20, and they'd hit it where nobody else would ever hit 19 without having that knowledge. Apparently, Mark Watson won $5,200, and Rahat Hossein won $2,210, And Emily Torres, I assume, was a friend of theirs and was supposed to get a cut there. What happened was uh, they were reviewing security footage, and I don't know exactly how they caught it, but they noticed what Emily Torres was doing, and they arrested all three of them within a day. They were charged with first-degree gaming fraud, which is actually a felony. They were required to pay back the amount they won from the casino, which both of them have done. Both uh, Watson and Hossein have paid back. And they are going to be having a felony hearing. So on October 12th, they'll be hearing the case of both Torres and Watson, and then Hossein will have his hearing on October 6th. Hossein has already pleaded not guilty, which is kind of surprising when they have all the footage. Maybe he's going to say that he didn't know that this wasn't allowed, or he thought the dealer had the leeway to show what she wanted. Who knows what he's going to say? I don't think anyone's going to believe it. I don't know if Torres or Watson have entered a plea yet. Torres is probably the one most on the hot seat because she was the one who was the insider showing her cards to them. I don't know how long that they were playing. They didn't win a huge amount of money, you know, 5200 2200 but maybe they were keeping the bets fairly small and hoping it would fly under the radar. And apparently it didn't. 
I also don't know how they managed to do this without anyone seeing, but apparently this was fairly late at night because it was said to have occurred on August 14th and then the very early morning of August 15th. So it must have started like, I don't know, 11 something or 10 something at night and then went after midnight. So technically occurred over two days. Looks like a pretty simple scheme. But if you're going to do something like this, the smart way to do it, and I don't know exactly the way they did it, but obviously it must have taken a little time because it passed through midnight and it was part of two days. So unless they started at like 11.50, then they probably did this for a while. They probably thought that by not betting really big and by just grinding these wins of 5,200 and 2,200 at lower stakes, they won't get caught. The problem is you're sitting there a long time and anyone looking at the security footage, seeing the dealer behaving in a strange manner, will then look more closely and and catch what's going on. That's probably what happened. If you really wanted to get away with this, the smarter way to do things would be to have them bet bigger and then quickly show them the whole cards and then maybe let them play normally afterwards after they've won a bunch of money to lose some back or maybe even get lucky and not lose, but let like a good deal of normal play go afterwards for about the same limits, and then let them walk away with a profit. Something where there's not a whole lot of cheating play on camera, but more like a hot run, maybe at the beginning, and then let the remainder be normal, and it probably won't get caught. It could if they're watching at the time, but the more exposure you have to being caught showing these cards, the more time you're doing it, the higher chance it is they're going to catch you. Your best shot is only doing this a few times and hoping the eye in the sky isn't watching. And then if they quickly review tapes, they won't see anything suspicious because the majority of the time, the vast majority of the time, you're playing normally. If I had to set up this scheme, that's what I would do. I would not have them grind at low limits because it just takes too long. There's too long of a time where it could be seen. It's also possible their win rate was way too high. Like if somebody's betting $25 a hand and racks up $5,200 in wins in a few hours, there's going to be some questions. How is someone who's betting that small winning $5,200 in a few hours? It doesn't make sense. So then they can go take a look. Also, they can start seeing weird plays. They can start seeing that people are hitting 19s and other plays no one would make, and they're going to get suspicious and look more closely, and you can see how the whole thing unravels. So I have a feeling these people were not very bright in how they set this up. But that's usually how these gambling schemes go. It's it's not set up by geniuses. Often these are simple plans that have huge flaws in them, and then the people get caught. From watching TV, from watching schemes on TV that are written by intelligent fiction writers and written for the viewer to enjoy, you see these very sophisticated and smart criminals. But criminals in real life usually are dumb, usually pretty simple. And you look back and go, oh my God, I can't believe they thought they were going to get away with it. So I have a feeling this probably was just like hours of play at relatively low limits where they just kept grinding up a bigger and bigger win and thought, oh, who's going to look at this as low limits? Well, if you're winning far more than you should in that period of time, because the casino is keeping track of your average bet, and if it's just not adding up how you're winning so much in a game that's negative EV, then they're going to look into it more. So I think something stupid was done here, aside from attempting this in the first place. So there are all charged with felonies here. 
And now I'm sure they wish they did not do this. So let's talk about a second scheme to uh, steal from the casino. And this one, kind of more direct and more brazen. So the one in Buffalo, they were getting the dealer's help to show them whole cards, and they were making optimal decisions based upon that information they shouldn't have and probably grinding up a big profit. Well, a guy at the El Cortez decided, you know, to hell with all that. I don't have anyone to help me. And I don't really have any clever way to steal. I don't have any kind of clever scheme in my hand. I'm not even going to pretend I do. So rather than come up with anything advanced or even semi-advanced, I'm just going to dive across a craps table and grab chips. (laughs) And there's actual footage of this. Vital Vegas got this from El Cortez and posted it on his Twitter. And you can see the footage of a man in a blue shirt and shorts sprawled across a craps table with his hands reaching into the chips that are in front of the dealer. And you see the stick man there. You see the dealer who's uh, just kind of like sitting there shocked. This is like an above picture. It's like you're, you're hovering above the table here, the way the view is. And you you can't see the guy's face. He's got a black hat on, but he's sprawled on his stomach. It's like a belly flop across the craps table with his feet hanging off, and he's just grabbing chips. Well, I guess he did manage to scoop a lot because he scooped $19,100 in chips. He did this around 7 a.m. on September 6th, and he grabbed 19000 in chips and booked out of the place. He had arms full of chips, and no one stopped him. It's not clear if security didn't see him in time, or they didn't want to risk anything happening to them. I don't even think this guy was armed, though. It looks like this guy just jumped and grabbed chips, so security was pretty cowardly if they didn't go after him. But it's possible this guy at least thought this out a little bit. He picked a time of the morning when it's kind of dead, when it's easy to sprint through the casino and have not no one in his way. So he jumped across the table, grabbed the chips as quick as he could, hopped off, and sprinted out of there. And, and maybe he did this quickly enough to where security just wasn't able to get over there quickly enough. However, how is he going to convert this to cash? Well, obviously this guy who knows he is on the casino footage and they really want to get him is not going to come back in himself and try to cash in the chips. What he might be able to do is give it to a friend slowly, not the whole 19,000, but slowly give a friend or a few friends the chips to bring in there and uh, slowly cash out. This may or may not work, Some casinos have RFID tags to where once the chips are stolen, they can disable those chips and arrest anyone who comes in to redeem them. However, El Cortez does not have the RFID chips, and it's possible that this thief knew that. However, the El Cortez is not a high-limit casino. In fact, the El Cortez is notorious for banning basic strategy blackjack players, which are not card counters. That is, if you come in and play just the way the book tells you to play blackjack, the way you probably learned to play blackjack, if you bet 
$25 or more per hand and play basic strategy blackjack, they will bar you. That's what they're infamous for doing. Because not only don't they want card counters, they don't even want competent negative EV players there. So as you can imagine, there's not a lot of high rollers there at the El Cortez. So if someone just walks in there and it's with uh, you know, $1,200 worth of chips, for example, uh, they're not going to just go, okay, well, here's your $1,200. Uh, good luck, sir. They're probably going to ask some questions. They're probably going to want to know where you played, where you won them. And if you act even slightly suspiciously or can't give a good answer, then they might look more closely into you. So possibly what the guy could do is if he had multiple people come in very slowly, maybe $100 at a time, something that's low enough to where it's a very common amount that is exchanged every day, and not always a round number, you know, maybe 105 one day, 95 the next day, whatever it is, something that's, that's pretty small and over a long period of time to where they don't recognize the same people coming in over and over and over with just chips to cash out, they could probably get away with it. Especially because it's only $19,000, so there's only going to be so much effort into stopping this. But that's the only way. I, I don't think the guy is ever going to set foot on the property again. And he may have a hard time finding accomplices willing to go in there and do this and risk being arrested and facing the charges they would face. So I'm not sure what this guy's plans are, unless he already had an accomplice that was willing to buy the chips off of him at a much reduced rate and then take it over. Maybe he was not the ringleader. Maybe he was just the guy to grab the chips and give them to somebody else who's already figured out how to get the chips cashed out. Who knows? It could even have a an insider in the casino who tip them off how to do this and get away with it and what time to do it and maybe that insider could help them cash out. Who knows? There's a lot of ways it could be. It's only 19000 so there's only so much risk people are going to take for that type of money, even people who don't have a lot of money because they have to think about the consequences on the other end if it's not successful. And it's not like you're going to get 19000 for succeeding. That anyone else you get involved is going to get their cut. Is this really worth it for anyone? I don't know. So far, nobody's been arrested for this, but they might in the future. You never know. Now let's go to a third casino crime story. This one is kind of maddening, and it may go along with what Brandon said last week. One thing that's kind of maddening is when people in Vegas are not charged with crimes when they should be charged, and Brandon insisted this is because of prison overcrowding, so they're just simply choosing not to charge the more minor crimes, which I guess would make sense, because when you hear this, it's going to sound like a stupid story. As you know, machines these days mostly spit out tickets. They don't spit out quarters anymore. There's a few of these machines left that spit out the quarters, and you get this big bucket of quarters, and it can be fun to play one of those and relive the old school days when it was like that. And it was kind of fun in the past to have all the quarters drop down or at least the dollar coins, whatever they are, they have coins drop down. But you really don't have that for the most part. Now it really is tickets. And then you can either cash the tickets out yourself with a machine, or you can do it at the cashier. Well, there was a player at a machine. I'm not sure if it was video poker 
or if it was slots, but there was a player with about $1,600 in the machine. And for whatever reason, the player briefly walked away from the machine, which is stupid. I'm always paranoid about that when I'm playing video poker. I'm always very paranoid about leaving money in the machine for exactly this reason. I'm worried someone's going to quickly hit cash out and steal it. Like, I don't even want to walk away for like 10 seconds. I guess if I can see it, like if I just go over to the machine across and have my eye on the machine the whole time and I can jump back there and go, whoa, 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 don't touch that. But I would never want to walk out of view of the machine or far enough away to where I couldn't yell out or try to stop the person if they tried to cash out because I would be worried it would happen. You can have them lock the machine up if you need to go to the bathroom or you can always just uh, cash out and put the ticket in your pocket and then reinsert it when you come back. Of course, you do risk that machine being grabbed by somebody else, but at least you won't lose your money. But for whatever reason, the victim here briefly walked away from the machine and some guy saw it and quickly hit the cash out button and ran off. Well, the guy came back to the machine and saw that it was gone, that it was zero and had been cashed out and was obviously very upset. So the victim ran over to security and said, you got to stop this guy. I don't know who did this, but find whoever did this quickly. So security did what they were supposed to do. They quickly went over to all the machines that you can use to cash out these tickets because that's the most obvious destination that they don't want the ticket uh, to be invalidated. They don't want the ticket to be cashed at the cashier. So if you're the guy stealing this, your next move is to sprint over to a machine and cash it out. So that's exactly what the guy did. And security found the guy just barely walking away from the machine he used to cash out the $1,600 or so. I'm not sure how they knew the guy was the one who had stolen the money and not just another patron there. But somehow they knew. I don't know if maybe this guy was seen doing it from a distance or if it was the way he was behaving or if they quickly checked video. Whatever it was, they found the guy that he had just cashed out through one of those cash-out machines And then they detained the guy, called Las Vegas Metro Police, who then responded to the scene and determined that, yes, this money was stolen. And a Metro Police officer actually took the money and handed it over to the victim, who got all his money back right on the spot, which is nice. But what to do with the thief? Well, they said to him that they're going to be taking him to jail and charging him with theft. And he pleaded with them that he's not normally a thief, that he did this on this particular day because his $1,000 rent was due and he couldn't pay rent. (laughs) And amazingly, they said, okay. They said, well, 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 well. If you are not able to pay your rent. Well, we understand. We thought you just stole the $1,600 to steal it, but if it was to pay your rent and you can't make rent this month, well, okay, we forgive you. So they actually let the man go and he was never charged. Even worse, they are declining to publish his name because they elected not to charge him. 
He actually was taken initially to the Clark County Detention Center, but then released. And he was released, quote, due to lack of evidence. But that seems like a technicality. There was not a lack of evidence. They actually chose not to charge him and let him go. In fact, the man actually admitted having done it and said he needed to pay rent. So this was not a guy saying, no, this was my money. You made a mistake. He said, yeah, I stole it, but I had to pay rent. So they cited lack of evidence, which makes no sense. But you can't release someone citing, well, the guy said he can't pay his rent, so we're letting him go. But what probably happened is that maybe they looked into it and saw he was really broke and really couldn't pay his rent. And they're like, okay, this guy isn't a hardened criminal. He he has no criminal history. So, all right, whatever. We, We have a crowded enough prison system as it is here in Nevada. Uh, we're just going to let this guy walk. So they actually let him walk, which is crazy. They do have the authority to do this. They don't have to charge everybody. In fact, there are DAs in cities like LA and San Francisco and New York that are actually choosing not to prosecute whole classes of crime. So like in San Francisco, if you steal less than $900 worth of merchandise from a store, they won't charge you. They actually say this in advance. We won't charge you. Same with LA. And all this does is it starts organized theft rings that take advantage of this. Now, that's not what's happening here. They didn't say we're never going to charge crimes where someone is stealing someone else's ticket voucher. In fact, usually any crime involving a casino, they take pretty seriously because casinos are the major industry in Las Vegas. So they don't want to encourage this sort of thing happening. If it gets around, this is happening all the time because no one's getting prosecuted, then this is going to happen much more. And then the casinos will develop a bad reputation. People will stop coming and the economy is going to be in trouble. So they take the fraud against casinos or casino patrons pretty seriously. But apparently they let this guy go because they just didn't feel that he was a priority to prosecute and imprison believing that he really did do this out of desperation. But it's still crazy. It really shouldn't matter what the person's motivation is when that that amount of money is stolen. It's more understandable if a woman is caught shoplifting from a 7-Eleven for $20 worth of stuff, and then it's found that she and her three kids are starving, and this was the only way to feed them. Now, that doesn't excuse stealing, but you can say, okay, it's $20 worth of stuff, This woman doesn't have a criminal record, and it really does seem like she stole this food to feed her kids. So, okay, we're not going to prosecute her. Okay, that makes more sense. But $1,600? You steal $1,600, I don't care what the freaking reason is. You got to face the music for that one. It's not even like the guy pled guilty and got some kind of probation. I'd understand that too. They just dropped it. They just said, okay, goodbye. See ya. Stop stealing from casinos. Bye. Crazy. I wonder what the policy is right now in Vegas. I wonder if they really are letting everybody go who is caught doing that. Because if somebody asked me if there was any chance if I grabbed someone's credits on a machine and hit cash out and ran over and cashed the ticket and tried to get out of there and they caught me. If you asked me what the chances were that I would be able to walk without ever getting prosecuted in any way. They'd actually just let me walk out of uh, Clark County Jail and never get charged on the same day. I would say the chances would be... Zero 
point zero. Like, there's no chance I would have thought that could be possible. I would think, okay, maybe I'd get probation or something. But I, there wouldn't be no charges if they caught me red-handed. Even worse, like, if you were caught doing it and admitted you did it. So there's not even any doubt that you did it. Crazy. You know, when people talk about, oh, we can't build more prisons. We have more prisons in the U.S. than other first world countries per capita, blah, 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 blah. I don't care. We should build enough prisons to house the people who are really committing crime. Now, we should hope that crime will go down and we won't have to use those prisons. And maybe we can close some if the crime situation improves. And maybe we can try various social solutions to try to bring down crime. That's fine. But you can't just not prosecute. You have to prosecute crime or society breaks down. It's not compassionate to not prosecute crime because it encourages more crime. It encourages the individual to offend again, and it encourages others who hear about it to offend again. Like someone reads this story, they're going to go, oh, great. Well, look, that guy got away with it. So I'm going to try to steal casino credit when someone walks away from the machine. I'm going to start stalking casinos, and when someone's dumb, dumb enough to step away from the machine with an amount worth stealing, I'm going to hit cash out and run. You don't want to encourage that. You have to create a deterrent from committing crime, or crime will increase. It's not rocket science. So you have to have prosecution of crime. It's not compassionate to say we're not going to charge these people. You could say, oh, that guy had to pay rent. What can he do? He didn't want to end up on the street. Yeah, that's not the solution, to steal from somebody else. You can't encourage that. You can't say we're not going to prosecute that. It's going to get copycats. The guy himself may do it again. Because when you don't prosecute, what you're screwing is the victim. You're also screwing society because now it can happen again. Very bad. I've always said we shouldn't worry about the size of our population in prison. We should worry about whether the people in prison deserve to be there for as long as they're sentenced. And if the answer is yes, they deserve to be there for as long as they're sentenced, then the only thing we should do at that point is look at why we are having so many people committing crime and see if we can take measures to prevent that. But the correct measure is never to just not prosecute. That never works out. That has never worked out in the history of crime and punishment in the United States or any first world country. This has never worked out. Non-prosecution. Speaking of prosecution, the mafia is not dead. The mafia is still running gambling operations in New York. You may say, Druff, you are repeating yourself. You're getting senile. We already did this story. We just did one. We just talked about the mafia operation, the illegal casinos, the illegal underground casinos that were busted in New York. So why are you talking about this again? We just did this. And I will say, no, we didn't just do this. We actually had a second round of arrests. This one involved sports betting rather than casino gambling. So federal authorities in Brooklyn this past week unsealed an indictment charging six defendants for overseeing an operation, overseeing and operating a large illegal online gambling business. 
Now, it was sort of online gambling, because let me explain the way the online gambling works for bookies in your local area. Not just New York, but this is the way they all run. It's not like the old days anymore where you call your bookie and say, yeah, I'd like to place uh, $500 on the Chargers minus six. That's not how it goes anymore. You do it all online on custom sites that are set up specifically for bookies to run. So these bookies buy a subscription to one of these offshore sites, but not one you've heard of. It's not like Bet Online or any of those. This would be like a no-branded website that runs offshore that provides all the lines and manages people's balances and basically does everything except handle the money. So these sites, you don't buy in through them or cash out through them. You do that through the bookie. All the bookie does is set you up with an account, load credits on for you so you can bet with them, and then cash you out. Or in some cases, you don't have a credit. You just bet and you're either plus or minus, and at the end of the week, you settle. But the bookie, all they're doing is paying you and collecting the money from you. The site itself is administering the rest of it. It's kind of the illegal version of how most people do fantasy sports these days. I'm not talking about daily fantasy sports. I mean, like if you and your friends have a fantasy football league or fantasy baseball league, you use some sort of website to manage the league itself and the money that people buy into the league and are paid out for finishing the first few spots, that's handled by the commissioner who's holding all the money. So similarly here, there's these offshore sites that manage all the betting and uh, manage all the lines and everything like that, and the bookies just uh, buy you and cash you out. But it's really their operation. They're just using those sites as a tool. Anyway, a large site based out of New York was just recently busted. It was known as Rhino Sports, and it allegedly handled millions of dollars in bets, and it's been operating since 2007. There were dozens of bookies in the New York area who were referring people to this site and then buying them in and cashing them out. And it was the mafia behind it. Lucchese crime family soldier Anthony Villiani and then associates Louis Tucci Jr., Dennis Filizola, and James Kumostuos were arrested in the New York area and are going to be arraigned in federal court. And then Michael Prano was arrested in Florida and is going to appear in federal court in Florida. U.S. Attorney Brian Peace, who also was in charge of the previous bust involving the mafia's underground casinos, said, as alleged, this conduct demonstrates how members of La Cosa Nostra continue to engage in illegal gambling operations and money laundering and money marking schemes that leads to threats of violence against anyone who stands in their way and has resulted in millions of dollars in profits to the Lucchese crime family. These charges illustrate that this office has continued commitment to rooting La Cosa Nostra out of New York. Members of the mafia are not giving up the tried-and-true methods of criminal behavior, even in the face of the burgeoning world of legal gambling. 
As we allege, Lucchese's sol- soldier and other family members ran an illegal gambling operation and offered their clientele the same twisted customer service, do what they say, or face terrifying consequences. One thing these criminals can bet on, the FBI will continue our pursuit. That was said by Michael Driscoll, that second part, who's a federal prosecutor. Now, I need to explain what they're saying here. If you bet with these guys, they weren't ripping you off. So it wasn't that case. It wasn't that you'd bet and then you'd win, and then they'd threaten you that they're going to cut off your head and, and, and bury you in the desert somewhere if you try to collect your money. It's not like that. It wasn't a scam. Where the threats would come in would be either if you lost and then couldn't pay. Because remember, you'd be settling at the end of the week, presumably. That's usually how these things work. Or if you uh, maybe tried to run a competing operation. I don't know that for sure, but sometimes they'll they'll come after competing operations. Stuff like that is what they're talking about. So if you were to have been betting with these guys in New York and you could pay your losses, then nothing would have happened to you as a customer because they were running a real sports book. It wasn't legal, but they were running it as if it were a real sports book. So if you won, they were paying you. If you lost, you would pay them. If you tried to stiff them, that wasn't a good idea because you were stiffing the mob and you don't really want to stiff the mob, though it does look like, just like in the case of the underground casino they were operating, it does look like it was all threats. Notice that it is not alleged that they actually hurt anybody. But I have to imagine that most people get scared enough when they know the real mafia is threatening them and they come up with the money quickly. It's one thing if like some poker player is someone you owe money to and they want you to pay them. Even if they threaten you, you may say, okay, well, I don't believe that guy's going to do anything. If the mafia is threatening you, you're like, oh, crap, I've seen all these movies. I've seen all these mafia pictures where people get rubbed out for basically doing nothing. I don't want to be the next guy to be hit by the mafia. I better pay. Like, I would be afraid to stiff the mafia. I wouldn't just dismiss this as nothing if I couldn't pay them and go, oh, okay, they're not going to do anything. Like, I-, I would be worried. So that's the way people presumably saw it. And I guess all they ha- probably had to do was threaten people and they paid up. It ran from 2004, not 2007, through 2020. And it ended when there was actually a search where law enforcement recovered over $407,000 in cash that obviously put an end to the whole operation. And the charges, I guess, were happening right now. I'm not sure why it took almost two years, but it took almost two years to formally charge these guys. But the raid occurred back in December of 2020, and that is when the site shut down. So I guess it operated for about 16 years, not even just 15 years. The one who is facing the most serious charges is this Villiani guy. He is the Lucchese family soldier, Anthony Villiani, and he is the one who had the $407,000 in his home when it was searched in December 2020. They also found during the search brass knuckles and gambling ledgers. The ledgers are probably showing who owed what. So they charged Villiani with racketeering 
in participation of various criminal schemes, including illegal gambling, money laundering, and attempted extortion. I'm assuming the extortion was the threats to get people to pay up when they couldn't pay. That's probably what the extortion was. You typically think of extortion where you're being told to pay money that you just don't owe. You're just being threatened, pay this money or something's going to happen to you. That's the traditional form of extortion. You just feel like you can scare someone into paying you and tell them, hey, pay me this amount or you're going to disappear one day. But I guess they could also consider it extortion if someone is doing illegal gambling and loses and then doesn't want to pay and then they're threatened with violence if they don't pay. So I guess that can also be considered extortion. I just don't usually think of it that way. I wonder how many more of these busts we're going to see. This is the second time that office is going after mafia-run gambling in New York. And it's the same guy who's in charge of the whole thing, U.S. Attorney Brian Peace. The second one in a short time, I wonder if we're going to see a third one soon. I wonder if they're trying to root this out because of the legalized sports betting that has come to the area. Maybe that is the motivation here. If enough states offer legalized sports betting, this stuff's going to all go obsolete. These illegal sites, illegal bookies, etc. The only exception will be if the legal offerings are so bad that people turn to illegal means to bet. But as long as they're roughly equivalent, then probably these bookmaking operations will go away. But plenty of other opportunities out there, such as illegal casinos and illegal poker rooms. Those will continue to live on, I have to assume. Finally, a Michigan bank is accused of discrimination after they were refusing to cash a check from a casino, claiming it was fraudulent and actually trying to confiscate the check. The only problem was that the check was real. The reason they're facing a discrimination lawsuit is because a 71-year-old black woman was the one who dealt with all of this. She was the one who had the check, and she was accused of bringing in a fraudulent check, which turned out not to be fraudulent. There is no question that they actually did make this mistake. There's no question that the check was real and that the woman has done nothing wrong. The only question is, what was the motivation behind denying this check's validity? Was it just that the check didn't look right to them? Or was it because she was very old and they discriminated for that reason? Or was it because she was black? So she is alleging in a lawsuit that it's because she's black. Her name is Lizzie Pugh. P-U-G-H, and she filed a federal lawsuit against Fifth Third Bank, which is kind of a weird name, Fifth Third Bank. (laughs) So is it the Fifth Bank or the Third Bank? This is both. The Fifth Third Bank, which I guess, would that make it like the 15th Bank? The Fifth Third Bank? Maybe. But the Fifth Third Bank, which is in Michigan, is facing a federal lawsuit alleging racial discrimination because she could not cash out this five-figure jackpot win 
that she got at the Soaring Eagle Casino in Mount Pleasant. She actually went with a church group when she won this jackpot. I didn't know you could do this, but she paid the taxes on the winnings at the casino, and then they gave her most of it in a check and a little bit of cash. I've never seen this before. I've always seen that they just issue you a tax form and inform the IRS you want it and pay you the whole thing. I don't know why she paid the taxes then. Maybe she didn't trust herself not to blow the rest of the money. I didn't know you could even elect to do that, but that's what she elected to do. It was not said in the lawsuit the exact amount of the check that was denied, but that it was over $10,000 and less than 100000 So it was five figures. So a few days after the win, she went down to Fifth Third Bank and she tried to create a savings account to deposit the cash. So remember, she had a small amount of cash and she had that check for five figures. And three female employees at Fifth Third Bank said that the check was fraudulent, and one of the women tried to hold the check and not give it back to her. These three women were all white. She eventually did get the check back and walked out and went to a Chase bank that same day, and Chase felt the check was fine, and they deposited it with no issues. When asked about the situation, Lizzie Pugh said, For someone to just accuse you of stealing? I'm 71 years old. Why would I steal a check and try to cash it? Originally, she wasn't going to sue, but claims that her niece persuaded her to file the lawsuit and said this was a violation of her civil rights. That might be possible. It might be that she just was happy to get the thing cashed and didn't think much of it. And then her niece is like, you know what? I think that might have been racism and we're going to make them pay. I don't know if the niece really thought that or thought that they could allege that and maybe get some more money. I don't know which one it is, but the niece convinced her to file this lawsuit. Lizzie Pugh grew up in Alabama. And if we go back and look at what year that probably was, it was probably 1951 because she's 71 years old. So there's still a lot of uh, open racism in Alabama in the 50s and early 60s all the way through the civil rights era in the mid-60s. So she did grow up during a time when there was overt racism with the inability to drink from the same fountains or go into certain restaurants and you had to ride the back of the bus. All that was still going on when she was a little girl and even an early teenager. And she said that she was the only black child in her school growing up in that area of Alabama and that she was bullied for that reason, which I believe. That that doesn't mean that Fifth Third Bank was discriminating against her, though. Sometimes you're just getting shit customer service. And it's interesting. I just had this discussion with someone recently. I said to someone that if I were black, there would have been a number of customer service situations in my life where I would have said, 100% that's racism where I would be treated disrespectfully and not taken seriously, whatever it might be, and I would have said, oh, okay, must be because I'm black they're treating me this way. Except I never have that thought because I'm not black. So I never get it in my mind that there's any form of discrimination going on when I get shitty customer service because there isn't. Because why would there be discrimination against me? I'm not black. I'm not gay. I'm not old. I'm not young. A middle-aged white guy 
a middle-aged straight white guy is the least likely to experience any kind of discrimination. So it never comes to mind. But if I was in a group that does get discriminated against, like if I were black, then it would come to mind when I would have bad experiences at businesses that maybe it's not crappy service or maybe it's not nasty employees, but that they're actually discriminating because of my skin color. So it can be hard to tell. Whereas for me, it's very easy to tell because I know there's no discrimination because there would be no reason they would discriminate against me. Like, I really have never thought there's any kind of discrimination against me, except when I was young, there pretty surely was age discrimination in that direction, where I was treated with much less respect because I was young. Even on police stops, I've talked about before, where they just assume I'm guilty of something because I'm young. That never happens anymore. So I can understand where this woman might think that and where people who are black might think that, people who are gay might think that. Something that, if anyone can tell that you're part of some minority group that has been discriminated against in the past and somewhat in the present too, that bad service or bad treatments because of that, and then it can be hard to discern. Like, is it because of that or just because the employees are crappy? At least I always know it's just because the employees are crappy. So who knows what they really believe here. There's also people that exploit this. There's people that know they weren't discriminated against, but claim it so they can get something out of it. There's some that think it could be either way, but figure they might as well because they feel a grievance anyway. They feel they were mistreated. So whether it was racism or not, might as well allege racism. There's some like that. There's some cases where it definitely was racism and the allegations correct. I don't know what the case is here. There's no way to know for sure. Fifth Third Bank has issued a statement denying that there was any kind of discrimination going on. They said that they're committed to offering responsible and fair banking while prohibiting discrimination of any kind. Of course, they're going to say that no matter what. There was actually a similar case in 2020 against a different bank And that was handled by the same lawyer named Deborah Gordon. In that case, there was a lawsuit after someone's settlement check was not cashed, presumably also someone of color. And the bank ultimately issued an apology and settled the case privately. And in the statement regarding that case, it was affirmed that the bank employees received training to help them deal with the needs of people while minimizing potential fraud risk. And it was said that in this particular case, that the employees on the day of this incident there at Fifth Third Bank with the casino check, that the employees followed the necessary procedures. And the bank actually defends its initial determination that it was a fraudulent check. So they actually believe that the check was suspicious looking, even though it ended up being real. So what do I think? There's no way to know for sure. But what do I think is the truth here? I actually don't think that this was a case of racism. I just think that they didn't like the way the check looked and they thought it was fake. Maybe they thought that this old woman was sent in with a check by a younger person who manufactured it and that they used an old woman to do it because she looks less threatening. But I think there's a good chance that someone who was white who brought the same check in 
would get the same treatment. Keep in mind, they didn't throw her on the floor and arrest her. All they did was say, we're not taking this. And at one point, they wanted to keep the check, which is definitely wrong. They shouldn't keep the check unless they're 100% sure. But they did give it back to her. Ultimately, they gave the check back to her and she walked out. So they made a mistake and the check was real. And definitely they should not have attempted to keep it. But maybe there was something about the check that looked funny. Maybe there was a reason to suspect that there was an issue, even if it was not this woman's fault. I've had some experiences at banks before where they were kind of questioning checks I brought in back in the day when I used to get checks from online poker sites. Remember those days before crypto? You'd actually get checks. They would mail you. So I was getting checks from online poker sites I played on. And I would bring them in. And some banks would just take them and no problem deposit the money and there was no issue. And other times I'd get a million questions. And other times they would tell me there's going to be an 11-week hold. Really like an 11-week hold, something absurd like that. Every bank was different. So eventually I learned which banks took these checks without issue and which ones bitched about it. And I stopped using the ones that bitched about it. And these were the same checks, just different times, but, you know, like a few weeks apart. One bank would take one and then the other would give me a hard time about a very similar check for a very similar amount from the same issuer. So every bank handles it differently. And apparently this Chase Bank that was where this woman lived was less cautious about it and believed the check was real. And this fifth third bank felt it was suspicious. So I actually don't believe this was racism. I don't really see a reason that they are claiming it was racism. Like they didn't say, oh, we see people like you all the time trying to pull this. Like I, to my knowledge, there was no statement like that. I think if there was, they would have put this out there. They would have put this in the lawsuit because that would be very relevant. It just kind of seems like they wouldn't take the check. They thought the check was fraudulent and the woman was black and 71 years old. Well, yeah, but she could have just been black at 71 years old. That had nothing to do with them not taking the check. Could be they wouldn't take it from anybody. Do they have any evidence that younger people or non-black people were able to bring in similar checks with no issue? Because if they don't, I don't see how they could really make this claim. It's a pretty big leap to just say it has to be racism if the person having the bad experience is black. As I said, I've had a lot of bad experiences with businesses, even with banks, and I'm white. Like this story here, I could easily see happening to me. If someone told me that in the future, this story is going to happen to me and they could see the future, I wouldn't say, no, there's no way I'm white. I would say, oh, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. These banks can be stupid and overcautious sometimes. It wouldn't even cross my mind that this would be shocking to happen to me. I could totally see this happening. The only thing that I couldn't see would be the Michigan part, because I wouldn't be in Michigan probably. But aside from that, it wouldn't be surprising if this occurred to me or other white people I know. So I see no evidence that this is a case of racism. Now, it's not impossible. It is possible that the three white women there have noticed over time that there's been a number of these check fraud cases and that the people committing these acts of fraud in their branch have been disproportionately black compared to the percentage of uh, black people in the population there. 
So maybe that they're noticing that more commonly this is done by black people than white people from what they've seen in their branch. So when a black person brings in any kind of check that's a little bit non-standard, they immediately get on edge. And it happened to screw over this woman who was totally innocent. It could have been something like that, in which case you can say it was racism. You could say it's racial profiling there. Maybe that's what happened. I I don't think that these three women conspired, hey, we're not going to accept this check we know is real because she's black. I don't even think when she walked in there with that check, they thought, oh, a black person with a check, it has to be stolen or has to be fake. I don't think they thought that either. It was either like a racial profiling thing, just believing that uh, they've seen a lot more of this from black people than white people, or nothing to do with race at all, and it just happened they didn't like the way the check looked. I think it's one of those two things. I think more likely it would, would happen to anybody. If I had to bet on this, if we could rewind the clock back and you could send me in with a check instead of that old black woman, I would put pretty good money on the bet that they wouldn't accept it from me either. I think it was the check, not the person. That's just my guess. Well, we never got a co-host and we're out of topics. Not as long as last week. But they can't all be super long. This used to be a long show by old standards. It wasn't short. It just wasn't a long show. It happens sometimes. guess I should thank Ebony Kenny or we would have had a really short show. Otherwise, kind of a slow news week. Well, if you notice, we are moving forward in the week. Every eight days we're doing a show, which means every day we're every week we're one day later. So right now, I guess right now it's technically Friday because it's after midnight, but we started on Thursday. Last week we started on Wednesday. The week before we started on Tuesday. So what does that put us next? What is our expected day to do the show next week? Ah, uh, yes, the Friday we've been looking to get back to. We're going to make it back to Friday, I think. Right now, the show is projected to be on Friday, September 23rd. But don't quote me on that. That's the day right now, I think, that we're going to do it. You guys don't know how close you were to not having a show tonight. I haven't felt very well this week. have some mysterious issues, but... They seem to be clearing up. So I felt good enough tonight to do the show. I didn't want to say anything. And get mocked by the forum and... Then end up being okay anyway, so... I decided I'm not going to say anything. I'm just not going to mention that I'm not feeling well and... See if I get better by Thursday. And I did. I'm not all better, but... I'm mostly better. Good enough. So we did the show. It's the first one in a while that I had no co-host, not one. No co-host, no calls. It's very lonely here on Poker Fraud Alert Radio. As I, I just rant here. I, I ranted here for the entire length of the show. And and some reason, we, we have higher ratings right now than we did a few hours ago, which makes like no sense because it's like 3 in the morning Pacific. Like, why would we have more people now? I don't get you guys. Well, show's about to end, about to have the ratings go to zero until next week. Shalom.